everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 345. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined, as always, by my co-host, David Bix and Span and Bix. Wow, what a uh, all-elite wrestling pay-per-view on Sunday night, last Sunday night, and uh, almost the length of our uh, weekly podcast. Hard to believe. <laughs> well, that's how you know the booker's a listener, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. But uh, yeah, we well. Uh, although the the booking is starting to feel more uh, Segunda Caída ghost booked than Between the Sheets <laughs> ghost booked, though. In a way, in a way, but yeah, it's a uh, it's good stuff for those of you that have not seen it. Go check that out. Block out about five hours of your day though, and uh, and watch that because it was a hell of a show. So yeah, there is that. But yeah, show number 345, and uh, yes, we're going to have a great show this week as we are joined by one of our favorites, long-time guest on this show, always entertaining, and uh, since we've uh, last been joined by this man, a new wrestling promotion has uh, started up that he is the number one fan of. Control your narrative. Yes, we are joined by <laughs> the infamous Robert O'Connor. Mr. O'Connor, welcome back. Well, wait, does Bahari know that he is? <laughs> well, Bahari, him, he's going, but him and Bahari are going to be in the rant room together. <laughs> oh, in Dallas, yeah. We could uh, make some real money, I think. <laughs> get, uh, get my my number one fan, uh, NASCAR hat guy on Twitter. I'm sure, he'd drop. Uh, Drop a few bucks. Put it. Put it beside the Bix dunk tank. <laughs> yes. Coming soon to WrestleCon. <laughs> if Bix shows up at WrestleCon, then yes, so that needs to be a thing. <laughs> but there's there's a few people. There, there needs to be a list of people that cannot participate in that because it could get messy. Mike Johnson. <laughs> hey, Gabe, I, I might be okay with. Um, I didn't name names. <laughs> but anyway, but, uh, yes, yes. Uh, I guess uh, things things are finally getting back to normal. Uh, I will be in Dallas uh, in a couple weeks for the WrestleCon festivities. Hope to uh, see you all there. And uh, yeah, I mean, meanwhile at home, uh, Frankie the Thumper is uh, seven months old already. Awesome. Yes. Yay. Yes, uh, at a uh, a big milestone this week, uh, his first teeth started coming in. Oh, yeah, they're well, they're they're just little uh, Nick Gage teeth at the moment. But, uh, <laughs> still a a jarring sight to see. <laughs> yes, but yeah, the, everything's good uh, with the baby. The wife uh, haven't had to put the dogs in the enclosed pool area yet, <laughs> but. Uh, I have a, a couple of uh, wrestling-related games that I play with Frankie. Oh. Uh, my, my, much to my wife's disdain. Yes. These, these are not Grizzly Smith games, uh, Chris. Calm down. <laughs> but, well, uh, <laughs> I mean, you're heading, you're heading to Texas uh, for WrestleCon, <laughs> so I know uh, you're heading to Bossy Tan Country. So. Oh, God. Well, he, he had to head back the other way. He had to <laughs> <laughs> I tail it back to Canada. <laughs> yes. But uh, no, my that I, I on occasion I'll uh, unzip the top of his onesie and uh, chop him, do the woo and everything. 
Very, very, very lightly for the record. <laughs> uh, no need to call child services. But uh, the the other one I sometimes do is I will put his swaddle blanket over my head and uh, then pull it off dramatically and do the it's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. <laughs> that one uh, does make him cry sometimes, but uh, <laughs> I like to think he'll see the humor in it someday. <laughs> Vince Russo would be very proud of Doing that. Well, yes. and because he's still far away from having object object permanence. God damn it, I tripped all over that. Um, your immediate family definitely did buy it hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Uh, so, as uh, you've been mentioning online, you uh, you are uh, showing wrestling to young Frankie the Thumper, getting him uh, ingratiated at a young age. So that's that's yes. a good. I'm trying my best. He did it did not make it through uh, all five hours of the <laughs> AEW pay-per-view last night, but uh, we're, we're getting there. We're, Babies we're, and senior citizens uh, definitely did not make it through the five <laughs> yeah. hours of uh, AEW revolution. <laughs> yeah. That's not the demo for, for that show. <laughs> but... Um, Yes, we'll this, we'll see what's longer, this show or uh, Revolution. As uh, we have quite the show this week, as we go back to 1995, not long in notes, but you know how we do on this show. And but we got we're a day short. We're only doing March the ninth through the 14th because we already had done the 15th on a previous show, long time ago. So uh, go look that up. But anyway. So, yes, six-day week, and we start with a general subject as Dave uh, Meltzer looks at the pay-per-view business in wrestling, and it's changing. The wrestling business in the United States is going to undergo yet another facelift in the wake of the WS decision to follow in the lead of WCW and add four more pay-per-view shows before the end of the year. The first of the added pay-per-view shows will be on May the 14th in Syracuse, New York, billed as In Your Home. <laughs> Close! <laughs> One week before WCW Slamboree from St. Petersburg. The pattern will continue over the next two months as WCW will run the Grand American Bash on June 18th in Dayton, with WF following with King of the Ring on the 25th in Philadelphia. In July, WCW runs July 16th in Miami, while WF will run July 23rd. Obviously, that changed because WCW ran uh, SoCal on J July 16th. Huntington Beach, yes. Huntington Beach, yes. I'll say I, I kind of like uh, in your home. It's uh, more more inclusive. <laughs> yes. You uh, live in an apartment, a trailer, a, a sportatorium. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, any somebody can make anything a home, you know. Yeah. It could be, uh, you know, like, a, like one of those storage pods or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I re remember uh, Bix was living in that Times Square peep show uh, <laughs> transitionally a few months back. Yes. Yes, he was. Uh, the four Wait, what? Shows... <laughs> Did I miss something? Delayed, resp delayed response there, huh? You, you told me it was only $900 a month, Bix. <laughs> my, my share of the rent is, yes. <laughs> He's lost. All right, the four added WF pay shows will be approximately one hour, 45 minutes in length and be priced at $14.95. This undercuts WCW, which is running a $24.95 list price for its non Hogan pay view shows. Only one of the books right now is Dayton, as so apparently do a Hogan injury angle on St. Petersburg. 
and up the price to $27.95 for all shows involving Hogan. The low price for new WWE shows will be counterbalanced by the increase in price for the major shows, with WrestleMania going up to $34.95, making the most expensive wrestling preview show to date, and SummerSlam to $29.95. Real quick, um, if I remember right, I think WrestleMania goes back to $29.95 the following year, that it seemed like this was specifically for LT. Yeah, makes sense. Because LT is LT, so yeah. Right, probably more important both to the present and future of America Pro Wrestling is what the end result of their decision will be. It's more than just this decisions to change the way it does house shows or pay reviews, but it's major effect on the future of pro wrestling in the United States, and particularly in regards to newer styles of promotions. At this point, there are 18 excuse me, pro wrestling events already scheduled for pay review in 1995. That doesn't include any potential new additions to the pay per view schedule, such as UWFI and AAA which both have run pay-per-view shows in the past with modest level of buy rate successes, and the ever-present threats of Herb Abrams to try and top the record low buy rates once again. <laughs> it also doesn't include the four UFCs, which aren't pro wrestling per se, but the crossover audience tops hovers in the 30 to 40% range. So it is competition in many cases with the same consumers. At the present, the real money and significant national exposure in promoting wrestling is in the pay-per-view. That'll probably remain the case until another new technology springs forward. They see it in the future. The idea that house shows will surpass preview for revenue at any time in the foreseeable future because house shows used to be the be-all and end-all of wrestling is as silly as saying pro wrestling will return to the territories because it used to be that way. Nobody that consistently runs house shows in the United States is making any serious money doing so. USWA is probably really the most successful in that they probably lose at least the amount of money or may even be slightly profitable. But just by looking at the talent base, you can see they're trying to make it by keeping expenses down to a minimum, which usually signifies either a tiny profit margin or attempts to keep losses at the lowest level possible. WF and WCW run house shows larger because that's the way it's always been done, in some cases as a loss leader, because a local television deal requires them running shows in the market or lose their time slot, and because both groups on occasion do run profitable house shows, although in both cases, WCW more so than WF, those shows are the minority. Smoky Mountain Wrestling surviving almost hand-to-mouth, and judging by his talent roster and how quickly people are leaving, his financial situation at present is shaky at best. ECW, for all the praise thrown its way, has yet to prove they can draw even a decent-sized crowd anywhere except their one home base arena, which can realistically be profitable for the night, but probably poses a legitimate business for anyone. Everyone from the outside with a wrestling business background looking at what ECW is doing shakes their heads, because the math doesn't add up when you look at the short term. But if it's to rerun as a business, this period maybe rationalizes a building a base to position itself for the long term. But that long term of successful business is running profitable shows on pay-per-view, not doing house shows around the country running four nights a week, because the company has almost no chance of success with that as its primary revenue source. On the other hand, with perhaps one exception, every pay-per-view wrestling show over the past two years put on by the WF and WCW has been profitable. Obviously, some a lot more than others, but none are money losers, as are the vast majority of house shows each promotion runs. More importantly, in comparison, the amount of potential revenue from pay-per-view is staggering as compared to a house show. A great house show today for WCW may gross $60,000 for taking off for expenses, leaving a net gain much smaller, and that's not even taking into account the salary structure. A bad pay-per-view will gross $1.2 million. If buy rates don't fall too much for a month's worth of house shows, to make up for not running pay-per-view during the month, they'd have to run 25 house shows and do more of a profit every night in the month than they do now for the best house show of the year. But if you up those figures to maybe 130000 for a great house show compared to $2 million for a bad pay-per-view, 
1995, even more in the future, for a pro wrestling company to have any major significance or long-term staying power in the United States marketplace, it needs to be a player on pay-per-view. This is where the recent moves by WCW and adding shows are the most significant in regards to the future of the wrestling business. Viewers' choice and requests are the companies that ultimately decide what's going to air on pay-per-view because they control the channels that the shows air on. Pro wrestling has been the most consistent piece of programming on pay-per-view. A big boxing match blows away anything pro wrestling can do. But a typical monthly TVKO Boston production does less money than a typical WF and WCW review show. A great concert may do in the ballpark of WF and WCW, but most concerts don't. Most story pay-per-view events, such as martial arts shows or bikini contests, aren't even in the same league with the lowest WCW shows. Nevertheless, cable distributors last year were squeamish about the idea of 12 wrestling pay-per-views in 1995. Since WF and WCW both have a proven track record, they aren't about to turn down their business. However, come 1996, when the planned number of wrestling shows on pay-per-view rises to a problem, probable minimum of 21, perhaps as many as 27 if USC continues to flourish, the last thing requested viewers Schwartz will want to do is give an unproven wrestling group a time slot. And even if they do, they'll never get a time period where they'll be able to promote a car without direct competition from a more established group. This is a severe blow to the potential of AAA or ECW to be real forces if such a thing were realistically ever possible to begin with. The real future of pro wrestling on a national basis is locked up until one or both of the two companies cut back and leave an opening, or unless this monthly experiment with both groups fall, fails. The small window of opportunity that existed for AAA and ECW to turn their cup followers into something of real significance nationally is closed. If AAA can draw a consistent $200,000 house in the second largest city in the country and not make a dent nationally, and more importantly, not make a huge profit, it simply can't be done running nothing but house shows in this day and age. Mr. Man, with the most television coverage, best produced television shows, WF name, and access to all the major arenas in the country, and every city of significant size has apparently come to that decision as well. From what we understand, WF, which hasn't been profitable for most of the part running house shows, nor was it even planning or even hoping seriously it would be this year, will cut back significantly on the shows domestically in order to focus on their monthly pay-per-view events. B-team shows will significantly be cut back, as has started to be the case the past few months. A-team shows continue on a regular rotation, but a far greater percentage of these shows will take place overseas, where the shows can be sold to outside promoters that guarantee they have huge money and thus guaranteeing profitability for the tours. The domestic market will be a combination of lost leader shows in cities where they are under contract and run the market, with the local television stations, because they can lose to local television, which is needed for both national ad revenue and as a vehicle to promote the preview shows and get the merchandise over, and consistently run shows in the major markets, really usually profitable, such as New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, or Philadelphia, or perhaps in some cases continue to run some major name arenas on a regular rotation, if only to keep those arenas from booking shows with WCW. In addition, other cities that may be losers may be used to fill in dates when the rest is on the road in a region between cities that fit into the aforementioned categories. We're told overall the number of house shows being run in North America will be drastically cut back. From what we understand, WF will make an extension between the four added events, which will be shorter and cheaper, and the traditional Big Five events. The shows will generally not contain the blowouts or endings of angles, as the big shows usually do, but matches are continuations, leading to a blowout for the upcoming major shows. The car supposedly won't parrot what is being held at the Arena A shows during the month, i.e. run the same matches with state finishes that are taking place on the current Arena Tour. We understand they'll be booked more like and with the production values of a souped-up version of the old Saturday Night Main Event specials from the mid to late 80s, doing matches designed primarily to build to the major, more expensive preview shows and presenting climactic matches in situations where the matches have already been blown off at the big preview or house shows, similar to some of the raw and action zone main events nowadays. 
unlike at the uh, major pay-per-view events, all the major attractions will be wrestling at every second-tier pay-per-view show. The more frequent shows, particularly with the most months resulting in shows from WF and WCW on back-to-back Sundays, will obviously heighten competition, which is always a major positive for the consumers. WCW is going to continue to do what it did last month in Baltimore, running the first hour of the house show live on its main event show as an attempt to run angles to hook viewers into making the late buys. It will surely result in more on-air acknowledgement of competition by both groups and running down competition, as has been the case more lately than ever before. Just this week on Action Zone, Jim Ross and Top Pettengill constantly made references to ordering WrestleMania and asking for it by name and not be confused by cheap imitations. A few hours later, Bobby Heenan and Gene Oakland made references to Heenan claiming he wore a $2,500 suit on pay-per-view, and Oakland said Heenan is just a, a, a guy like another guy he knows who const- constantly exaggerates how much he pays for things. And references to McMahon and the inflated reports of $500,000 price tag for Lawrence Taylor. <laughs> yes, if, if there's one thing uh, me and Gene cannot sanction, it's uh, wrestling personalities serving up constant exaggerations. <laughs> 1-900-909-9900. I like how that was supposedly a thinly veiled shot of McMahon. That. <laughs> yes. There was also bitterness on the Titan side because numerous cable companies around the country aren't offering WrestleMania on their automatic phone lines nor running commercials on their preview channels until after WCW Uncensored this weekend. Leaving WF with doing a tremendous job behind the WrestleMania that viewers in many, if not most instances, can't conveniently order for another week. It won't hurt to buy a race as virtually all orders d- during the last week are during the last week, and WrestleMania would be a big success this year. But it does make it hard when announcers on this past weekend's television are doing a hard sell to order preview show, but then having to tell the fans to ask for it by name and not order the one rest of the preview show that the cable companies are taking orders for this week. And in many cases, a show that viewers actually can't even order at this time. Ditto for UFC 5, which isn't even being plugged currently on numerous preview channels as opposed to his previous shows that are receiving. A regular rotation of plugs for two months going to the show. This is more important USC since it doesn't get mainstream being a build up to its shows like a big boxing event. Nor does it have its own weekly television to make its own mainstream hype when the media doesn't play along like with pro wrestling. So these Barker Channel ads are along with word of mouth are largely its lifeblood. That is interesting, Bix, real quick. Uh the fact that they won't even acknowledge another pay-per-view, not even UFC, until a pay-per-view of that type of brand is over with. That's crazy. Like, you can't have two. I don't remember my local cable company ever being like that, though. I don't know either. You know, I didn't have pay-per-view, but I had the pay-per-view Barker channel. Yeah, I it was wonder- a cock tease for me. But, but yeah, I'm, you know. I wonder if maybe this is... There's some, like, request or viewer's choice version of the Barker Channel kind of thing that is treating it this way, but individual cable companies that program it themselves are not? I don't know. It's just weird to me how we can't—you have to have just one pay-per-view to talk about. It's weird. And for those of you who don't know what the Barker Channel is, the Barker Channel is, in the days of analog cable— what a lot of cable companies would do is on the pay-per-view channel, if you haven't ordered anything, and also a lot of time other scrambled channels that you were not subscribing to, it would just be wall-to-wall pay-per-view ads. Yes. So I call the Cotties because I didn't have pay-per-view, but I had the Barker channel. <laughs> yes. Now, my cable company did something. I have no idea how common this was, but 
mornings during the week at least, you could put on the main pay-per-view channel and it would be descrambled and showing... I don't know if they were pulling it down from the satellite dish as I was watching or they just decided to run this stuff then or what. Like, you would see, like, the full half-hour pre-show and all, like, 37 variations of the ads for each show back-to-back. That number's an exaggeration, but still, like, a lot. Sometimes very barely different ads. But I don't know how common that was or why they did that that way. Hmm. I don't either. But, uh, yeah, I just, I just thought that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> we only have one Perry we can talk about. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to finish this before we get into the deeper discussion? Yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Along with this effect of making it more difficult to a new player, whether it be a niche American group or foreign group from Mexico or Japan, and get on pay per view and making a significant name in the market, or because of the plethora of shows and being able to garner enough curiosity buys in the wake of others that were saturated in the market. Any shows also brings the most obvious word to mind. Overexposure. Killing the Goose says laying the golden eggs and providing both groups who was most profitable, and in the case of WCW, only significant profitable revenue stream. We can speculate to death what wrestling fans will do by the end of the year with the constant barrage of advertising for frequent pay-per-views, and how it fit buy rates for both the new shows and the existing more expensive shows. There's considerable risk involved, and it does go against everything Vince McMahon has ever previously stated about pay-per-view, and that he, the events had to be infrequent, and such a special, or they won't be successful. If buy rates plummet to where shows aren't profitable, the combination of shows should be less profitable than the combination of fewer shows year before, then it was a mistake. If not, it was a gamble that paid off. Nobody really knows wrestling fans will to say with 100% certainty which it is. It's very interesting reading this in 2022 um, because of where we're at now where WWE has their own network, so they don't have pay-per-views, they have premium live events. Well, and in the U.S. and potentially other countries that they're negotiating with, they don't have their own network. They license their network content, including the premium live events, to a third party, in the case of the U.S., uh, Comcast, NBC Universal with Peacock. But they do actually have pay-per-views though i mean because but uh, uh, i mean i wonder how many people actually buy them I, they stopped reporting the pay-per-view buys in the financial reports a couple of years ago so who even knows but I there were still people to, buying uh, them yeah your but, grandpa and jim Cornette. Uh, <laughs> what we're down to at this point and, but and I do see i'm sure certain well i'm yeah. sure some people in areas without reliable broadband too on satellite mm-hmm Direct TVs. I mean, I see, still see the commercials for pay per views, you know, during shows. So, you know, they're advertising it. I wonder, I wonder what the broadband's like at uh, Brock Lesnar's place in uh, rural <laughs> Saskatchewan. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's like you know, getting a carrier pigeon out there or something <laughs> to, to where he's at. But uh, yes. But yeah, I mean, this is a different world because, you know, adding these in your houses or in your home, you know, that is gives WF a totally different pay-per-view look in a way because they are cheaper shows, they are shorter shows, and it's not the worst idea in the world to add these extra shows 
to be your build up to your major shows. Nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, if you don't have a na- if you don't have national television like you have a Saturday Night Main Event, then yeah, I mean, why not? Why not do this? I mean, they're not, they're WCW. Here's where WCW kind of screwed up, though. They already had a deal. They had Clash of the Champions. Well, okay, that brings me to something I found. So, the trade magazine coverage of this story that I can find doesn't come until two, three weeks later. In the multi-channel news cover dated April 3rd, oh, excuse me, the multi-channel news and broadcasting cable uh, cover dated April 3rd, each cover dated April 3rd, um, broadcasting and cable has a note that says, meanwhile, Turner Broadcasting has expanded its pay-per-view wrestling events from seven to nine per year. The wrestling events previously seen on WTBS under the title Clash of the Champions will move off the basic cable network onto pay-per-view. So that's basically saying that um, Great American Bash and World War III are taking the spots of the June and November clashes. Formally. Yeah. So there is that. And uh, also in multi-channel news, while I'm at it, lost my place real quick. Uh, Skip Desjardins, Vice President of Pay-Per-View for the World Wrestling Federation. Hey, a French Canadian. <laughs> said, the, it, this is not a direct quote, but they cite it to him. The seven in your house shows, the first will premiere May 14th, give Titan an event every month through March 1996. So that, to me, suggests that they only made a commitment through then with the pay-per-view companies. Let's see how it would do. Basically, you know? Yes. But uh, overexposure. And that's the word that has been used in wrestling ever since this time period. I mean, but, you know, the wrestling has been through a big boom since then. And, it, you know, overexposure really affected then. But it just... Doing all these pay-per-views and whatever, I mean, and three-hour television shows. Imagine telling Dave back then that you're going to have a three-hour television show every Monday night as well. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. But to have to have you have you a weekly th- three-hour television show, well, shit, all right. 1995, you got one-hour Raw, one-hour Superstars, one-hour Challenge, one-hour of Action Zone, and I guess Mania still going this time, one-hour Mania. Yes. So five... Five hours spread out. Well, not all original, though. Your original programming at this point is... It's complicated because of the Challenge Action Zone situation where they're largely the same show, but Action Zone adds one exclusive competitive match. So if... They really still just have three original hours. Though. Yeah, but the, well, there's still differences. You still have differences though. So you kind of, if, if you're a completist, you still need to watch the show. <laughs> yeah. Why? Well, yeah, Action Zone has like the Ross report, and yes. there's different things going on there. Yes. But yes, I mean, well, it whatever. isn't quite uh, NWA Pro Championship Wrestling from Florida and Power Pro Wrestling each having different versions of the main event with different commercial break placement, though. That was, that was unique. Yeah, go ahead, Rob. What were you going to say? Well, I was uh, very much a completist uh, in this era. I was a an obsessive uh, teenage wrestling fan, and uh, 
tried to watch all the shows and tried to order all of the pay-per-views, which, uh, yeah, this this was the year where it really started to add up. And uh, there was, well, I, I mean, I guess you could uh, bootleg the shows back then, but it was uh, decidedly more difficult uh, than it is now, so... But that's what I had. I had a buddy that that he would he would uh, tape the shows for me and then would give them to me at church. Yeah, <laughs> not go. like going to church and getting and getting your bootleg wrestling tapes. <laughs> but yeah, well, I I mean, I was at this point I was uh, dutifully ordering all the shows or trying to, and uh, it's scary to think how much of my uh, disposable income at the time was going toward the. Uh, wrestling pay-per-views but uh, i i do uh I've, I've always thought that the ask for it by name campaign uh, was rather silly uh, did uh, anyone ever call their local cable company to order wrestlemania and uh the protracted series of misunderstandings purchase uwf beach brawl instead <laughs> i think <laughs> Or so, or so, or so, Howard Stern butt bongo fiesta. Or <laughs> I mean, that, that might be an upgrade, but well, uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in, in the case of Beach Brawl, it's a uh, the only worst miscommunication I can think of would be uh, thinking you're buying tickets to a CNSY concert and winding up at a CYN event instead. <laughs> yes, <laughs> imagine for Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young for all you. Youngsters yeah. out there. Yeah, imagine Neil Young in a rant room. Yeah, well, he, well, he definitely <laughs> controlled his narrative to, <laughs> to the point did. where he quit the band. <laughs> he sure did. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's when the WWF decided to change gears on the In Your House thing and make the In Your House your, a regular pay-per-view. I mean, that's that's when it became more overexposure on their end more than anything else yeah. because – I like the idea of the In Your House shows feeling different, feeling lesser. You know, it had a different feel about it. And, and they were still, I mean, I was at Canadian Stampede, who many still feel is uh, the greatest WWE pay-per-view, certainly one of them. And, I mean, yeah, there were there were some really great In Your House pay-per-views. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, but... Yep, the times they are changing. And Dave, you know, I mean, he talks about the next technology. So that would be streaming all these years later. It being the next technology and that. And, you know, the, the, the stuff about house shows. We even talked about that, Bix. You know, the fact that Dave talks about how the where the future's going, the house shows are going to be non-existent or, you know, tremendously scaled back. And it took a while, but here we are. Yeah, there is that. But that also required the whole rights fee bubble thing. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's to the point now where we don't, they don't have to run house shows no. at all. And like I said, eventually they will be going to a Vegas residency. So hell, they don't have to leave Vegas if they don't want to. I could see them doing international tours and shit like that. But as far as, uh, you know, touring nationwide, do that for just a just a premium live events, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. What if they uh, set up shop in Branson? <laughs> I don't. 
Nick Khan, I don't think, would be too keen on that idea. <laughs> um, they could play the Ray Stevens Theater or some shit like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, God damn, the Crippler has, has a theater name. <laughs> <laughs> as long as he comes out and sings the streak, everything will be all right. But there you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, that guy. I love guitars and. <laughs> Goldberg's intro, Ray Stevens <laughs> singing the streak. Can I just say, by the way, that of all the things that would air on like TBS and stuff that like clearly were not part of my world, nothing was more confusing than Ray Ste- the best of Ray Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I understood, like, I could understand that Conway Twitty was a notable singer in a genre I didn't know much about. Whereas, like, the best of Ray Stevens ads treated him like the biggest star in the entire world. (laughs) You saying uh, Ray Stevens did not uh, translate to the New York market picks. (laughs) I also loved how they'd also... They'd play all of his comedy song video, and then they'd be like, and it also includes, what, what, what's, what's the serious Ray Stevens song? Everything, Everything is, is beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what like, about oh, the Dorf on deal. golf? How did that uh, play in New York, Pix? Well, Dorf is less regional, though, because it's Tim Conway. Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, there, you, you can't go, you know, very many places and get a song like Shriners Convention. <laughs> So, <laughs> oh man, that's turned into a Ray Stevens discussion. First there, concert, there I, first first concert I ever remember going to in my life was Ray Stevens. <laughs> there oh, you go. Boy. Where where was yeah. it? It was at the fairgrounds, and it was uh, Gainesville, Georgia. It was somewhere north, maybe either Dalton or Gainesville. My mom, my mom, and was a big Ray Stevens fan. And took me as a kid. I had to have been like six, and uh, <laughs> went up to see Ray Stevens in concert. I think mine. Do you, do you remember Tom Cochran? Life is a Life highway. Life is a highway. All night long. Uh, played that at our school for some reason. <laughs> a big hit in uh, <laughs> 1991. Yes. Great Canadian Tom Cochran. Yes. yes. But do you, do you guys know Red Green? He's kind of our uh, our Canadian Ray Stevens, I guess. I know the name. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Red Green, played by uh, Steve Smith. Yes, yes. Red Green's not even his real name, but yes, he is a Ray Stevens type character. <laughs> yes. No, no relation to Tom. No. It's a different uh, brand of Canadian humor. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now. Real quick, too, before we close this loop, we probably should also mention that a year and a half after this, Vince flirts with doing weekly pay-per-views. Yeah, he was going to do uh, TNA before TNA. Yes, and that (laughs) turned into Shotgun. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the original version of Shotgun that lasted six weeks, but... Yes. Not not just a B-show, a wacky, like, New York, live, edgy, you know, show. (laughs) Edgy. And also, yeah. it takes four in your houses before the price gets raised, too. Mm-hmm. It's a long. Yes, to 1995, and then 
they stay that way until September 97 when they just go three hours and basically every pay-per-view is the same price. But that led to a big increase in buys because people saw them as cut rate and not worth ordering. Yeah, that is the positive of that. So, All right, let's move on to the World Wrestling Federation. And boy, what a topic we got to lead off this week with. Brian Adams, also known as Crush, was arrested this past week on drug and illegal handgun charges and immediately fired by the World Wrestling Federation. Wait, Crush was still working for the World Wrestling Federation? He was in the Royal Rumble. Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> After basically Adam- being not being around for like six months. Yeah. Adams, 31, was arrested on March 13th by the Narcotics Enforcement Division of Public Safety in Hawaii. He was released after posting a $10,275 bond. He had been living in Kona on the island of Hawaii and operating a Gold's Gym while on hiatus from WF for the past year, although he did appear, appear at the Royal Rumble in January in Tampa. After an eight-day investigation, which started when the Customs Mail Branch found a package that allegedly contained 500 units of anabolic steroids, oops, Police searched Adams' home and allegedly found several unregistered semi-automatic handguns and other drugs, including marijuana. He was booked on 12 counts, five for gun registration violations, and seven counts of promoting harmful drugs. Let's see. He never should have opened all those uh, FedEx packages from Billy Jack Haynes. Before we go more in depth on this, uh, talking about Bix, you have uh, the news coverage of this. So, uh, what's there in, in there that's interesting, if anything? I mean, nothing really that's not here. Okay. As far okay. as I can tell. Um, although it took several days to make the local paper, well, in detail, to yeah. make the local papers. How big of a, it shows how big of a storm Brian Adams is in his own home. Good boy. Well, the best part of this is on. WWF Mania that weekend, which I believe is the only show where they do this for some reason. They have Todd Pettengill read off a statement about how Crush is no longer affiliated with the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> Sadly, that's not not on YouTube, I don't think. But uh, yeah, I wonder I'm if for- uh, Canada's Brian Adams issued a statement. To- <laughs> He said it cut it. It cut like a knife when that news came. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I I believe if if I remember correctly, I think uh, he was ultimately sentenced to five years probation. But uh, it was evidently hard probation, uh, during which he got a forehead tattoo, nose ring, and somehow became a black nationalist. <laughs> yeah. And then yes. the forehead debut debut forehead tattoo disappeared <laughs> when he left the uh, black nationalist uh, <laughs> society yeah. that he had joined. Yeah, he he left, he left the black nationalist and joined the white nationalist. <laughs> so what a what a what a, uh, a a career trajectory for one Brian Adams. I mean, trained in Japan at New Japan Dojo was an American ninja. Then becomes a leather leather daddy, a demolition with pain <laughs> yeah. on his face. Then becomes a you know good guy Hawaiian. Then becomes a bad guy Hawaiian. No, don't forget that then, he was also an anti-American Hawaiian. When he was uh, yeah, anti-American guy. Hawaiian. So he went back to Japan. Then he comes back, uh, and, you know, as a totally different guy with dreadlocks and his uh, chain nose chain. Then he is as a black nationalist. 
and then he becomes a white nationalist with, with long <laughs> yeah. hair. And then he uh, goes to WCW and uh, becomes an NWO member, then becomes a member of Chronic. I mean, good Lord, Brian Adams, what a uh, career that man had. And he was going to be a boxer managed by the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. Um, First oh, guy who ever okay. became a white nationalist and got rid of a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and meanwhile, I did dig a little more. I found a Hartford Current story from Mania Weekend mm-hmm. where Vince is quoted about one Brian Adams. Yeah. So it says McAd- uh, McAdam. That's a different person <laughs> John, entirely. Sean McAdams. <laughs> McMahon said Wednesday that Adams no longer wrestles for the WWF, although he was still under contract. It was a really stupid thing for him to do, for which I'm sure he's really sorry, McMahon said. I don't think that a little blemish like that in any way tarnishes the WWF. <laughs> of course not. So, uh... Connor, what do you think about this? I mean, what's what, what the biggest mistake? Uh, getting drugs sent by the mail. Why? How are? I mean, really? How do you not? Expect <laughs> well, at least it wasn't in a coffee can like uh, Jeff Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, there's, well, there's been a few wrestlers have been popped like that over the years. I think uh, Warlord, correct? Um, uh, he was yeah. popped for steroids through the mail, but Lesnar. Uh, yeah, in OVW, um, and well, also allegedly Ron Waterman in that same bust as well. Yeah. Well, somehow, uh, supposed uh, Kevin Kelly, that would be uh, nailed. Uh, supposedly, when he was doing a tour of Japan, uh, he he was in such desperate need of marijuana that uh, he had some mailed to him in Japan, which uh, seems like a really bad idea. Uh, yes. Especially <laughs> but, there. Uh, got away with it, apparently. Supposedly it was uh, none other than Jim Duggan's wife who mailed it. <laughs> she seemed like a fine, upstanding woman. <laughs> who knew that she was a drug mule? Amazing. Just never know. But, yep, yeah, so Brian Adams, of course, you know, he, you know, he gets probation and comes back and... Everything's all hunky-dory again for him after that. So there you go. All right. So Dave was at the Raw taping in Stockton, California, on March 13th. So we'll have the live Raw, and he'll have notes on the tape Raws after the fact. Uh, it has a sellout, virtually no paper, 2,800 fans. Even though people don't think of California as such, Stockton is closer to a Southern-style rural wrestling audience, so the crowd reactions and response was way different from shows 70 miles away in the Bay Area. Let me talk about this. I know people that live in California. I know people that live in New York State. I know people that live in Pennsylvania. You get out in those central parts of those states, it's as southern, if not more southern, <laughs> redneck than fucking the south is. The further central north California, you go, the further south you go. I mean, well, I mean, you go to upstate New York. I mean, good lord. But I mean, it's redneck. So, of course, I could see where Dave's talking about here being a more Southern-style wrestling audience. Ray Stevens country is what you're saying. Singer and wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah. I Buck Owens country, too, I imagine. Baker's, Merle Haggers from Baker's. Yes. Yeah. So, the Bakersville sound. So, yeah. uh, Dwight Yoakam. 
Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I just read a great uh, biography of Merle Haggard. Oh, yes, a, a true legend. Oh, Hag. Yes. Absolutely. All right, the crowd was extremely hot early, although they eventually cooled down as the show passed the four-hour mark. Still not as long as AEW. Uh, it was the best of taping ever out here because they did so few squashes. The live show opened with The Undertaker pinning King Kong Bundy with a clothesline at 640 and a match to get the two synchronized for Mania. The crowd was hot because it was early in the show, but the match was even worse than you'd think. They put these guys on early in the show at Mania or they're taking a risk of a dead match after the ring intros. Negative half a, one, a star, one and a half stars. Oh, I'm sure that referee Larry Young... <laughs> will help make yeah. the WrestleMania match even better. <laughs> well, a, a, the dead man's in the match, so of course it's going to be a dead match. <laughs> they did the roadie. They did roadie doing a bit with Manny Garcia to keep the crowd entertained before the live Raw started. Roadie is actually great in his role. He really was. Brian Armstrong, I mean, he found himself doing that gimmick, and then he took off after the fact. But, yeah, it was good to see him... Uh, start blossoming at this point in time. Yes, and Manny Garcia, definitely the... Uh, no better than the second best WWF ring announcer named Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of, uh, right, of course, I'll... of uh, Nature Boy Buddy Rydell fam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's close. All right, so next we have uh, Ernie Ladd. Yes, the big cat. Being reviewed as a former f- former football player won the wrestling. With last time he started wrestling, he wasn't very good, which was true. But because it was football day, he was pushed to the moon everywhere he went. And he talked about Lawrence Taylor and his chance against Bam Bam Bigelow. So let's go to Vincent Man and the Big Cat Ernie Ladd in an empty arena. Is respected, both from a National Football League standpoint as well as the World Wrestling Federation standpoint. It's yours, Big Cat, Ernie Ladd. You terrorize the football field. You terrorize the squared circle in the WWF. Is it me or does Vince in this era with his turtleneck and his haircut and his weird non-supplements face, is it me or does he look like Robert Evans, the film producer, <laughs> not the wrestler? Um, I mean, kind of. I mean, he, he's... Well, excuse me, not either of the wrestlers. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of, uh, he's got, he's got that dry look going with his hair, you know, he, he does, he, he, it's interesting look for him. Kid notorious Vince McMahon. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You've done it all from all pro to hall of fame. You've done it all in both fields. And therefore, since perhaps no one else living today is qualified as much as you are to render opinion as to Lawrence Taylor's chances against Bam Bam Bigelow, we ask you the question. What kind of a chance does Lawrence Taylor have against Bam Bam Bigelow at WrestleMania? My honest opinion, it's a very difficult situation. He was a great football player, without a shadow of a doubt, Hall of Famer, the very first time around. Bam Bam Bigelow is in his arena. Lawrence Taylor is not in his arena. Great athlete. What chance would he have? His chances are not very, very good. I will communicate with him, if possible, as much as I can to try to help him get an edge. But then but again, there's no edge. You made it, though. 
I made it, but I chose to. I started, I trained, and I trained, and I trained, and I trained, and I trained to be a wrestler. I didn't make it, per se, my very first year. It took some time. I got my nose pushed into the mat, elbows bloody, mm-hmm. knees bloody. But when you talk about emotions, I think Lawrence Taylor is wrestling on emotions. I think pride has something to do with it. And you know what happened to Lucifer? He got kicked out of heaven because of pride. I'm not saying Lawrence Taylor's going to be destroyed because of pride. Lawrence Taylor's a great athlete, not a good athlete. It's a difference between a good athlete and a great athlete. If he can generate some type of element of surprise, it'll make a difference on his side. But there are people on the outside who would like to see Lawrence Taylor hurt also. I understand around the ring. No question. So... I don't see his chances being very good from the beginning. I really don't. Well-respected opinion, ladies and gentlemen, of the big cat, Ernie Ladd. Mr. Ladd, we thank you very much for joining us tonight on Monday Night Raw and wish you the very best of luck. One of the most respected individuals, ladies and gentlemen, in all of the National Football League and the political spectrum and certainly here in the World Wrestling Federation. Thank you. My pleasure. I could listen to Ernie Ladd talk all day. (laughs) Yeah. That's so saying good. Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. I mean, yeah, he's just such a great you know, speaker and just fantastic promos a wrestler. But that's the thing about this, Bix, is did having Ernie Ladd, somebody like him who had been a, a star in football and became a star in wrestling, him and giving his opinion and all this, I mean, that gives the whole thing gravitas. This whole Lawrence Taylor thing. There was no leaving a person who could be a better fit in any way. You know, no. there he maybe Wahoo. Wahoo was not as accomplished a football player as Lad, though. Not as accomplished, no. And, Wahoo was a hell of a football player, but not as two football players Vince had heard of. So, yeah, although Wahoo <laughs> had that residual heat, although he had been in there by then, yeah. but. But but still, I mean, yeah, those are the two biggest football player names that was in wrestling. So, and you have Ernie Ladd basically on retainer. That's the guy you you use absolutely. Yeah, and he he was a great wrestling promo, but he was a just plain amazing speaker. Period. Hmm. Yes. Oh God. Yes. Yes. I do like the random reference to uh, to in oh respecting the political arena as well. <laughs> he was. I mean, have you ever seen that shoot interview? Well, yeah, I'll ask you, O'Connor. You ever seen the shoot interview on this on High Spots with Ernie Lane? I, I remember seeing it. Yes, yeah, been been a while. You know what the best part of that whole shoot interview is? There's the stuff he talks about before his wrestling career. Mm-hmm. Him talking about his childhood and talking about playing at Grambling. Mm-hmm. Amazing storyteller. But he was, oh. he was friendly with the Bush family, was he not? Yes. 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 Yeah, well, they're all from that same neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. You know, Wahoo the same way. So, yeah. Ernie Ladd, awesome. Love me some big cat, Ernie Ladd. All right. So, how do you follow that? Well, the Head Shrinkers and the Blue Brothers went to a double count out nine twenty two, <laughs> two and a quarter stars. <laughs> of course, the Blue Twins, Jacob and Eli, being Ron and Don Harris. 
Yes, yes. They they were very curious to see if the things they had heard about the hardness of Samoan heads was true. <laughs> they had the calipers in their trunks ready to go and everything. Well, they they came too early, O'Connor. Imagine them uh, if they were in their prime in this era being the lead tag team and control your narrative. Oh, God. <laughs> Would you go in the rant room with them, Bix? <laughs> <laughs> would i be allowed to have any weapons <laughs> i mean it's a broom closet you'd pro- probably find something in there bit <laughs> i g- given what they did to Shawn michaels and being that he is not a member of the tribe i would definitely uh, <laughs> I-, I would make sure i came prepared so there you go yeah all right I mean, uh... to say nothing of what we realized last week that uh, they they may have act unknowingly had a role in whatever happened with Billy Jack Haynes in his weird rib fake tryout thing. <laughs> with the fake Pat Patterson, yes. Well, you, we think might be a fake Pat Patterson, yeah. Well, yes. All right, uh, so on television, they announced that it was supposed to be one, two, three, Kid and Bob Holly against the Blue Twins, but Kid and Holly weren't there, although they actually were. And also that Alpha and Captain Lou Albano weren't there, blaming the bad weather. The weather was real bad a few days earlier, but the weather was fine the day of the show. Dave's guesses of all the cutbacks, and they are noticeable comparing this taping with those he's seen in the past from a production standpoint. They probably wanted to save money by not flying Alpha and Captain Lou to the West Coast for a shot. <laughs> Just the mini bar savings for uh, leaving <laughs> Captain Lou behind would be in the low five figure. Oh, not 1995 <laughs> Captain Lou. 1995 Captain Lou ain't drinking anymore. Uh, well, how about the, well, how about they're not bringing Alpha to the Bay Area? Yeah, how about that? Or the, excuse, not the Bay Area, but you know that part of California. Northern California. Well, yeah, yeah that is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, he, was he in Pennsylvania at that point? Yeah, he yeah probably. Mm-hmm. Either that, or he's in Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. Either. No, I think he had settled into Pennsylvania by then. Barry Orwell an interview for an IC time match with Jeff Jarrett, and he's talked with Razor Ramon and knows Jarrett's weaknesses. Jim Cornette said Horowitz's one loss record was oh and forever. Because they had no video walls, the fans live are actually in the darkest of the storyline, so they didn't react the way they should have the Horowitz gaining the early near falls. Fans live saw it as nothing but a squash match, and Jarrett isn't nearly as over as he should be with this push. So it's actually good for his storyline on television. That's an interesting point Dave brings up that I always thought O'Connor is that as much as they pushed double J, it never seemed like he got to that level of being over as he should have with fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I mean, I, as a teenage WWF fan at the time, I can't say that uh, I was too high on old double J. I didn't, didn't hate him, but yeah, I think might might be kind of a a Ray Stevens deal where it didn't didn't quite <laughs> translate to north of the Mason Dixon. Maybe I mean he's basically doing honky talk man, but honky talk man so he had more heat. Mm-hmm. He was bit- just naturally just something about honky was just just rub people the wrong way. Yeah. Biggs, what do you think about that? I think this, that despite the fact that if you ask other wrestlers or even Jeff, 
they feel he was a better worker as a heel. <sighs> Outside of that first, he you know, heel Memphis run, there's just something about him as a heel that never felt like it fully clicked the way it should have, even though you can't really fault anything he's doing. Uh, you know when it did? When he w did his 1999 WFU run. Yes. When he got, and that's when Jeff Jarrett became the, the most over he had been in his career, coming off that, going WCW. It's, it's doing that gimmick. I think it, it was the gimmick fa that fans didn't take him seriously. And then just time to build him back up. And well, then, you know, once he had the new push, that was really the first time that he was anything more than an accessory for Deborah being the star of the act. Mm hmm. Yeah. All right. So um, there's that. All right. During the spot where they played the control center, they had a live match with Luis Piccoli, meaning Miguel Perez Jr. Wow. They opened strong, but the crowd didn't get into them because they didn't know him. Finish came out of nowhere on Norlife Suplex. Dave was watching a guy who gives time cues, and it looked like he gave the go-home sit on nowhere, so the guy isn't that much of a chance. That would be who, Mark Eden? Probably. But, uh, yeah, Miguel Perez Jr. getting a uh, dart match here during the live Raw, O'Connor. Yeah. They, they gave the go-home before he could even hit the uh, space-flying tiger drop. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I mean, this is uh, the type of hidden gem that uh, I would love to see. Uh, Miguel could really go in this era, and Louie was always solid. And uh, I guess, I don't know, the irony here is that uh, Miguel's favorite rib was uh, apparently blading other wrestlers after they fell asleep in public places, which uh, in Louie's case uh, might have had him looking like the second coming of King Curtis within a week. <laughs> oh, no. It's a, hey, imagine if Miguel Perez Jr. and Mr. Hughes weren't together in a He would have been like Abdullah. <laughs> the, oh, my God. The irony is it's probably the only time Miguel ever used a razor in this era. What do you think Vince thought? Uh, <laughs> seeing Miguel... Yeah, hair suits Miguel Perez Jr. on the monitor. Well, hey, remember, I mean, he hired him later on. He had, you know, so he bought yeah, him in. They, they yeah. also shaved him. Yeah, there's that too. And Dutch, when he was there, he was always covered up in a shirt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and you notice when Lawler started working there, he, uh, he started shaving his chest. So. <laughs> yes. All right, the main event, speaking of Lawler, the main event of Raw was Lawler beating Bret Hart by countout in A47 when Bull Nakano, who was Lawler's manager for the match, held Bret's leg hiding underneath the ring. Two stars. Since this was a Southern-type crowd, Lawler worked them to perfection and got excellent heat. He really looks his age in his work, though. The show ended with an angle where Jarrett came out with a contract saying he's going to give Horowitz a rematch because he was complaining backstage and signed a contract. Before Horowitz could sign, Bob Backlund in his nutty professor outfit came out and put Horowitz in the chicken wing, grabbed the pen, and he signed the contract. I still can't get over Bull Nakano as Jerry Lawler's manager. That's, that's cool. <laughs> so we don't have this pulled up, but I remember this. Her facials when she comes out as Lawler's surprise second are the highlight of this episode of Raw. 
I don't remember what. I mean, so what? Why was she out there? What was the connection? I mean, because this is early in the Jerry Lawler accuses Bret Hart of being racist toward Japanese people storyline. Oh, that's uh, yes. yes. What a great storyline. Could you imagine that happening today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rob, Rob Bahari's all-time favorite WWF storyline, of course. <laughs> Of, of all the people to uh, accuse of racism to uh, beloved Canadian Bret Hart, who uh, solved peace in the Middle East. Yes. Well, hey, CM Punk thinks he deserves that Saudi Arabia money. So <laughs> there you go. And I mean, we know we know what Lawler probably thinks of Bret being married to a black woman now. So, <laughs> well. I'm not going to say nothing, nothing from that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Dave talks about the next Raw. So uh, the next episode had uh, another dark match for the episode where Miguel and Louie win in squashes. Two dark Miguel matches. Lot, yeah. yeah, two dark matches. Miguel looked a lot better the second time out. The crowd oohed and awed at his hot moves. But he works a serious style without exaggerated movements and facials as in the United States. So they didn't convey much of a personality and didn't really get over. Spicoli looked okay. <laughs> it's also, I mean, it's weird when you think about it, though, because it's not like Perez didn't have experience do, working in American style. It's it's he like just... he could either work Lucha style or work American style, but not both at the same time. He just it wasn't a naturally charismatic guy, I don't think, but uh, great, great worker. Yes. Yeah, uh, Otakon was the more charismatic. <laughs> yes. So, all right. So, Raw for the March 20th began with Razor Ramon over Henry Godwin at 508 with a screw up. Razor did a messed up Bulldog top, which wasn't supposed to be the finish. Godwin kicked out at two, but referee Danny Davis, still there, kind of threw anyway, and boy, did Razor look hot. Not as in hot as in <laughs> being handsome, hot as in pissed. Brody was supposed to do an angle for the finish and then did it afterwards. Razor did the Razor's Edge afterwards and had Danny Davis cut the fall the way it was supposed to be. Well, editing, folks. Editing. One, two, three kid did a save with some great kicks on Brody, one of which bloodied up the bridge of his nose. Star and a half. So wait a second. He busted open Brody and Jarrett's noses within a month? <laughs> Yeah, he was working stiff, brother. Because he, because he, he, you know, he busts open Jared at Mania. Jared does that post-match interview with his nose bleeding heavily. No, yeah. uh, that he, one he I remember. Stiff, yeah. That one I remember Wade in the torch describing it as, and I think I feel like I watched this back at some point and it was right. That was not the kick itself being a live round as much as the. Waltman jumped too high and overshot the kick, but the lower leg just ended up drilling uh, Jared in the nose anyway. Instead of yeah. the kicking leg. Not great. It happens. Tag title match saw smoking guns over the heavenly bodies in 1610 when Bart pinned Jimmy Del Rey with a backs off a bridge. Very good match and everyone working hard, but there were several messed up spots at the end that will likely be covered in post-production. Three stars. They had good chemistry, those teams. Final, ma final match was a King Kong Bundy handicap match. Before the match started, they introduced Steve Mongo Bit Michael, and he's a real ham. 
looking all the, at all embarrassed or out of place like most outsiders brought in for the angle. Oh boy, what with Dave? Uh, what if he didn't know the future? I tell you that. The job guys are worse than Bundy, so you can imagine how bad this was. Mongo was doing color for this match when Teddy Biasi came out with Kama, who people around Dave were saying stuff like, "Hey, that's chemo." <laughs> <laughs> Kama threw a drink in Mongo's face and they did a pull-apart brawl exactly as a pull-apart should be. Pat Patterson, Jerry Briscoe, and Amanda Central are really pissed as part of the act. They sure inside they were green for me to hear because this came off great. I forget, have we done the week this aired? Uh, this is the 20th, yes. Okay. And it, wa- and it was. Mongo, I mean, you could see it then that this guy, he could be in wrestling. Yes. Absolutely. I, he also has the best Steve, Mc, at least intentional Steve McMichael line ever, where he keeps calling Kama coma because that's his condition. <laughs> <laughs> Next up was a taping for the March 26th March to WrestleMania special. Yeah. At this point, the crowd was losing it as well. Jaren versus Backlund for the title was awful, but post-match was very good. Bob worked as a babyface as far as the spots went but did his heel facials. Nobody cared all about the match, though, even though Jarrett really sold great. Backlund had Jarrett set up in the chicken wing when Razor attacked Backlund for the DQ. No doubt a storyline being that he wanted to make sure Jarrett was still champ for WrestleMania next week, half a star. Backlund put the chicken wing on Razor after the match. Poor Razor, they put them in the post-WrestleMania program, while Jarrett and Rhodey made it three-on-one. Brent, one, two, three, Kid made the save, with Kid throwing some incredibly fast kicks that Rhodey sold great. Well, I'm sure he was. Bam Bam Bigelow pinned Sione at 503. Sione Barbarian. With a crossbody block, one star. Ted DiBiase pinned Bigelow. Then did an interview with Bigelow, Bundy Tatanka, talking about the football players at ringside. And also mentioned that IRS Nikolai Volkov would also be at ringside. That's inspiring uh, the motivation there, I guess. Bret Hart beat Owen Hart in short with a short shoot in 1230. This was much better than the recent house show match, just as they went twice as long. Best match on the show, three and a half stars. Hey, the Canadians are bringing the goods, O'Connor. Of course. And by the way, I just checked, uh, because I was trying to pin this down, um, Razor and Backlund had already just worked a house show program of sorts, (laughs) or at least a house show match, because that's when the thing with Dick Murdoch being in Backlund's (laughs) quarter happened. I could only find one actual result, though. From uh, from the spectrum of all places, yeah. But it, according to, Mel- I'm guessing they had more than just the one match. But as Meltzer has explained it over the years, they got booked against each other for house shows, and Razor was like, "Well, uh, bring in Dick Murdoch to manage him, so I have someone I can do shtick with." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have Bob Holly and Alundra Blaze beating Bull Nakano and Hakushi in 728 when Alundra pinned Bull with a German suplex. Some may like this match because they did a three-die spot in the finish, which is unique to American wrestling, but it was a disappointment. Holly and Hakushi couldn't work together at all, which is understandable with the style clash. Blaze and Bull didn't either, and after all this time, that isn't understandable. Bull's offense looks so weak, which is weird because it used to look great. Her knees are in bad shape as well, to the point you can see her knees buckle just when she's standing there. Star on three quarter. You know, uh, something else that can make your knees buckle when you're just standing there: cocaine. <laughs> just yeah. saying, it's a hell of a drug. I heard. Diesel's interview with Vince McMahon. Speaking of cocaine, 
McMahon was carrying the interview, which was going nowhere, with Diesel saying things like, if Michaels played baseball, he'd have hit 400, and saying Michaels is the best athlete in the world today. Finally, Michaels and Psycho Sid came out. Michaels made the interview basically say, or like Diesel, who had things given to him, he had to work his way up for seven years to reach his spot and promise a performance of a lifetime. Where this is worth the rumor going around is that Michaels won't win the title after all, but will win King of the Ring. Wow. Well, no, he gets neither. Uh, the final match of the special saw Lex Luger beat Tatanka in a cage match in 1615. The guys in post-production are going to earn their money on this one. It was terrible. Had no crowd heat. Made worse by the fat fans were leaving in droves during the match. Dud. And then the dark match finale, with maybe 1,300 fans left, saw Diesel and Razor beat Michaels and Jarrett when Diesel jetknifed Jarrett in 11-10. Of course, the non-click guy did the job. Two or three-quarter stars. Michaels took bumps like psychosis during this match. Oh, I'm sure he did. (laughs) So uh, there you go. Stockton, uh, California, getting a long-ass taping. And Dave's there for it. Now, Raw did a 3.4 rating with Lawler and Brett in the main event. Action Zone did a 2.3. Mania, 1.3. Ratings for both groups are the best they've been in a long time. Much of that being seasonal patterns and generally lousy weather in the most populous areas. They keep yeah, growing, probably. though, for WWF especially. Yeah? Well, it, I mean, that 94 was so horrible that 95, you know, was looking so much better that people, you know, actually feel like watching again. Yeah. So, that's that. Now, on Mania, this is a torch talking. On Mania highlights here from the first five WrestleManias included Andre the Giant Slam and Hulk Hogan. I guess it'd be the other way around. On Challenge, the footage aired of Hogan and Andre in reference to the huge Pontiac Silverdome crowd. Gorilla Monsoon Ted DiBiase made disparaging comments about Hogan. DiBiase said, well, 93,173 in WrestleMania 3. That's over eight years ago, back when Hulk Hogan was in his prime. Monsoon said it was like the I Like Ike era, and boy, did they like Hogan back then. <laughs> yeah, d- apart from having the same hairline, I'd be uh, hard pressed to think of many similarities between uh, Hulk Hogan and Dwight D. Eisenhower. <laughs> no, uh, I don't think there's much of any uh, similarities there. <laughs> now, this is for Robin O'Connor here. Victor Quinones is at the show trying to work out a trade where Miguel Perez will work for WF in exchange for WF letting him use talent for his. Be- Ba- baseball stadium show. <laughs> so there you go. That's why Miguel was there. It was all Victor's yes. master plan. Well, I, I was told that uh, as per the terms of the proposed trade, uh, Steve Lombardi would have wound up uh, with the keys to the sports car for the weekend. <laughs> uh, no idea why that would be. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> But I just love that Vic, that that Victor just shows up, you know, because <laughs> he is, you know, gorilla, you know, gorilla's still hanging around, so yeah, that's how the inroad there. But uh, Victor's all over it this week. We'll have more on him later. So uh, yeah, Victor's all over the show. So here's part one of Victor. All right, then now two more matches oh, remaining. Quick, by the way, yeah. uh, I pulled up one of these last issues of Matt Watch. Just to see what the averages were for the rating. Like, they are showing, outside of Mania, which hasn't moved much, they are showing a lot of, like, like sudden movement upwards. That's the thing, because, like, the February average for Raw was 3-1, Action Zone was 1.75, Mania was 1.4, but still, that's a big swing upwards in such a small amount of time for all for those shows. 
Yeah. Yeah, now Super Match Romania. Luger and Davy Boy against the Blues. And this one goes defending is Owen and a mystery partner. No word of who it is, but do know that they are, they are or were interested in it being Chris Benoit and shooting them immediately to the top of the tag team division. The latter match is in WF Magazine, so it was originally planned. However, they just ran the middle of the mission angle on television over the weekend. Where Dave was told is that middle of the mission's idea was a late one. They may have gotten the spot of Mania, but something happened and they were suspended. By the way, they weren't at TV and they aren't around right now. Well, before we get to that, Chris Benoit and Owen Hart. O'Connor, 1995 as tag champions. Imagine that. What what could have been. I I mean, I was reading the sheets by this point, so I had uh, heard this rumor and was uh, very excited uh, by the prospect of Benoit teaming with Owen, uh, possibly working with Davey Boy. But, uh, yeah, what a a downgrade uh, going uh, from that to men on a mission. (laughs) <laughs> well uh, owen and yoko well yes yes i mean i i loved yoko but uh yeah when when did uh benoit do those tryouts that was june i believe june okay yes which i i'm able to remember to a degree because the match with bob holly that takes place during a live raw airs while they're showing the bulldog owen king of the ring qualifying match which was actually taped at the may in your house Mm -hmm. in struthers ohio at the struthers high school in front of 1450 fans (laughs) that was raw at struthers high school in struthers ohio 1450 fans raw taping i'm sure they called it the struthers field house or something right yeah yeah all right, so on Action Zone, an Action Zone exclusive, we had Middle of the Mission against the Smoking Guns, and this is where the big heel turn goes down. So let's watch that, shall we? Oh, boy. This is before they... T- they turn on Oscar separately, though, right? Uh, yes. Reverse martial arts take my move! Reverse martial arts... Uh-oh. Watch this. He turns around. Here comes Mo. Mo. And the Mobile. Billy got rolled. What the fuck? Whose fault was that? I get to put it on Mo, unfortunately. Yeah, let's rewind that back, shall we? I need to see that again to properly describe it. Okay, so Mo goes up to the top. For flying body press onto uh, one Billy of the gun club. William Gunn. Yeah, he is Billy Gunn again. Might as well just call him that. He turns around. Here comes Mo. Mo. With the mobile. Billy Gunn's rolled through it. He's up the left. Okay, that was definitely Mo's fault. So (laughs) Billy is clearly trying to do the roll through counter that he knows is the finish. And Mo appears to just kind of sandbag it or something. Well... Well, as George uh, George South used to put it, uh, when evaluating certain wrestlers, uh, rather diplomatically by his standards, uh, Mo was a little bottom heavy. Which <laughs> actually, George uh, helped uh, train him, as a matter of fact. Uh, yeah. Now that now that I think about it, but uh, yeah. actually, I, I was thinking the other day, uh, who is the most random wrestler to perform a moonsault in a wrestling match? 
And could it be Mo for Men on a Mission? Does anyone else remember his moonsault, the Mo yeah. salt? Yeah, it's from in your house, too. Yes. Anyway. in a Canadian did a job correct. <laughs> yeah. What is going on here? What the, wait, there's Ray. All right, let's go down to Ray. Hey, Mark, Mark. Why, why did you do that? What's the meaning of this? about our business. You stay out of our way. I, I can't believe it. Cannot believe it. We'll be back. You know, you know how you, I mean, it's so obvious they were turning heel because they had black hair. <laughs> you notice they didn't have their hair dyed. Oscar still had his hair dyed. They didn't. They had black hair. That's how you know they're healing. Instead of black ties, black hair. <laughs> Those splashes from Mabel uh, looked looked a little stiff. Uh, he was known for that. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's send uh, best wishes to Mo. By the way, uh, you know he's uh, struggling with some health health issues. Uh, in need of a kidney transplant. Uh, yeah. I heard he uh, he found a match last week, but uh, unfortunately it turned out to be Conan. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's not going to work. No, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, yeah, it, it, this, uh, this turn just came out of nowhere. You know, there was no build or nothing. It just, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> it and it's was... in mania time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was, was well well executed enough, I thought, but uh King turn, yeah. I mean mm-hmm. I guess that's what they were going for, the shot factor. But Mo largely stops wrestling and kinda of becomes a manager. Yeah. But shouldn't shouldn't don't you think uh Oscar should have been kept on board as a heel? Imagine some heel Oscar raps. Yeah, I mean, they could have had him go in a gangster rap direction. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. He could have come out there and wear, you know, wear, you know, wearing, uh, I'm trying to think, some Carl Canais and stuff like <laughs> that, you know, some high tech boots. 
you know, Easy get with a, with a do, do rag over his head. Yes. <laughs> was, yeah, was, I mean, no, he was uh, Oscar was East Coast, I guess. So he'd be. Uh, yes. Puffy's camp. <laughs> well, Puffy went gangster, right? He'd be more like. Um, uh, who would be a good one for you? Well, a lot of those East Coast guys kind of, you know, I, mean, yeah, I guess Bad Boy would count in a way. Yeah, but um, but it was funny watching in Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang, yeah. Wu-Tang's pretty good. A good call. But it was funny to watch some of those East Coast guys change their image, the ones that were hot in the early part of the 90s, and yes. start changing their image to become more hard. Yes. Always funny. But uh, yeah, it did wonders for Mabel's career. You know, yeah. King Mabel. So... It, it worked in that regard. So there you go. All right. So also on television on the weekend, Carl Pierre Ouellette reappeared in his new guise as pirate Jean-Pierre Lafitte. And he capitalized pirate for some reason, as if his name is pirate Jean-Pierre Lafitte. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he he's a, wears an eye patch. He's from New Orleans. Although his first interview, which went on far too long, he acknowledged formerly being Pierre de Quebecer, but said, today I have a new story. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's watch this, and uh, I'm sure that Robert had plenty to say about this promo, so let's go oh, to yes. it. Many of you will remember me as Pierre de Quebecer. Why not? I am an extraordinary, gifted wrestler. Tout le monde le sait. But today, I come to you with a different story to tell, mon ami. The year was 1815. The place was Walks and Bayous of New Orleans. My great-great-grandfather was a legendary pirate. He gladly gave his ships, his men, his cannons, and his gold to defend America and the free world from hostile enemies. And what did he get in return? Insult, humiliation, banishment. <laughs> Forced to roam the seven seas like a trench rat. Superstars lies wallowing in their own. 
soldiers of defeat. I will write my book on the entire universe. Beware <laughs> the revenge of Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Wow, that was long. Yeah, <laughs> well, I had to, to make full use of those uh, dramatic sound effects, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the seagull noises, especially. <laughs> All right, so Connor, I'm going to you first, especially since this is uh, Carl Willette. And uh, wow, what a uh, personality he <laughs> yeah. just had there. My God. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... I was happy to see him uh, repackaged and get a push, but uh, it was a little over the top, a little corny. But uh, actually, uh, so you're never going to believe this, guys, but uh, I've gone down a bit of a rabbit hole. And uh, it turns out Pierre was neither the first nor the last prominent wrestler to find out he was related to a famous pirate. Oh, okay. Would you uh, would you like to hear a short list of other wrestlers uh, you may not know had pirate blood? Oh wow, this is a revelation on between the sheets. So yes, yeah. uh, and an exclusive here. Mm-hmm. So uh, for for example, uh, Jacques Rougeau, Pierre's former tag team partner, amazingly enough, uh, found out he was a descendant of the mysterious French pirate Jacques Desor. Jacques said he was first made aware of the relation by way of a premonition from fellow Quebecer Terry Garvin, who told him, Jacques, you are going to be sore tomorrow. Aww. Next, yes. uh, Ro Robert Fuller, of all people, <laughs> who would have guessed? Was uh, surprised. No, it's not a Long John Silver joke. <laughs> Calm down, Bix. Uh, Robert Fuller, of all people, was surprised to learn he was the last living relative of the notorious English pirate William Vane. He said it all makes sense now because for as long as he can remember, people have told him he is remarkably veiny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Another Canadian, uh, Michael Elgin, believe it or not, was found to be an heir to another legendary French pirate, Francois Leclerc. The similarities become apparent when one considers the fact that Leclerc was the first known pirate with a peg leg. And in spite of his unfortunate pegging, they amassed a substantial booty, which legend has it remains buried deep in parts unknown, waiting to be plundered. <laughs> and finally, our old friend Bug Zoomhoff no. discovered, he, discovered no. he, he was related no. to the star-crossed Scottish pirate William Kidd, which was no surprise, he said, as many nights he found himself staring at family albums thinking, I know this isn't right, but I feel like a kid. <laughs> Robert O'Connor, everybody. <laughs> so uh, back to Carl Ouellette. Uh <laughs> Yes. It was his idea to start wearing an eye patch, but not to be a pirate. He figured that even if he was a heel, 
it, if I remember the way he explained it to me right, even if he was a heel, to start acknowledging the fact that he only had one eye could be good for, you know, something that's still inspiring for kids with disabilities and to show them what they can do and blah, blah, blah. But eye patch turned into pirate, turned into <laughs> Jean-Pierre Lefebvre. Well, it's wrestling. It's especially mid-90s WWF. Uh, not not a surprising turn of events. But still, that was just so long. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I mean, that's crazy how long that was, but yeah. Alright, well, we won't play this, but Pam Anderson interview with Shawn Michaels where she acts like she doesn't want to be around him. Gee, I want to want. <laughs> well, actually, uh, I believe uh, Pamela said uh, Sean was the biggest dick she'd ever been around, which is uh, <laughs> saying something considering she was married to Tommy Lee. <laughs> but but by the way, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the day the infamous uh, Tommy Lee Pamela Anderson sex tape leaked uh, was the same day Bob Ryder bought his first boat. <laughs> As soon as he saw that, <laughs> it was a, it's for, it's inspiration, inspiration for old you Bob. You, you never saw the tape, Biggs. I'm trying to think if I ever actually have. <laughs> you, obviously not. You don't get the joke. So, oh, I mean, I know the boat with his uh, penis. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. I know that. I just, I, I wasn't sure that was where you were going with. <laughs> Bob Ryder was uh, quite the seaman. That was, <laughs> I believe his boat was called the uh, the SS Escort. And you know, people were arriving all over it all the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Salt and Pepper will accompany LT the ring sighting, saying, "What a man!" It's his interesting music on the show. It's hilarious only because Salt and Pepper's business manager and promoter is Daryl Brooks who is the money behind IWC, <laughs> Ron Scholar's deal. Well, he's not just that? the money. He's the actual promoter. Yeah. He's a concert promoter. But anytime I, I, I think about what a man, I think about Bret Hart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Bret Hart what a man video, yes. Yes. Well, there's... Uh, I, I mean, it did, uh, did fit LT, because uh, if you listen, there's actually a line in the song... Uh, spends quality time with his kids when he can. And uh, in LT's case, uh, also spends quality time with other people's kids, uh, <laughs> as it turned out. Oh, but, uh, but, yes, sadly, yes. Oh, my goodness. I'd, I'd have rather seen them uh, play Bob Backlund to the ring with Shoop. <laughs> just me. Oh. All right, TV tapings in Fresno and San Jose this week were canceled for several reasons. March 14th in San Jose was canceled due to a lack of ticket sales. But March 13th in Fresno, originally a taping, drew a totally sold-out house of 9,000 fans, although supposedly a considerable amount was paper. The last two weeks before manual syndication will be recap shows, so they didn't need to tape anything new. Starting after Mania, the tapings will be more up to date. Generally, the Superstar shows on a Tuesday will start running 11 days after the taping, and the third show airs 25 days after the taping. They're moving it up a week by buying satellite time every Tuesday and Wednesday to satellite the shows live for the taping site, which is going to be in the Northeast, to Stanford, Connecticut. And then before the weekend, they'll post-reduce the first show and send it by satellite to various stations. The downside of this is it means the stations themselves are going to have to be 
excuse me, relied on to get the local house show promos inserted into the show rather than the station receiving a table to local promos already there. But with running fewer house shows, it's not as big a deal as it would have been. How about this, Fix? Two weeks to recap shows before WrestleMania. I don't remember this, do you? No, well, no, I do not. Hmm. So that's, that's wild. And there Two is, weeks. Yeah, and there is this note in the April-May Matt Watch, back hat Paul open for Raw Cindy. Uh, Monday Night Raw and WWF Superstars are now frequently available live on backhaul feeds for dish owners. Raw and Superstars have both been spotted on the KU band G-Star 4 satellite on various transponders. The recent Sid Vicious Shawn Michaels angle, which hasn't happened yet as of our week, obviously, uh, was seen on the backhaul feed live during a Raw commercial break. And also the, uh, yeah, the edited syndicated versions are now fed Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern for Superstars and Challenge, the Canadian versions. On yeah. Galaxy 4, Channel 11, and Fridays at noon on Telstar 4, for the U.S. versions, on Telstar 401, Channel 16. Give me the Canadian versions. <laughs> Can't get enough Ray Rougeau. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I mean, Billy Red Lions uh, used to be on there, but now we got Ray, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so now let's get the, uh, some quick hits here. WF is interested in using Aaron Watts, although probably not immediately. Uh, not not until the year 2000, in fact. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in this indeed. Um, Torch said Mike hey, Mooneyham is... Wait, he, they use him? Techno Team. Techno Team 2000. Oh, sorry. Torch said Mike Mooneyham is reporting to Charleston Post-Curd Charleston that a pit bull... From ECW would be joining WF and be billed as the cousin of Brett and Owen and a team with Owen in a program against smoking guns. That information has not been independently corroborated by the store. <laughs> what in the world? I do you guys even remember this at the no. time? I saw this and I was like, what the fuck? Ah, <laughs> uh, I'd be very curious uh, to know where this came from. I'm curious to look this up now. Okay. I mean, it's Mike Mooneyham. I mean, uh -huh. so he's not somebody that's not reputable. Oh, no, I'm sure he didn't make it up. But That's uh, just weird. It's a weird story, though. Could have had our uh, our very own Lance Hart. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that the Pitbull in question was Gary Wool, since uh, Pitbull number two did not uh, look like a heart to me. Because he was bald. <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm looking on genealogy, man. Well, it could have been Gary Hart. Imagine that. <laughs> yes. There was no result with Pitbull. Uh, what should I try? The March. F there's at least on genealogy bank. There's no Mooney M column between March 5th and March 26th, and before that, there's February 26th. So, I oh, know it's not February 26th. Uh, February 20th. No, that's not a wrestling column. So let's see what's in this March 5th one, just in case. So I try to load this. Uh, come on. Oh, here we go. Okay, here, here's what we have here, okay? Let me see if there's anything else here. All right. Going up a little bit. All right. Uh, uh, so he's talking about people who are coming into the company. Let me make sure I'm reading this from the beginning. All right. The WWF has introduced a host of new characters in recent months to bolster its new generation campaign. Among those new faces, Sid, Kama, Mantar, Urakushi, um, uh, you know, people we already know are there, and then uh, others given tryouts at recent WWF TV tapings include Jeff Barber, 
Jeff Barber, Lightning, the former WCW Tag Team Thunder and Lightning, so Jeff Farmer, Jungle Jim Steele, <laughs> uh, <laughs> someone he describes as Mike Unabon, parenthesis, Glenn Jacobs, <laughs> who most recently worked in Smoky Mountain Wrestling as Unabon. <laughs> and the you, black... don't have, uh, you never had Unabon at the, the food courts. Quite good. <laughs> and the Black Phantom, Luna Vachon's husband, David Vampire Warrior Heath. Performers expected to join the WWF in the near future include Pierre Carlet, formerly one half of the WWF Tag Team Champion Quebecers, will debut with a new pirate gimmick. The Oklahoma Kid, Eric Watts, and Luis Bacoli. <laughs> Global's John Hall. Global's. Glo- Global has not been in business since August. <laughs> Global's John Hawk and Bobby Duncan Jr. are tentatively scheduled to enter the WWF later this year. Hawk will work for the USWA in Smoky Mountain Wrestling during the summer. No. Didn't happen. Duncan, son of former NFL star Bobby Duncan. <laughs> what? I mean, will he played play, in the star. will play in the World Football League before returning to the ring. They will be managed by either Black Bart or Dutch Mantel. Ah. The Pitbull from ECW... May also join the WWF and will be billed as the first cousin of Brett Owen Hart. He is expected <laughs> to team with Owen in a program with the Smoking Guns before feuding with Brett. Some, someone needs to to ask Gary Wolf about this. Yes. Yeah, because this is this is crazy, a crazy story. So, uh, I mean, my money I must I mean got it from somebody. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, yeah. Because he had he had the right people to talk to, so yeah, that's that's wild. All right, back to the quick hits. Direct TV is off WrestleMania along with the full first ten manias and eleven show package for forty nine ninety five. Jeff has advertised this package of the first ten manias as seen Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan in their prime. I remember hearing about this, but I, I didn't have Direct TV at this point, and I've so. never heard of anyone having tapes of these. If there was anything different or whatever, but. Yeah, that was that's pretty cool. Anyway, there's that. Tor- and then we close with the torch. Says Shawn Michaels is dedicated to being as slim as possible on top of WrestleMania, with his goal of being to weigh less than 200 pounds with tight abs, both for the sick appearance and endurance. He has taken very seriously the idea of having to carry the wrestling into the WWE's biggest show of the year with Diesel. <laughs> well, it, clearly he did not want to repeat of uh, SummerSlam '93 where. His tights were the highest thing on the show besides giant Gonzalez's balls. <laughs> it's uh, fat Elvis face, of course. Oh, yes. Oh, Sean. Yeah. But there you go. WF, everybody. All right, let's go to the land of the rising sun now, and we'll start with all Japan Pro Wrestling. And not on tour at the present time, but we got one little thing here. The masked wrestler called the lacrosse. Who debuts on March 21st is Jungle Jim Steele. Not to be confused with Hook, who is the lacrosse player. Yes. I I hated to see uh, Canada's official national sport uh, sullied <laughs> by association with Jungle Jim Steele. Could have been worse. Could have been a renegade. <laughs> so, there you go. Big news for all Japan during our wake, I tell you. All right, New Japan, though, they got a little different stuff going on. Riki Choshu has been absent for New Japan shows since that group has pulled Keiji Muto, Riki Choshu, and Tetsumi Fujinami 
from the shows to build the focus around Masio Chono, Hiroshi Tenzan, Shiyashimoto, Kinsuke Saki, Hiroshi Hase, worked on the High Seishin Gun show on March the 12th at Gorkin Hall, teaming with Masaido and Yoshaki Yatsu as the original Ishin Gun to be Shiro Koshinaka, Keio Kamura, and Kunia Kobayashi. Wait, should I pull up the clip for this? I mean, it's in Japanese. Well, so. yes. Chono gained a new ally on this show in the form of War's Hiramichi Fuyuki, as the formerly dead relationship between New Japan and War is back on after the War FMW split, so the Tenru press conference from last week was no angle. Chono and Fuyuki attacked and played Great Kabuki on this show and will team up against Koshinaka and Kimura on the War uh, March 26th Kumo Hall show. Basically, to replace the FMW team and Hitsukatsuoi and Tarzan Goto, originally to appear but pulled out. Also, on March the 12th, the first ever meeting in Japan of Sabu and Wild Pegasus saw Sabu come out the winner in 1229 using the Arabian Face Buster. They dropped up with a chair. But after the match, Pegasus challenged Sabu to an anything goes match on March 21st in Osaka. Originally, Choshi was going to face all seven members of High Seas on this show, but on that show, but they cut the odds to three versus seven as Yatsu and Saida will team with Choshi against the entire High Seas Gun squad. All right, the results of this High Seas Gun show. Eto Saito defeated Yuji Nagata. Sabu over Wild Pegasus. Aisyenshin Gun, Michi and Tatsushi Goto over Hiro Saito and Hiroshi Tenzan. Then we have Masahiro Chono over the Great Kabuki. And then we had Masahiro, Riki Choshu, and Yoshaki Yatsu over Aisyenshin Guns, Ken Okamura, Kunio Kobayashi, and Shiro Koshinaka. And yes, this is that match. <laughs> Um, this is the, uh, the Bull of the Woods match that, uh, Pete Stock, Death Valley Driver, I talked about years ago in the Death Valley Driver video review when he did the review the television for this match. And, uh, yes, Bix has the clip pulled up from this deal here. So let's go ahead and watch it. Now, it's in Japanese, but it's still fun as fuck. So let's go to, uh. Masaido uh, just going absolutely insane here and slamming everybody. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Off, 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 off. This is actually not that match. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's who's in a match. It's not the match. So there was another match. Okay, because Koshinaka's teaming with Goto and Kabuki. Mm-hmm. So there was another match. How about that? Fix. So, uh... Yeah, Sorry, I didn't realize a... I had muted myself in my mixer. I mean, I guess we're going to keep going here, or... Well, wait, what's the what's the tape date for the double Corican taping? That's what I'm looking for right now. Is it so, the same uh, tour, I think? Um, yeah, so, um, let's see here. So, as I look, try to find this. But yeah, I mean, these high station gun shows kind of all run together in a way that they would, they would do, because it's the same bunch of guys, you know, working in these shows, and they're having the feud at the time with uh, Choshu crew. Because, I, yeah, I was wondering why Dave wasn't mentioning Tenzon, you know, because that's already didn't happen. Because Tenzon was with um that's when he turned and joined uh murder inc was at that show so i'm looking here to find the correct date 
at the Corrigan show, to be clear. Yeah. So that would be uh, February the 12th. So it's a month later. Nah. Well, Chris. Basically, <laughs> uh, Saito is uh, throwing people around like they were Wisconsin police officers. <laughs> so Big Sid, they don't feel as bad now not having Pete, not having Pete on the show. So next time we, uh, <laughs> next time that we, we do that, we will definitely uh, cover, we try to get Pete on that show because that show's a wild show because that's got... Uh, the match of King Okamura and Kunia Kobayashi beating Battle Maniac Taz and Sabu. <laughs> Battle Maniac I guess we're Taz. leaving all this in then, but whatever. Oh, sure. Why not? It don't matter. Hey, I was wrong. Uh, hey, I mean, again, it was a month later. And it was February the 12th. This was March the 12th. Easy to get confused. <laughs> a month to the day. But anyway, I love the I love high station gun stuff with Choshu and it's fun as fuck. Heated. I mean, what were they great matches? No, but this was some of the most heated shit. Oh, man, it was heated. All Japan had all those great epics at this time and great work rate matches. New Japan was just fucking, you know, heat, blood, violence. Awesome. Awesome. And it's like the TV show that aired that, you know, so like Pete called the review, called it New Japan Raw's War. That's what it was. It was like a fucking watching WWF. Now, the next night in Kyoto, before sell of 8200, the headline was two out of three fall match with Sabu joining the Chono Trio. So Murder Inc. in full to beat Choshu, Hashimoto, Hase, and Harada. Went 10 on Pen Harada in the third fall. Kanemoto kept the IWGP Junior title pinning while Pegasus 1641. Well, they returned to favor in a tag match two nights later as Pegasus team with Otani to beat Kanemoto team with Black Tiger, Eddie Guerrero. I'm going to read the results of this show. What a wide variety of talent here. Up in a match, Takukizuka and Yuki Shikawa over Tokamichi Isizawa and Yuji Nagata. Osamu Makito over Tony St. Clair. Grand Hamada and Norionaga over Black Cat and Black Tiger. Eddie with Black Cat. Young Lions Cup, Tetsuzaki Iwa over Shinjiro Tani. And then we have this match. The Nasty Boys over Manabara Kanishi and Tadao Yasuda. <laughs> <laughs> and you follow that with Kinsuke Sasaki over Rambo. Luke Poirier. And IWGB Junior Way title. Coach Katamoto Retainer over Pegasus. And two out of three falls, Murder Inc. over Hase Harada, Choshu, and Hashimoto. Well, wait, if it's Japan, shouldn't he be Monsieur Rambo? <laughs> Monsieur Rambo? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'm sure of all the matches on this show, uh, O'Connor, the Nasty Boys Nakanishi Yasuna match is the one that sticks out to you. <laughs> yeah, well, nothing really sticks out about uh, Brian Nobbs to me, but... Uh... <laughs> well, based on the photo you've seen, nothing really sticks out about him to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, imagine uh, the Nasty Boys and Sabu uh, on the streets of Rapongi. Oh, God. Mild yes. times. Yes. But, uh, oh, yeah, like I said, what, 95 Niche Man, watch it. Go find it. It's awesome. All right, and we close it out with Mudo, Hase, and Hashimoto are scheduled to travel to the United States in May. And we'll probably be at Slamboree. Although Dave's not sure as wrestlers or simply seconds or spectators, as Mudo was at the last pay-per-view. Huh. And Mudo defends the IWGP title 
as Muta against Paul Orndorff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I heard uh, the Japanese contingent were uh, planning to scout a couple of uh, prospective young lions on the show, uh, Dick Murdoch and Wahoo McDaniel. <laughs> In in black and white, as I recall. <laughs> so this was Slamboree, correct? Yes, yes. Uh, I'm I'm gonna pull the Slamboree line up here because I don't see who Hashimoto and Hase could have worked against on this show. <laughs> and if they would have gotten in, uh, so we had Nasty Boys over Harlem Heat, Kevin Sullivan over the Man with No Name, Wahoo over Murdoch, Mood over Orndorff. Arn Anderson over Alex Wright, Ming and Road Warrior Hall with double countout, Sting over Bubba by submission, and Hogan and Savage over Flair and Bader. Now, main event had these matches. Had the Blue Bloods over Los Especialistas. <laughs> so we could have Hostia Nashimoto against uh, Regal and Eaton. Austin over Eddie Jackie. Sergeant <laughs> Greg Pittman over Mark Starr. And Ming over Brian Pillman. Hmm. Yeah, he blew butts up and gets Hasey Hashimoto with poor, poor Brian Pillman at that time. Yeah, yeah, he had the hair weave and everything. <laughs> All right, war. Ricky Choshu reformed his tag team with Anima Hamaguchi of war. The two were a legendary team in the early and mid-80s, part of the original Ishigan. And they will team up against Tatsuto Shigoto and Micho Shihara on the War Sumo Hall show, March 26. One on War show, promoted with Gong Magazine on April 2nd at Corrigan. Going head-to-head with the rival weekly pro at the Tokyo Dome, New Japan's playing both sides of the fence as the second top singles match to the Dome. But Joshua Tenru are expected to work as a tag team man event at Corkin head-to-head. You got to do what you got to do. On March 11th at Corkin Hall on War Show in front of 2,000 fans, after Adam Hamaguchi pinned Kim Duck, Goto Onohara attacked Hamaguchi, who got in the house mic and said that Sumo Hall he'd be bringing in Choshu's as partner against them. Full results of this War Show, we had Nobukazu Arai over Masakurisu. Hiroshi Takura over Osama Tachikari. Masaori Hara and Ultimate Dragon over Ultimo Dragon and Yuji Yashiroka. I mean, Animal Hamaguchi over Kim Duck. Chinukurichiro and Kukurahara over Kuchikatao and Masaki Bochizuki. And then for the War six-man tag titles, Shiroko Shinaka, Toshigoto, Mishio retained over Gato, Jado, and Hiromichi Fuyuki in 27-34. Hey, we got a Calgary wrestler for O'Connor to discuss in the form of Ultimate Dragon, Brett Como. <laughs> yeah, well, Brett yeah. Como, that's correct. We, uh, discussed him at length uh, on my last appearance, one of my favorites. Yeah, Ultimate Dragon. Yeah, right. yeah he was he was still uh, working Calgary regularly uh, between tours. Well, so everybody thought that, that that he was the Ultimate Dragon that was working uh, Southern Indies there at the late 90s, so everybody found out it was a Mike Jackson trainee. Yeah. <laughs> well, people thought he was Darkness Dragon at first, too. Yeah. Because the mask hid enough that you could not tell that he was Japanese. Mm-hmm. Darkness Dragon. And, of course, as we learned, I think we found out before he unmasked, but confirmed when he unmasked, it was uh, Makoto. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, real, well, all caps Makoto, real name Makoto Saito. Yes. All right, FMW. Victor Quinones' promo- uh, home promotion. They ran Kishiro Welfare Gym on March 13th in front of 3748. They had Koji Nakagawa and Gosaka Goshikawara over Masada Tanaka and Tetsuya Kuroda. 
Ray Padita and Shodan Senshi Battle Ranger Z over WSSS and Makayato. Crush Mail Damar and Shar Julian Bad Nurse Nakamura over Megumi Kudo, Combat Toyota, and Yukari Shikura. Tarzan Goto, Hitsukatsu Oi, and Riki Fuji over Mr. Danger. Israel Masanaga, Yukio Kanamura, and Hideki Asaka. And then a no rope barbed wire street fight death match at Sushi Onita, Mr. Ganesuke, and Kastosh Niyama over Mr. Pogo, the Gladiator Mike Awesome, and Bad Boy Hito. Well, that's definitely an FMW show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very late Makayato appearance here, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not big shows. It's the biggest show of the week. They didn't have no major show during our week. Mm-hmm. It's a FNW house show. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully uh, finally meeting uh, at Sushi Onita at WrestleCon this month. Oh, he's well, yeah, he's one of uh, one of the few that's eluded me so far. Yes, I I only wish uh, Megumi Kudo were coming too. I figure that uh, Ito is out of the picture now, so uh, who knows. <laughs> <laughs> what about your wife? Well, <laughs> she's not out of the picture. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> gotta, gotta make sure that uh, one, stay uh, one Asian wife at a time. For me. <laughs> Is that your, you know, there's some marriages they have that one where uh, they call it, what the hall pass. You, <laughs> yes, you have well, that one. So she's I guess your Halle you, Berry. Yeah. Or I have to think about that one. <laughs> Between Megumi and uh, Bad Nurse Nakamura. <laughs> where did well, it, why did they pull her name out? What what TV show was it or where where the uh, they did that storyline and the guy picked Halle Berry? I don't know, but at least at least you're not picking Sharsha Shulia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, now you're just going after a recent widow though, but that's very you. <laughs> all right i iwa japan a, a promotion behind uh, that's in o'connor's heart they ran yaita city gym on march 11th well, we better is heart than yeah cynthia moreno over tomoe oraya iceman ricky santana and keza matsuda over yuji Sugawara and keisuke yamada featured black buffalo takashi okano winger over yoshiro tajiri the keeper and Shoji Nakamaki went to a double disqualification. How? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's just one of those things. Then we had a bunkhouse match where the Headhunters defeated Hiroshi Ono and Leatherface and a 13-man battle royal won by Takashi Okano, where we had Crypto Keeper, Headhunters, Hiroshi Ono, Iceman, Keisuke Yamada, Keisuke Matsuda, Leatherface, Shoji Nakamaki, Yoshiro Tajiri, Yuji Shigawara, and a unknown man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was Bob Barrigale. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Victor often had uh, unknown men around. But, uh, <laughs> this was this was an IWA show. Uh, not uh, <laughs> not too much you can say about it, but uh, I guess this this would have been uh, Rick Patterson as Leatherface. Uh, if I remember correctly. Yes, another uh, but, Stampede veteran. Yes. I think yeah. he was, he was yeah. in uh, Chris, Chris Benoit's very first match, I believe. Oh, it's uh, Rick Patterson and someone against Benoit and someone in tag. Yeah, uh, my, uh, Mike Hammer, I think. 
Mike Hammer. That's right. Well, yes. Mike Hammer was uh, Benoit's actual main trainer. Yes. What a what a character he was. Yes, yes. Chris Benoit had so many wonderful influences uh, as his mentors <laughs> yes. in the pro wrestling business, yes. didn't he? Dynamite Kid. Well, I, I, uh, along those lines, I guess uh, I'd be remiss uh, not to talk about the passing of uh, the original Leatherface, uh, Mike Kirchner, since we last talked. He was... Uh, Stampede's what? Colonel Kirchner, yes. Yes, yes. We got the... Uh, Got the upgrade when he crossed the border. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, w- w- one of the wild ones, to be sure. Uh, my <laughs> favorite Kirchner story was uh, him getting dosed with quaaludes by uh, the Dynamite Kid. Oh, no. And uh, su- subsequently <laughs> jumping out of a moving van on the Trans-Canada <laughs> Highway. Bad idea. I don't think that's how quaaludes are supposed to work. <laughs> I, that's That was my thought, too, but... Uh, I, I don't know what happened, but uh, there uh, there was a uh, major heat between those two uh, to the point where Dynamite supposedly brought a gun to the pavilion looking to shoot Kirchner, <laughs> who uh, got word of this and promptly hitchhiked his way to the Montana border. <laughs> and keep, keep in mind that Kirchner himself had uh, pulled a gun on Johnny Smith and thrown a billiard ball at Owen Hart's head. Rest, rest in peace, Corporal Kirk. <laughs> oh, and okay, for what it's worth, I looked it up. I pulled up Benoit's cage match. It's Benoit and Patterson teaming against Mike Hammer and Carl Moffat. Oh, oh, yes, yes, Carl Moffat, Jason the Terrible. Yes. Oh, and speaking of great influences, uh, in his second match, the next nine Edmonton, Benoit teamed with Bruce Hart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yes, I don't know why I was saying Victor Quinones and FMW. It's Victor Quinones and IWA. What am I thinking? Yeah, yes. I mean, later he would go uh, FMW, go FMW later. Yes. All right, well, let's go to IWU. Union Pro. Ryuma Go's promotion. They ran Yokohama. No. Marshall. No, his promotion is uh, Go Gundan at this time. This is a different promotion. He's working for someone else here. Well, he... In the Observer, he was listed as the promoter. So, well, Dave was wrong. Union Pro anyway. has been around long before. In the, I mean, Union Pro outlasted years after this. Anyway. Anyway, Yokohama, Japan, on March 12th, by 260 fans. We have Kishin Kawabata over Junki Kazawa. Shimizuki over Okamura, which has to be Shigeo Okamura. And, of course, Kikazawa, being Ebison, Kiyotaro. Apollo Shigawara and Zuyama over Ryo Miyake and Mitch Jadef. That's a match. Ryuma Go and Masika Takasugi over White Mummy and Black Mummy. <laughs> Is that like uh, Black Mama, White Mama, the Pam Greer uh, film from <laughs> <Yeah>. the 70s? <laughs> this was a, a change of pace for uh, Ryuma Go. He usually uh, took on daddies, not mummy. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure we weren't seeing full bushes in this match. So we were <laughs> Black Mama, White Mama. And then we have uh, Los Demonios, one and two, with the zombie, number one, over Goro Shirumi, Poison Sawada, and Uchu Power X. Ah, yes. Sure. Demons and aliens, Bix, and zombies and mummies. <laughs> who, who, had, who had the swastikas? <laughs> I don't, well, we got a space Jew in the main event, too. <laughs> okay. Of course, Uchu Power X is uh, Kuichi Okamura. 
No, that's super. No, Kalisha no, Murray is super guy. power. Oh, it is, he is also a same, power? same guy. Same, same guy. Yep. Okay, I don't yeah, think I knew that. This is, yeah, this is it. Leads to that. <laughs> Hold on, let me let me see if I can double it. it... I'm looking right at it. I'm not lying. On to cage you. match or what? Yes. Okay. I need that anyway. I need that anyway. So. I, I I I see. I I don't assume that all space Jews are the same, like you guys. <laughs> well, anyway. Um. So yes. Oh, we, there's a match missing uh, from the results that I have. Uh-huh. The couple matches missing. Uh, Masaru Toy over Crush Takahashi was a match on this show, and then we had a different style fight. As Jun Kikawada defeated the Jackal by referee. No, 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 not Don Callis. <laughs> so, yeah, how about that? I re- I remember the the first tape I or- ever ordered from this crew was uh, was the snake match with uh, Poison Sawada, where the the ring was filled with snakes in Tupperware containers. So. <laughs> uh, God awful, of course. Yes. All right. So let's move on to Pancrase. The biggest show of the week was March the 10th in Yokohama for Pancrase, headlined by the Ken Shamrock Boss Rutan title match. You know, the key match on the show, Mascots Fanaki made Frank Shamrock submit to the heel hold in 511. Minoru Suzuki returned after three months off with a knee injury to defeat Gregory Schmidt in 910 with a choke sleeper. And Jason Delusia down Manaba Yamada in 141. Next show is April the 8th, but no Shamrock because he'll be in UFC instead. Next show is on May 13th for Tokyo Bay and K Hall, and June 13th for Sapporo. At Tokyo Bay show, Shamrock will defend his title against Suzuki, while Maurice Smith will be brought back, and Alan Gracie, 23 year old cousin of Hoist and Hickson, and the first Gracie to actually enter what is termed pro wrestling, Bill is having a 115 0 record in Jiu Jitsu in Brazil debuts. So that's Alan Goez, right? Alan Goez. Alan Goez, yes. If Pancrase main event results are predetermined, and Dave doesn't know for certain what is and what isn't, it shows, it shows the organization has a lot of guts in not changing the title to Rutan as it puts itself in a position where its world champion can lose clearly to an outsider, Gracie, which most Japanese and major American groups would never do. Either that, or one, the company has supreme confidence Shabra can beat Gracie. Two, Gracie's over in Japan right now, and that's okay for a pro wrestling world champion to submit to him. And three, Pancrase also does a predetermined endings in their world title matches. Well, they do. All right, uh, here's the results from your home book of gym from a 55-60 on March 10th. Takafumi Ito over Vernon Tiger White. Scott Basak over Osamu Shibuya. Alex Cook over Katsomi Inagaki. Larry Papadopoulos over Takako Fuke. Jason Delusia over Manami Yamada. Manoa Suzuki over Greg Schmidt. Moscow's Fanaki over Frank Shamrock and Sham- Ken Shamrock retaining the Pancrase, King of Pancrase title over Bots Rutan by submission in 61 seconds on the knee bar. Okay, if Didn't, I remember uh, right, they were okay with him losing to Gracie, but then they have him drop the title before the Severn match because Severn's considered a rival pro, fake pro wrestler in some form. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's not, he, yeah, he's not legit. What were you going to say, O'Connor? Yeah, what were you saying? I thought uh, Larry Papadopoulos had a talk show on the CBC at one point, I think. (laughs) 
Probably only Daniel Maccabe will uh, laugh at that one. <laughs> I wonder if he was managed by his sister-in-law, ma'am. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I was not a big uh, hand craze guy, so I don't have much to add. I don't, I don't, I don't even remember uh, Alan Gracie, to be honest. Well, Alan Go is. Yeah. Okay. He never used that name. Yes, it's like uh, Victor Gracie. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we got Joshi. Nishiwaki, Japan, on March 14th. All Japan women in front of 1100. We got Yukashina over Yoshiko Tamura. We got Nobuendo over Masai Watanabe. No! Then we have Rie Tamada over Chaprita Asari. Reggie Bennett. Let us Steve Bennett. Over Tomoko Watanabe. Aja Kong and Yumiko Hota over Suzuka Manami and Mishimoto. And then your main event... Toshiro Yamada, Etsuko Mita, and Kyoko Inoue over Manami Toyota, Sakashigawa, and Karo Ito. So, yes. A match that, uh, I mean, a show that would be after Lanny Poffo's heart. Is <laughs> that right, Bex? Hold on, I, forget. I haven't used that one in a while. Oh, wait, I need to remember. Oh, there we go. And look at those pretty Japanese girls. Forgot what key I had that on. <laughs> so there you go. Japan. All right, well, that's it for the first half of the show. It is now halftime. So after some great 1995 commercials, we'll pivot to the halftime segment of the show, where we'll come back and we'll talk about the Patreon. Always got that to talk about. Then we'll uh, hit the other plugs, talk about next week's show, IWTV, all the uh, the other stuff we talk about there. And then we'll come back with O'Connor as we go to Canada and talk about... uh, Stampede Wrestling, another rebirth in uh, Calgary. So we'll talk about that. And we got Lucha, where we talk about Rob Bahari's favorites, the Power Raiders, and uh, a lot more, including more Victor Quinones. All that more after the break. Don't lie about your age. Defy it. Defy it. Defy it. Revolution of it. Did you know makeup can make you look older by settling into fine lines? Revlon age-defying makeup has color particles wrapped in moisturizers, so the coverage floats above fine lines, stays virtually line-free. You stay younger looking all day. Revlon age-defying makeup. Don't lie about your age. Defy it. Revlon. If you're going to attempt the greatest comeback in the history of sports, you're going to have to be better than you've ever been. Might we suggest new improved Wheaties? I bet eat my Wheaties. Imagine a rent-a-car company that will pick you up right at your door. That's Enterprise. Call us. We'll arrange to come to you. Take you back to our office, and you're on your way. Pick Enterprise. We'll pick you up. Want freshness to stay not fade away? Don't spray it. Missed it. Glade Lasting Mist Air Freshener has a concentrated mist that goes up, stays up, freshens for hours. Ordinary sprays just go up and fade in minutes. Want freshness to last, not fade away fast. Don't spray it, mist it, Glade Lasting Mist it. For hours of freshness. Don't spray it, mist it, Glade Lasting Mist it. In refills too, fresh from Glade SC Johnson Wax. NBC Thursday, a new Mad About You vacation for two pathological liars. More circus people. Secret service. Astronauts. Eddies. Sam. Can I have a drum roll, please? It's Thursday's newest must-see hit. 
Hope and Gloria, another Thursday night winner. Followed by Seinfeld and Friends, NBC Thursday. KitchenAid refrigerators echo nature in remarkable ways. With free-flowing water and ice. Smooth gliding. Cool, crisp freshness. And brilliant light. All someplace a little closer to home. The refrigerator designed from a blueprint by Mother Nature. By KitchenAid. For the way it's made. On sale now, only one kid could see them. Holy cow! Now he's got the world believing in angels. You got nothing left. You got an angel with you right now. It's a miraculous story your family can own. Disney's hit movie, Angels in the Outfield, on sale now. In taste tests, the Whopper beat the Big Mac. Then the Whopper beat Wendy's single. So come in and get the Whopper with fries and a drink for $2.99 for a value you might call unbeatable. Burger King, get your burgers worth. You're watching News Radio on NBC. Mussy TV! NBC Next, home of the must-see hits. They like me, they really like me. <laughs> and all new phrases being stalked by a psychotic fan. You are not going to turn me into some sort of a nervous wreck. <laughs> then the new must-see hit, Pride and Joy. Assembly required. Yeah. Well, you don't think I can do it? NBC Must-see TV tonight. From the Channel 5 Newsroom. Cato Kalin wraps up his final day on the witness stand with a statement to the media. Plus, from a shadowy figure to the white Bronco, what the limo driver saw. The front line in the battle against AIDS comes to Chicago's Museum of Science and Industry. At 10, we'll take you there. I'm Carol Marine in the Holy Land, where Cardinal Bernadine and Jewish leaders met with Yasser Arafat and ended their pilgrimage. The story at 10. Tonight at 10 on the Channel 5 News, Chicago's best news. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed all those great 1995 commercials as we're fifth at halftime, seven to show. We're going to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, we will have a new Patreon show coming up in the next couple of weeks or so as we go about 35 years to talk about WrestleMania 3. And um, we've already started recording that as we're doing this segment. And uh, yeah, it's a quite interesting look at the build-up to WrestleMania 3 so far and what we've recorded, um, talking about prospective matches when they w were first getting started, rumor-wise, and everything like that. And Hogan and Andre, you know, basically seemed like it was always the match. And so we talk about that, plus, you know, Paul Orndorff and everything going on with him at this time. Possibly, was he the backup choice? Was he not? We may have un uncovered the that. He actually couldn't have been the backup backup choice. So we'll have that. Uh, all the other news: Dynamite Kid and his injury. Danny Davis's heel turn. Is Vincent Man going to wrestle? Um, just all kind of stuff uh, on the show. And we haven't recorded the stuff with the actual show yet and stuff like that. But we will be doing that soon. So yes, yeah, really, really good stuff. As we go back. Uh, 35 years. Crazy to think about that. But, yeah, here we are. So $5 a month gets you access to that and all the other shows that we've done in our five-plus years of our Patreon. And there's a lot of audio there, so it's well worth your your money. That's for damn sure. So get on that. Dollar a month gets you access to the Discord. Thanks to this segment, which we're doing in just a second. $25 allows you pick a show for the week. Now, have two shows in your mind uh, if you want, want to do this. 
maybe because we may have already done the show, or it could be a week that somebody has already got set aside on the calendar. We have quite a few weeks already set aside on the calendar. So uh, always be ready that way. That way we can get you taken care of. If there are any issues, you can get in touch with one of us, and we'll uh, try to steer you the right way on that. And follow the protocol on the Patreon website as well on uh, how to get the information to Bix and everything so we can get you uh, slotted on the calendar. So always remember that the, the, we have a 30-day rule. Submit, do that before 30 days before your show. Ten-year rules in effect on the show. Wednesday to Tuesday and all that good stuff. So uh, you can do all that and then we can get your show taken care of and you'll be very happy, we hope. $50 I'll just sit in for a segment of that show if you choose, or 100 for the whole show if you choose. At patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, who do I think this week is our new and or returning patron? All right, let's see. So we would like to thank Matthew Dent. Thanks, Matthew. Uh, I guess I guess we would call him, what, semi-retired uh, Midwest independent wrestler Big Sue Jackson? Thank you, Big Sue Jackson. Yeah. Uh, returning our dear friend and past guest, uh, Hangman Tim Knoll. Although it just says Tim Knoll, it does not say Hangman. <laughs> well, thanks, Tim. Hangman Tim, yes. Chance. It just says Chance. I don't know if it's the rapper. <laughs> Chance the rapper. Uh, well, or Chance Beckett. But thanks, Chance. Uh, what, like Maccabe has uh, told Chance Beckett <laughs> in whatever uh, black hole he's in? Listen to Between the Shades. Well, I mean, it's a hit among the Western Canadians, we hope, so yeah. yeah. Uh, Stan Guzik. Thanks, Stan. Kevin Higgins. Thanks, Kevin. Javier Gonzalez. Thanks, Javier. And Jim Martha. And we thank you all, as well as all of the existing patrons, especially those who have been around since day one. And uh, also to mention, too, since I don't think you did. Remember, I think it's technically for every tier, but, you know, mainly looking at it for people in the $5 tier, you can also do annual subscriptions now that save you 16%. So uh, if you do it for the $5 tier, that's fifty forty a year instead of 60 bucks. So there's that. And also, of course, there's a free preview of the uh, Ring of Honor show that we just did at the end of last week's show, should be at the end of this week's show, maybe also separately in the feed, etc. Everyone check that out as well. And thank you, Jim, since I didn't get to say that. So there you go. Yeah, that's right. Patreon.com <laughs> slash between the sheets. All right, IWTV, Bix, what's going on there? Shockingly, there are lots of live streams coming up, Chris. Um, yeah, I'm shocked. Shocked is the word. <laughs> I mean, IWTV is very busy. Yes, they are. And, you know, as usual, we're recording this on... Thursday. We've generally been recording these on Wednesdays or Thursdays, so we have to kind of make it clear that we're talking, you know, first we're going to be talking about stuff that is streaming the, the coming weekend as of when we're recording this, but the previous weekend as of when the show comes out, and then we'll also, then after that, we go over stuff that'll be the coming weekend after the show comes out, but, you know, some of the stuff we mentioned last week, like, uh, AIW Wrestle Rave 2 is tonight as we're recording. Actually, as we're recording this, it's a few minutes from starting. Uh, you know, the weekly wrestling open shows they've been doing, uh, you know, is kind of, what do you even call it? Like, 
beyond developmental, kind of. I guess whatever you want to call, to call it. Yeah, you know, we got you know, of course, new ICW no holds barred, and then uh, the uh, Prestige versus West Coast Pro Double Shot, like, like just super loaded. But talked about a good bit of that last week. Also, you know, stuff that hasn't happened yet as we record this, but looks intriguing, you know, Sunday, so yesterday, as of when this comes out, uh, Ange- Angel Ortiz's return to Beyond Wrestling, and then now this coming uh, weekend, so you've got a freelance, oh, excuse me, two freelance shows, a uh, WWR Plus show from Beyond and Company, and uh, that's, okay, that's actually a little bit of a quieter weekend, plus some, uh, Premieres, of course, of pre-recorded stuff like the latest uh, Combat Fights Unlimited show, which is the kind of MMA-inspired like women's promotion thing they've been doing on IWTV. So there's all that, and yeah, you know, like I was alluding to, you know, since we talked about some of this last week in detail, you know, lot lots of interesting stuff coming up, or that already is up by the time you hear this, yeah. Like like I said, I think the past couple of weeks, West Coast Pro especially is becoming one of my favorite promotions to watch because they're they book in interesting, you know, fairly loaded cards. Now, of course, there's also new archival stuff, uh, more of the AIW Girls Night Out shows from our friends there, uh, various archival uh, CZW and IWA Mid South as well. Uh, should I pick something or what do you think? No, no, I don't think so. This is not from my era of IWA, and some of the CZW I think I've seen, but not a lot, but still, lots of stuff always going up between the live streams and the premieres and archival footage at IWTV, so independentwrestling.tv, if you are not already a subscriber, use code BTSPOD when you sign up, and we will get a uh, a percentage of your subscription as long as you stay a paid subscriber as a referral fee. So, independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD, and with everything we discuss here, everything's linked and noted in the the show notes of every episode. So, yeah, and, uh, of course, action and... Yes, I know I'm forgetting something. (laughs) You know, took place, uh, and uh, dear friend Kevin Koo is the new action wrestling champion, so there's that. Billy Starks. Well, double champion, because he and Dom are also the tag champs in action. Tag champion, yes. Billy Starks won the SCI Rumble and is in the uh, SCI, and will pick her opponent whenever that happens. So there's that. So and, and uh, it yeah. is already well. I think the tournament is set for the usual first weekend of August, but yeah, but she hasn't picked her opponent yet. No, so. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious. Damian Tangra's in there, and she's in there, and that's it so far. So. So there you go. So uh, everybody go check that out on the uh, in-demand part of IWTV. On-demand, in-demand, whatever. So uh, IWTV, always good uh, good stuff there. All right, speaking of good stuff, Bix, private internet access, the best in uh, VPN. So talk about them. Yes, I will, although I forgot to open the copy they prefer us to base it on, so give me one second. Uh there we go all right yes today's episode of course is brought to you by private internet access america's number one virtual private network or vpn even if you use incognito mode your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it but private internet access can help 
PIA encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your ISP or network admin. And with servers in over 75 countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content around the world, something I definitely did not do this past weekend, wink wink. Uh, PIA comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PCMag, and also, I believe, very verified as uh, not logging any of your activity as well. So, if you sign up with them right now at privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets, you get a special deal where it's their three-year plan, but boosted to 40 months for about 80 bucks, so just under $2 a month if you do it that way. Great. Yeah. Highly ranked, highly regarded, fast VPN that has plenty of apps and other settings you can use if you want to put stuff on your router to have your router go through it, etc. So, privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets. Awesome. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we'll go back to 1984 on a show requested by patron Mark Cole. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff there. we got the big plug at the end of the show, but uh, just a couple quick things here. Ricky Steamboat makes his return from his retirement in Jim Carl Promotions and uh, faces Ric Flair in Greensboro in a legendary match. So we'll talk about that. we got Roddy Piper returning to Portland. For the first time since he signed with the World Wrestling Federation. So we'll definitely talk about that and play the clip. And then we'll have, um, you know, all kind of other stuff. Uh, we have all the territories um, to, to talk about, including World Class with the Free Birds, Vinaris Devastation Incorporated, Three Way Feuds going hot and heavy. New Japan has got a lot, a lot of heavy shit going on with Choshu's Army against New Japan's Army. Um, all Japan possible uh, deal with Satoru Sayama was being negotiated with. We'll talk about that. And uh, really the main thing that Mark wanted to talk about on this show basically is Mid-South Wrestling, where Mr. Wrestling 2 is a new North America champion. And the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette hold a party in honor of becoming the new Mid-South Tag Champions. So all that more next week on Between the Sheets. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, what you got going on in your world? A few things. Uh, I was on our friend Phil Schneider's Way of the Blade podcast this week. Just came out today as we're recording this. The first time? Yes. Okay, there you go. And uh, the match I picked to talk about was... uh, the Tenru versus Fujinami match from New Japan Battle Formation at the Tokyo Dome from April 29, 1996, a.k.a. the match where Fujinami's nose basically explodes doing the multiple topes onto Tenru. And then the, they quickly call an audible and build the match around that. And I was I rewatched that before we recorded, and I also kind of half rewatched it with the sound off as we were recording. Holy shit, the way that that blood sprays out of his nose at points. Yeah. Like, literally yeah. spraying. It looks like his nose is muda-misting blood into the air. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. But it's a hell of a match, too. It's definitely one of the best, you know, but, later Fujinami matches. And I know you're a big well, Fujinami yeah. fan. Well, look who's involved. I'm a big Tenryu fan, too. That's Well, yes. I mean, 
Those are your two favorites, pretty much, as far as Japanese wrestling. The two, the two greatest Japanese pro wrestlers ever lived. Yes. So uh, yeah, take a wrong there. Yeah. So we talked about that. Of course, we go on various diversions because that's how that podcast works. And uh, had a good time. Hopefully, we'll return at some point in the near future. And uh, what else? I should have up either up by the time you read this or right after an article at Fanbyte. Kind of going over how uh, the AW Revolution main event kind of cemented that the Adam Cole, excuse me, the NXT Adam Cole is no longer with us, and kind of looking at that and how it fits into the whole, you know, Shawn Michaels NXT style thing. Um, also, by the time this is up, we'll have put up on my Substack, babyfacevheel.com. The history of the World Bodybuilding Federation that I did for Fighting Spirit Magazine in 2015, because uh, our friends Jack Encarnacio and J.P. Sorrow at the Leps Fan, they did a two-part show that came out this week about the 1992 WBF Championships, and one of the things that Jack cites is my article, so figured might as well put it up, and as usual when I do these, you know, reposts to try to find whatever interesting videos I can embed on Twitter and YouTube... During which I found out, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, bodybuilding YouTube has a lot more WBF-related stuff than they used to. <laughs> like the ESPN segment on the press conference announcing it, and on Lou Ferrigno's contract signing and stuff. So, some cool stuff mixed in there, of course, along with, you know, embeds of Vince screaming about looking at striations and the like. Hmm. Well, there you go. Yes. And uh, was there anything else... I think that's it for right now. I would I was surprised you didn't tell everyone about the kind of Patreon requested lineup we have coming in three of the next four weeks, but I guess we'll save that for later. The what? That we have three mid eighties shows in four weeks. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Well, I'll always go a week at a time. I know, but sometimes so- when there's a bunch of stuff coming up we mention it. But yes, we uh we have a but it just happened to work out that way. Only one of them's a WrestleMania though. Yeah, so yes, actually, no, actually, wait, I'm wrong. No, it's even more than that. I forgot. It's uh, oh no, I'm sorry, I was looking at the calendar wrong. Yeah, it's three and four weeks, and then after the after the you know first week of April, for what it's worth, for anyone who's looking to pick stuff, you know, at least past thirty days, obviously, um, April past the week of the sixth to the twelfth is still free. So if anyone wants to get... Well, okay, so by the time we release this, that is what date? That is the... Sorry, I was looking at the wrong month on the calendar. So yeah, this will come out on the 14th. So yeah, any if people want to request anything, pretty much... I'll even say starting with the 13th through the 19th, through the end of April, those are all open right now. As is all of May, actually. So... Keep that in mind, everyone. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. And I guess that's it for this segment, though. Yeah, let's get back to the rest of the show. Alright, Robert's back with us, and let's go to North America, and we begin with Canada, Robert O'Connor's homeland, and Calgary, which is uh, definitely the homeland. And uh, crowds in Calgary have picked up greatly due to the return of 51-year-old Bad News Allen. It was the big heel in the territory in the early 80s, along with the regular work of people like Johnny Smith and Rick Titan. Lance Storm started back on March the 10th as the Mask Momba, 
doing an angle. Then I'm asking to start a feud with Champagne Jerry Morrow. So we have the Victoria Community Club on March the 10th in Calgary, where the Mass Momba be Eric Freeze, Chris Kramer over Fernando Valentino, Steve Gillespie and Super Congo over Steve Rivers and Katana by disqualification. Steve Wilde and Black Bart, no, not that Black Bart, over Johnny Smith and Champagne Jerry Morrow. And in a street fight, Bad News Allen went to a double DQ with Rick Titan. Robert, the floor is yours. This is your wheelhouse. <laughs> yes, well, this is definitely the uh, remembering some guys segment for me. <laughs> this was, uh, yeah, I don't know if we've. Uh, Talked about this group before. This was uh, Ed Langley's Rocky Mountain Wrestling Promotion, yeah. uh, which actually had uh, cable access television for a while here. And uh, yeah, I went to many of these shows uh, when we first moved to Calgary. Uh, they had a pretty good crew. They had uh, Jericho, Storm, uh, Luther was there uh, as the Atomic Punk. Uh, Brett Como, PJ Walker, the future just incredible. And uh, yeah, they ran out of the Victoria Park Community Hall, uh, which is within walking distance of the Stampede Grounds, where Stampede Wrestling ran weekly. Uh, alas, uh, not only is the Community Hall no longer there, uh, but the entire neighborhood of Victoria Park is gone. Wow. It was uh, expropriated as part of the expansion of the Stampede Grounds. Um, the adjacent community of Ramsey is still there. In fact, uh, Wayne Hart still lives in Ramsey. You can find uh, Bret Hart's old house there, Dynamite Kid's house. Uh, also, the 7-Eleven that Billy Jack Haynes once slept outside of for some reason. <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't the only one he set that side up. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, but, to, but I, I digress. Uh, looking looking at the show here, uh, names that jump out at me, we got uh, Eric Freeze in the opening match. Uh, he was the guy he did, I think it was just one tour of FMW replacing Lance Storm uh, when he refused to go back uh, to FMW after they stiffed him on his pay the first time around. So, uh, yeah, he teamed with Jericho over there. Uh, here he was known as the Iceman Eric Freeze and handed out Mr. Freeze Pops to the crowd as he entered the ring. Oh. Now, are, are, <laughs> are you Yankees familiar with the uh, frozen delight that is the Mr. Freeze Pop? Are these like push-up pops? <sighs> See, I don't know what those are, Bix. You did not have Mr. Stones. No, Mr. 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 Freeze is basically like a like your regular freezer pops. Oh, yeah. oh, the yeah. the multicolored come in the thin plastic. Yeah, no stick yes. or paper. Okay. Yeah, they're gonna be in, be in boxes or we sell them in nets. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a long uh, a long plastic container that uh, contains. Uh, a lot of artificial coloring and uh, frozen crap. But actually, when I was uh, five years old, I took part in a children's pitching competition at Exhibition Stadium sponsored by Mr. Freeze. Oh, wow. I got to meet uh, Tom Hankey, the bespectacles, uh, the, the closer. bespectacled Blue Jays closer. 
Yeah. I got to throw uh, three pitches in front of Major League umpire Derwood Merrill. Oh. Yes. Yes. Had a, a tight zone that day, the fat bastard. Squeeze me a little bit. But, uh, I, I no Eric, he's no Eric Gregg, I tell you that. <laughs> no. I I got a trophy and a box of uh, Mr. Freeze Pop. So, uh, but uh, I, I digress again. Uh, getting back to the show, uh, we got, uh, wow, Steve Wilde and Steve Rivers. Lots of Steves. Yes, who are miraculously still around and still running shows at uh, the recently res- <laughs> recently resurrected Back Alley Nightclub, or the Crack Alley, as uh, locals <laughs> call it. <laughs> That's where uh, Davy Boy Smith had his little... Uh, little altercation you may recall yes um yeah as you mentioned black bart uh, obviously not the american version that uh, this was the former skull mason oh. of stampede wrestling fame yeah but uh, yeah this was uh kind of the twilight of this promotion i don't remember them hanging on too much longer into 1995 uh, obviously Jericho and Storm were starting to get booked elsewhere more frequently, as well as Big Titan. Uh, things kind of sputtered out. You mentioned uh, the, the Black Mamba, which, as I recall, was just Lance in a uh, black mask and bodysuit. It's hard, hard to uh, cover up the uh, the charismatic personality that is Lance Storm, but uh, somehow he managed to uh, suppress it long enough to uh, pass himself off as the Black Mamba. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a fun promotion while it lasted. I remember uh, Jericho and Storm even had a ladder match. Uh, it was kind of probably that year. It was uh, toward toward the end of the promotion, but. Uh, that was a big deal at the time. Do you think if Jericho and Storm would have stayed around longer or and worked a little bit more in the area that maybe the Calgary scene would have been better off in the late 90s? Uh, I think if they had TV, if they had the old uh, Stampede Wrestling time slot, for sure, the uh, Channel 7 time slot then, yeah, I think uh, they had a good crop of talent. But, uh, yeah, they had cable access TV, very, very low budget. It was quite a small building. And, yeah, I don't I don't know that I've ever even seen these tapes uh, on the Internet. Uh, I think I've seen uh, the odd handheld, but I don't think... Uh, even seen the television show i didn't even uh, record it at the time unfortunately but uh, yeah they definitely did have uh, cable access television yeah which okay so well so the jericho storm ladder match the version that's online needs to be traded around that you think is a handheld i mean, didn't click on it yet let me see i believe so. I, I cannot recall okay, seeing yeah. a, a professional version now i don't know I don't have a memory of that airing on. They might have lost the television by then. Well, okay. I don't remember the exact timeline, but uh, where I was going with that was, 
one of the weirder wrestling urban legends, and I forget if this has been formally debunked or I think it may have been, was that The Rock was playing CFL football and saw the ladder match on TV while he was playing for the Stampeders? Ah, <laughs> uh, I'd have to look up the timeline. We look up well, when Dwayne played for the... Uh, I don't know if he actually ever got in a game, but he was on the taxi squad of the Stampeders. Uh, 95. 95. Okay, well, the, I mean, that that matches up, yes. And they they did have cable access TV that year. Now, I don't... I went to the latter match in person. I, I just don't remember it airing on the television show, but it it could have for sure. Okay. And uh, for those who don't know, who either don't remember or haven't read Jericho's first book, Ed Langley, the promoter of Canadian Rocky Mountain Wrestling, was not just a former Stampede referee, but an obscure Stampede referee who <laughs> was in in charge of the training at Keith Hart's version of the Hart Wrestling School that trained Jericho, well, Storm, and uh, yes. just incredible. Well, Ed, yeah. Lang Ed Langley was no uh, Jurgen Herman or <laughs> Cedric Hathaway or Ron Hader, for God's sake. No, no. Or Alexander Scott. <laughs> Alexander Scott, yes. And as a representative of the NWA, period, he, you know, not just referees, he was no uh, Tyrone Macbeth, for sure. <laughs> you mean IWA, Bix, not NWA. I think he was the NWA rep, too. Well, yeah, he was definitely the IWA rep. No, but I think he was also used as the NWA rep before they stopped saying NWA or AWA. Anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, that was, uh, they had the camp uh, based in uh, lovely Okotoks, Alberta at that time. And uh, yeah, it was, it was mainly Langley. I think uh, Keith would show up every now and then and stretch someone and uh, they would... Uh, bust them to the uh, the beautiful uh, Silver Dollar Action Center in Calgary, which was a pink bowling alley casino uh, owned by a <laughs> local character named Frank Sisson. Who, uh, he, uh, he turned up on some of the uh, the old uh, CNWA shows that uh, aired on TSN after Stampede. He was uh, <laughs> he was a character. I was wore. Uh, this was in the 90s, mind you. They always wore uh, polyester leisure suits. And uh, <laughs> he had the bare chest, the gold so he, chains, he hair slicked back. Bob Ackland. <laughs> yes. Like a Canadian Bob Ackland. I mean, he kind of he sounded like a Bulldog Bob Brown. <laughs> like if, if, if imagine a Bulldog Bob Brown as a used car salesman. <laughs> that would be uh, Frank Sisson. And he... Uh, so, yeah, I used to go, so they used to do uh, closed-circuit uh, WWF pay-per-views there. When we first moved to Calgary, we did not have pay-per-view. So if you wanted to see WrestleMania, then you had to go to uh, Frank Sisson's Silver Dollar Action Center and watch on closed-circuit. I remember a lot of members of the Hart family used to be there. I'm sure probably little uh, little Harry was running around there at the time. Uh, little Teddy, unbeknownst to me. But yeah, uh, yeah we used to we used to watch on the big screen, which would uh, crap out uh, every now and then, and all the the hosers in the crowd would start throwing beers at the screen, and 
<laughs> it was it was a rowdy bunch, and I remember. I also remember uh, Frank Sisson himself. I, I remember this specifically. It was uh, Hogan versus Sid at WrestleMania, and during the ring entrances, uh, Frank Sisson thought it would be a good time to cut the audio to the closed circuit feed and make a prolonged announcement that hot dogs were now half price at the concession stand <laughs> and all the, <laughs> the drunk hosers in the crowd started uh, yelling at him to shut the fuck up and shove the hot dogs <laughs> up his ass. Oh, it was, it was a scene, I tell you. Okay, so on that note, I have a question before we move on, though. Um, were the Silver Dollar Action Center chicken fingers as good as they've been claimed to be? <laughs> I, you know... I remember getting them. I mean, they were they were pretty good. I mean, it was one of those places where the the whole place kind of smelled like a deep fryer. So they were good. I don't I don't know who's told you <laughs> they were. Uh, well, they were uh, they were the thing that uh, Frank Sisson tried to sneak into the hospital when Stu was on his deathbed because Stu loved the chicken fingers. Oh, that, that's that's right. Amazing. All right, well, let's um, move on from Calgary to Mexico. As we continue with more of uh, O'Connor's loves, AAA. And this is a Bahari uh, uh, thing here. The Power Raiders are a new five-man team that's going to get a major push. Two of them are the former Vagaman and Vagabundo, who finished strongly in the Rookie of the Year balloting from Tijuana, the latter of whom is still green, but the belief is the year seasoning will be the next Ray Mysterio Jr. because he's got some incredible flying moves. And they were Raiders 2 and 3 in the Norte California circuit the past few months. The other three are the former Zafiro, Brillante, and Diamante, who are three very small guys who are awesome flyers. They debut on television tapings early next week and will feud with the Diabolicos, who Zafiro's team feuded with underneath last year and had Midnight Express fantastic late 80s versions caliber matches. We have other, two other high flying heels uh, thrown as partners in an attempt to create the ultimate. High-flying, 10-dive matches. Okay, first of all, so we still don't know why Dave gets the name of the state of Baja, California wrong in this era, right? <laughs> like yeah. it's Dave still calls them the Tampa Bay Devil Rays in 2022. So. Well, Dave, Dave lives in Norte, California, not Baja, California. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but the Power Raiders, I mean... Rob Bahari loves his Power Raiders. Oh, yes. they, 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 mean, were, I... they were crazy. Yes. Well, let's well, go yeah. over real quick the actual identities first, shall we? Okay. Yeah. Right. So Power, you know, Power Raider, the Green. Look, I'll just say the English name so I don't lose my mind. So Green Green Ranger is, you know, original Venom, Venom Black, Vagabundo. Yeah, Vagabundo's Venom. Yes. Vagaman was Ludzor, I believe. Yes. Right. Yes. All right. Black so, uh, Ranger. Uh, I mean, let's go. Let's go. All right. So, uh, Power Raider Verde was Venom. Power Raider Negro was Luxor. Power Raider Azul was Discovery. Power Raider Rojo was Frisbee. And Power Raider Blanco was Boomerang. Skyda. Yes. That sounds right. Yes. Boomerang mm -hmm. being Skyda. Who. I mean, I know he can fly too, but it's weird looking back and seeing him be in this kind of stable. Too, mm -hmm. when these days he's known more as you know the Yave Maestro, you know Matwork Wizard, and then mm -hmm. that's his influence. Yeah, 
So the Power Rangers lasted until summertime before Pena got sued by <laughs> Saban, yes. the rights owners of the Power Rangers TV series. So he had to make them uh, low space cadets. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> I guess the mistake Pena made was picking a pop culture gimmick that was actually popular in Mexico. And yeah. I can't think of any other reason why he'd get sued. He or anyone else would only get sued this one time. You know? Well, Power Rangers were gigantic in 1995. So, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that, that era, I mean, the toys. Action figures are are smoking hot still, and yeah, it's. I mean, it, you're on the radar, you know, if you do something like that. <laughs> How did the uh, the Ninja Turtles stay under the radar for so long? <laughs> well, there have been so many versions too. Yes, you know, Ninja Turtles and Karate Turtles, and oh, what was the who were the heel turtles that feuded with? Face turtles a few years. I've, I mean, it's got like ten years ago. Tortuguitos, Karatecas, and all that. You know, you had your different names and shit. I'm sure, uh, Bahari could give us a a, a Ken Burns style uh, exhaustive <laughs> history of the Ninja Turtles in Lucha. Yes, Ninja Turtles, Power Raiders, all these groups. <laughs> Who would be the Shelby Foot of that uh, documentary on the? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we forgot to mention too that Frisbee is Lasser. Yeah. You know, veteran, uh, unheralded, great Lucha, Lucha Libre worker. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'll because he's Southern, like me. Well, and that also, at least according to Lucha Wiki, the, when Lasser and Skyda left AAA, the Frisbee and Boomerang gimmicks were given to Neo and Geo for a bit. Mm hmm. I also like how Chris and I have internalized that Ludzor's name is Luxor. I presume from the incorrect spelling and pronunciation on WWF television. <laughs> not called Luxor. Yeah, that's right. Which is not the correct spelling, at least if LuchaWiki is correct. Well, Luxor Luxor is the name of Casino in Vegas. Which I, mean, I was just U D X O R. And yes. Luxor was what they called him in his one or two appearances on uh, Roar Shotgun or whatever. Yeah. Yes. They, they almost got it right, unlike uh, Venom and Hysteria, who uh, who got inverted uh, famously <laughs> on an, an episode of Shotgun. <laughs> yes. With, with, well, we talked about that another, I think, was it, wait, was it you or Bahari that was on? Bahari, I think he, yeah. uh, he specifically requested that week. Yeah, right. that and was also a, the it, great graphic on Shotgun Venom, no relation to Vic. <laughs> yes, of course he's Mexican. That's why I don't want to be uh, anything with Mexicans. <laughs> All right. Also, new are El Ninja, who is transformer under a new gimmick in a meeting called Ninjito, who used to be in Volorosito. Didn't last very long. Then we had who was the Guerrero's two younger brothers, both in their mid-teens. Called Estrella Guerrera and Furia Guerrera working underneath in small Mexico City arenas. What happened to them? <laughs> well, it's never I... good. It's it's never good to have uh, two mid-teens in Mexico working underneath. <laughs> well. Um, I'm not sure this is even an accurate story because there's no for starters there's no entry for Estrella Guerrera on uh, on Lucha Wiki. 
maybe it didn't last long. Wasn't it a story not too long ago, like a, a couple of years ago, where wasn't it Hoovy's brother and sister were starting to work? But I, I want to say it was uh, an older brother. Okay, so yeah. I found a Furia Guerrera who Lucha Wiki says wrestled starting in 98 and is the nephew of Fuerza. And okay, now that, but there's also an Ijo del Fuerza linked here. It's the thing, the thing is small Mexico City arenas is the key words here. No, I know, so but still, but this one, they're probably not going to be on Lucha Wiki. Well, no, I'm saying, well, this is a different, this is a different song anyway, it looks like. But there's, well, there was this for your, I'm, I know a two or three for your Guerreras when I was doing Lucha stuff. So, I mean, that's a common name. No, but I'm saying the uh, the Foyers a junior though is a younger son. Yeah. All right, CMLL. Apparently, this group has gotten a multi-year extension on their television contract for Televisa, which is a major deal. This network pays big, big by the standards of the country, money for rights, which folks can keep the company doing fine even if houses are weak. It's also a major deal because Antonio Pena was angling to get Promel, which he also controls. What? As as the second company in place of CMLL on the Televisa behind AAA. And it looks as though that idea won't come to fruition. Wait, 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 okay. For starters, obviously that's wrong. But also, why would he want it in place of EMLL as opposed to in place of AAA? <laughs> what, like... So at this point... Okay, let me get this straight. In this era, I guess not anymore with all of it, Dave thinks that we have three separate entities, CMLL, EMLL, and ProMel that are all interconnected when in reality it's just CMLL is the governing fictional governing body overseeing EMLL, although the name eventually just kind of replaces it, period. And ProMel is an entire well, I know, but and ProMel is just an entirely different company. Which is in Dave's uh thoughts is controlled by Antonio Pena. But he doesn't I, <laughs> so i get why he would want that if that was the case but it's not i, I this is too con see that's the thing this is so wrong and confusing that i don't even know where to start well it's just i mean the, thing, the main thing is they got their they got their tv you know settled and this is a time when they needed that and 95 is the year that they start upward momentum again so this is a big deal for them to have this. That's the most important thing about it. No matter what, you know, other things are said here. It's the most important thing that that they have a steady TV situation. Yeah. To keep that going. But another thing here, it, it, Dave, Dave talks about the TV, you know, keeping the company doing fine. They, they're always going to do fine, no matter what, because they own all their buildings. Everything is 100% profit. In a way. I mean... Yeah, does he not <laughs> know about that yet? Yeah, he has to. That's what's throwing me, because, yeah, like... I mean, this is not a secret that they... Because they own the buildings that they promote shows at themselves, and everything else has them getting a booking fee if it's a wrestler booked by the office. And if they got boxing in their buildings, they get the boxing, you know, booking fee and stuff, which they had a lot, a lot of boxing in their buildings. Did they promote the boxing themselves, though, or were they renting out the buildings for that? 
and rented them out to the promoters. So they got the they they got the money on that. You know, okay. they're cut. Absolutely. In a weird way, you might be better off arguing that the business is the arenas and not the wrestling promotions. Pretty much. It doesn't matter what they do. They just happen to also own the wrestling promotion. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's talk about uh, the major show of the week was March 10th, which was moved from Arena Mexico to Arena Coliseo before the former was booked that night. So it's just a maintenance card. There you go. It's already booked by somebody else. <laughs> so uh, this is a maintenance card headlined by Sangre Chicana, Bestia Savaje, and Emilio Chavez Jr., winning over Vampiro Canadiense, Corazon de Leon, Chris Jericho, and La Fiera. I got to say, can... it's weird to see Dave in the still in the mid-90s, but actually getting Vampiro's name entirely kind of correct. Well, definitely correct. <laughs> The car drew the largest arena cost sale crowd of the year, about 3,500 fans. Unlike the previous two weeks in Arena Mexico, not only was Vampiro not heavily booed, but he was cheered and his name was chanted. The purpose of the match was to step a few with La Fiera and Sacra de Chicana, since Fiera did a major juice job and was pinned in the third fall, three and a quarter stars. All right, we have our results here. Io de Sarotario, Pantera and Shocker over Arcana de la Muerte, Felino and Hakuna Negro Jr., Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, and Eto Garza of El Brazo, Jason the Terrible, and Satanico, and then Bestest by Emilio and Sangre Chicana over Corazon de Leon, La Fiera, and Vampiro. So which Jason is this? Us. Uh, it's gotta be the Puerto Rican one. Uh, yeah, Jose Jr., wasn't it? Wasn't Jose Jr. the one that was uh, Jason, if I remember correctly? I think it was. Estrada. So, uh, yeah. so... Yeah. Was it? No, it was uh, Roberto Rodriguez, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that's Roberto. the main... Yeah, that's Roberto it. Jason, yeah. Roberto Rodriguez Jason. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, funnily enough, uh, I was told uh, that the Puerto Rican Jason, uh, he had been working as a TSA agent in the Orlando airport, believe it or not, okay. until a few years ago. But... Uh, Apparently now he's driving a truck, which means that uh, both Jason the Terribles are truckers, as uh, Carl Moffat is a British Columbia trucker. Oh, wow. And yeah, and yes, uh, uh, the Canadian Jason uh, partook in some of the convoy protests. <laughs> Such a... <laughs> you, if you go to uh, Carl Kirk Moffat's Facebook page... Uh, you will see a lot of uh, Canadian flag gifts, and uh, he, he is all in. I guess uh, such are the politics of large-masked monster heels who have taken a lot of chair shots to the head. <laughs> so he's no fan of Pierre Trudeau, I guess. No, no. <laughs> does he think Pierre he's actually Justin. cast? Does he think he's act? Yeah, sorry, think Justin, Justin Trudeau. I think it's yeah. Pierre Trudeau. <laughs> Now, is he the a fan father. of the uh, the Justin Trudeau? Is actually uh, I'm forgetting his name all of a sudden. Fidel Castro's son. Fidel Castro. No. <laughs> I it would not surprise me. Put it that way. Oh, maybe, for, maybe he's <laughs> maybe he's the Cuban assassin's son. How about that? <laughs> oh God, his Alice Facebook. Beto. His Facebook name is even better. It's Carl Kirk as one word. Jason yeah. Moffat. Yeah. AK and then parenthesis, aka Jason the Terrible. So yes, this is Roberto Rodriguez. That's Jason the Terrible. So there you go. 
But hey, still, we got a Canadian flavor on this show. We got Jericho and Vampiro in the main event. <laughs> yes, he's uh, proof that uh, not all Canadians uh, get along as well as Bahari and myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, such uh, was the heat between them that uh, uh, poor Dr. Luther, apparently, when he had his uh, WCW match with Vampiro in British Columbia... Uh, under the name of Mad, Mad Jack, Jack, which is a, yeah. a delightfully crisp apple-flavored lager made in Canada, by the way. <laughs> hey. But yeah, he claims that uh, Vampiro really big-leagued him and sandbagged him uh, due to his friendship with Jericho. <laughs> Does that surprise you? No. I mean, we, we should get uh, Bob Barnett on for the rebuttal, but... Uh... Should we? <laughs> No. Well, I, I want uh, Bahari and Vampiro to be in the rant room together. <laughs> <laughs> Although, Who's going to be doing the ranting? The <laughs> Although Vampiro supposed has uh, Alzheimer's now or something, he says. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he that's not the first time he said that, though. Or he, So he might forget. So cancer, he, he's had Alzheimer's. Parkinson's. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, too, like... I do think he's been fucked up by concussions. I do think the WCW concussions really messed him up badly. But there's that, and there's this, and also, like, oh, I, I cured my Parkinson's by doing a lot of Hindu squats and all that stuff. He just said. <laughs> he's, a, yeah. he's, a, he's a known liar. So, I mean, he's one of these that, you know, you, 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 you got to take everything he says with a grain of salt. Yes, he's, he's definitely in the, the Hogan League. <laughs> and of course, Jaggers he was also. <laughs> and he was uh, last year. He was at uh, Curtis Lee was press conference announcing his mayoral campaign in New York because, of course, Vampiro is the head of the Mexico City Guardian Angels. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, one of the the most surreal sights uh, of many from uh, the God. Let's. Uh, Maybe we shouldn't talk about this, but uh, we had a sh <laughs> we had a show called the Penis Party a few years ago, <laughs> which we shall never speak of again. <laughs> I always uh, hated Joey Ryan, by the way, just uh, <laughs> just for the record. He's not. But, he's on the truth. Uh, but um, yeah, the, the, before the Penis Party started, for some reason uh, there was an influx of guardian angels. Uh, who walked in with Vampiro. And were, they were just hanging out, fraternizing with... Uh, Billy Jack Haynes was there, I swear to God. No, okay, wait, Billy I have a question, though. Because, as I remember well from that WrestleCon here in New York, mm -hmm. at least while he was signing, Billy Jack Haynes was constantly wearing the hat because he knew that people wouldn't recognize him otherwise. Was he wearing the hat <laughs> at this point? Ah, uh, he was, yes. Okay, good. Yeah, he was. Uh, well, yeah, we'll we'll have more on uh, more on Billy Jack later. But uh, yes, 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 yes. Billy Jack Haynes. You had the penis druids walking around. You had <laughs> a bunch of very very confused Mexicans. It was, <laughs> it was a sight to see. I bet I'm all the sure. DDT talent took it in stride, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. So the fourteenth at Arena Coliseum on Tuesday, we have. Mestizo and Filoso over some Primo Dos and Kundra. Atlantico over Nuevo Lynx. Corazon Salvaje over Olympus. 
Shocker over Granada de la Muerte. Ultimatum went to a draw with Olimpico. Apolodontes, Cotocundi, and Mascara Magica over Felino, Hakimate, and Mano Negra. And the main event, Atlantis, Negro Casas, and Vampiro over Emilio Charles Jr., Jason the Terrible, and Petoff. Uh, what a show here. Uh, Violencia is Nuevo Links here, Bex, of course. Ultimatum is Electroshock, of yes. course. So there, yeah. there you go for people that. And Kundra was would become Heke, and Filoso being Nitro. So I think uh, yeah. Violencia was also uh, Ray Pandita in FMW, was he not? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So he would have been work, working both places at this time. Yes. All right. Well, the major shows are drawn well. Most smaller shows for both this group and AAA are hurting. And with Mexico City's area, they've cut back another 10% on all ticket prices. Yep. The pesos dropping, dropping, dropping. So that's what's going on here. They have signed El Sangrario, who's been working as King Leon in AAA, to jump. Plus, they're bringing back the all-time legend. Sarcastic for those who haven't seen him of late. El Psicodelico. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's quite the legend. All right. <laughs> well, uh, Rob Viper uh, said I should note uh, King Lion, uh, the father of current MLW wrestler Gino Medina. Yes. How about that? Yes, absolutely. Wait, that's Gino Medina's dad? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh. Okay. Sanguinario. I knew his dad was a luchador. I didn't know it was Sanguinario. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. And to uh, close this out, Victor Quinones. Hey. We'll be headed to Mexico to sweep up the talent trade negotiations between these groups that fell apart in November. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure uh, Victor found a lot of openings in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> didn't uh, didn't Tarzan boy debut later this year? Yeah, he's around. Same. He's around. <laughs> what do you Scouting think Victor the, would uh... think of Veer and how long he's been coming for? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Victor probably wanted to, you know, the book Chris Jericho at this time because Chris Jericho, oh, yeah, Zurich's hair. <laughs> I think it's the. Uh... The banana yellow tights would, uh, <laughs> would be the appeal for Victor. <laughs> so, yeah, Victor makes it another. It's three three straight sections that we've had Victor Canyon ads involved. It's <laughs> yeah. why you asked me to do this week. <laughs> I think this may be the end, though, so we'll see. But there you go. The end of what? The Victor stuff. I don't think he's involved anymore in the show. Let's move on to the American Indies now, and we begin with ECW, where no shows this week, but there's a little news bit here. The Comfort Inn by the airport, which has been pretty much the unofficial headquarters for ECW for their Philadelphia house shows, and where Todd Gordon had an excellent working relationship with, is no longer allowing the wrestlers to stay there after a series of disturbances stemming from the last show. Well, I'm going to disappear for the next few minutes, uh, just so nothing can be held against me directly. Gee, I wonder what kind of disturbances they had, O'Connor. Maybe you have some inside information on this. Did any of them involve uh, Raven? <laughs> <laughs> All I'll say is I'm I'm sure that crew put the cum and comfort in. 
<laughs> Actually, wait, the story I'm thinking of is probably the travel lodge, isn't it? Well, that's what I said. Yeah, because the tra I mean, the Comfort Inn, they're done with them, so they move everything to the travel lodge, and that's where you know, <laughs> all this shit goes on. Comfort Inn's a, li a little more upscale, is it not? <laughs> this kind of reminds, yeah, this kind of reminds me of what's, what's happened recently uh, with uh, SCI, where, you know, they were at the uh, what's Best oh, Western from, Heritage Inn. The Heritage Inn in uh, Chattanooga. And uh, well, that was a more of an ownership situation, but there were some things that happened that the new ownership wasn't too keen on. And uh, well, you know that, that, that crazy Daniel Maccabe <laughs> drunken hijinks playing his music loud. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this, this I guess this is why they moved to the travel lodge then. So I guess the Comfort Inn uh, knew what was coming. No pun intended. <laughs> And uh, this got in before before the rowdy bunch <laughs> yes. came in as '95 went along. Really, the, the rat infestation cleared up uh, <laughs> as soon as they, they severed the relationship. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh... All right, Terry Funk, who worked, he worked for Doug Ward. On March the 10th in Copenhagen, Virginia, and on March 11th in Stanton, Virginia, drawing 600 and 400 respectively. Listen to this matches. Funk and Wrecking Crew Rage, Al Green, subbing for Dory Funk Jr., went to a double DQ with Doug Gibson, Doug Ward, and the Lady Killer. And the second night, Doug Gibson went over to Terry Funk by disqualification. Nice to the promoter to, to, <laughs> to put himself in that position, right? Eh? And this is what would eventually, in later years, be Ward Family Promotions, right? Okay, yes. so Doug's related to Marvin Ward. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Terry Funk and Al Green as a tag. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, what, do you, what do you think happened to Dory and Marty? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let him out of the house for the weekend. <laughs> Who knows? She probably didn't uh, get a, uh, a proper booking fee. So <laughs> didn't, mean, didn't meet her standards. Um, All right, peace. Well, re no, yeah. real quick. I was curious if there was anything more about this. I pulled up wrestling data since it would be easier to find quickly there. Um, Gibson Funk, at least, was advertised as a cage match, it looks like. So we have a cage match ending by DQ. Of course you do. And... Uh, at least advertised also was Dory Funk Jr. versus Bill Maddox. Bill Maddox. And this was All Russell right. Brawl 2, Steel Cage Spectacular. Russell Brawl, huh? Original. Yes, at, at the Thomas D. Howie uh, Memorial Armory in beautiful Staunton, Virginia. There you go. Peace State Wrestling in lovely Cordell, Georgia on March the 10th, in front of 575, torch with the results. We have a. Uh, Let's go, in, let's go in reverse order here. Glenn Gerbernetti over Sugar Ray Lloyd. Oh. So Disco Inferno over Glacier. Luscious Alani over R.D. Swain. Van Hammer over the Cobra. Now, wait a second. You always call him heavy metal Van Hammer in results. Why didn't you do that? <laughs> well, he's on WCW here. Oh. Uh, Tuco Scorpio over Black Tiger. No, not Eddie Guerrero. Nightmare Ted Allen. Working as a black tiger here. 
Steve the Brawler Lawler over Cactus Jack by reverse decision. Rob Van Dam beat Raven to capture the Peach State Wrestling Championship, and then Raven won a battle royal. And Van Dam and Raven would feud on and off for that belt for about a year. Uh, Billy Black was was part of that uh, whole thing. Score. Ricky Morton would have his time in the, in this whole deal, the scene. So yeah, Peach State Wrestling is uh this is that era where they're they're doing all kinds of stuff where they have WCW guys, ECW guys on the same shows, and uh, yeah, really really good times for uh, Ben Masters and Peach State Wrestling. Yeah, it's quite a quite a little crew they had. Yeah, yeah, they would. They, I mean, they had the Armstrongs against each other. The only time that ever really happened. You know, Armstrong's are feuding against each other. So, yeah, really, really fun stuff in this time period in Cordell. Lovely Cordell, Georgia. Now, quick question, though. Is is Raven living in Georgia at this time? Yeah, I think he's living in Atlanta. How did he end up moving to Atlanta anyway after he left WWF? Was it that he had a home from when he was in WCW? Probably. Plus, I, I mean... Wrestlers love living in the Atlanta area. No, I know, but I'm saying you would think he was living, you know, in Connecticut or New York area or whatever because he was working in the office in WWF. Oh, he wanted to get out and probably like Jim Ross, you know? No, but he's from New Jersey. <laughs> well, shit. Uh, go, go, who wouldn't want to live in southern climates? You know? That's what I'm saying. The, the bagels were better in Georgia. <laughs> Goldberg's Deli, of course. <laughs> yes. uh, Goldberg's is a very prominent uh, chain of delis in uh, Metro Atlanta. How, how, how is how is their how is their uh, array of fine kosher or kosher style products? I never actually had Goldberg's. My brother has, and uh, he said they're awesome. Uh, I mean, everybody I've talked to that's had them loves them. I mean, it's very very popular. So, I mean, the, I. The Jews I know that's been there have uh, have talked it up heavily. So uh, if if it if it meets Jewish approval, then there you go. <laughs> well, yes, I would hope so. Yeah, I don't know how that's it compares awesome. to a yeah, Lido if, kosher. Have you deli. ever had a uh, a Montreal style bagel? <laughs> You've explained this before, and I forget what it was. It's just a just a different style, but uh, very very famous. All. All major Canadian cities have a uh, at least uh, one Montreal-style bagel shop. Oh wait, is it the uh, the deal where they steam the dough first before baking it? Uh, yeah, that's that's okay. part of it. We have we yeah we have we have places like that here. I think it used to be less common, but it's gotten more common. Always does seem to produce a better bagel. Yes, interesting. Smoky Mountain wrestling. Ain't no bagels in this part of the world. <laughs> no. There's been a lot of talk played about the future of this group. Wait, wait, Chris, what are you saying? It's not like there's someone that, even though we're not friends with him anymore, that used to be a, that had been on the show in the past that was specifically warned, don't tell anyone you're Jewish before going to Fan Week. <laughs> well, well, also... Uh, well, he, he, knew, he knew Al Snow would be there. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because Smoky Mountain was funded by Rick Rubin. <laughs> yes. But anyway, there has been talk of late that, about the future of this group. Not a secret that they've been surviving almost on a hand-to-mouth basis. And the big shows in Knoxville and Johnson City carried a promotion because the spot shows have been drawn well generally. 
When Knoxville and Johnson City didn't come through at the end of February, the talk started up again. A lot of wrestlers have left of late for various reasons. And the crew overall is the weakest in a long time. But if Bob Armstrong were to be gone, it'd be a tremendous demoralizing blow. Bob Armstrong had a uh, injury situation here. They should do well, do well with the Undertaker during the first week of April, but that angle where the object is to get the blacks to salute the Confederate flag takes things to a new low, even by wrestling standards. But Chris, I thought that back in the day, nobody saw any negative connotations to the Confederate battle flag. Um, Apparently, uh, we're being proven wrong here by uh, one David Allen Meltzer of Campbell, California. Well, I mean... I guess, yeah, but Dave, <laughs> but but Dave also is living in California, not living in the South. No, I know, but still, I I do think it's funny though that at least in terms of the main reporter doing the newsletter, despite what you think from who Cornette hates at this time, Dave is honestly much harder on Smokey than Wade is. Yes, and on top of that, Cornette's claimed reason for his heat with the torch. That when Smokey was still doing okay, there was some kind of story in the torch that Smokey is closing soon, which as far as anyone can tell doesn't exist. Now, granted, this is later as things really are looking bad, but still, here's Dave, here's Dave writing an article, well, not an article, a blurb, because it's the Observer, a blurb in the Observer about how a lot of talk that things aren't great and could get bleaker. So, I... Uh, I don't, very, very interesting, especially in wrestling. Things People see things a lot different if you're friends with them. Mm-hmm. All right, Cookville, Tennessee. House show on March 10th for our 400 fans. Boo Bradley over D'Lo Brown. Dirty White Boy over Nature Boy Lando. The Gangsters. New Jack Mustafa over Tracy Smothers and Boo Bradley subbing for Bob Armstrong, who's hurt. And talking about tag title match, Rock and Rolls retained over Al Snow and Unibomb by disqualification. So, yeah, there's your crew at this time, basically. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's got, I mean, got talent, but it's not a deep crew by any stretch of the imagination. Only four matches on the show. So, yeah. All right, let's go to TV. Jim Cornette and Bob Armstrong are uh, still kind of united at this time. And uh, we got a promo here where Cornette is... Uh, Asking for a favor, so to speak. So let's uh, go to Chip Kessler and uh, what's, what's it called? It's confrontation with uh, Jim Cornette and Bob Armstrong. Ricky in this thumbnail on the March 11th show looks like he's been doing a lot of favors, party favors, I guess I should say, <laughs> before they started taping. Victor's not involved here. <laughs> yes, party favors. I mean, I'm sure Victor was into those too. Special edition of Confrontation, where wrestling manager Jim Cornette has asked for some time with the commissioner of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Bullet Bob Armstrong. First, I love that he's call he's calling him in the body of the Smoky Mountain TV. He's calling him wrestling manager Jim Cornette. That's what he is. I know, but still, it's, that's one of the things about Chip Kessler. He's very formal in everything he says. Well, he's wearing a suit. Mr. Cornette, you know, first of all, I, I know you don't want to be here, and I know we look like the odd couple here. I look like Emmett Kelly, and you look like Charles Bronson, but let me explain something to you, Bob Armstrong. 
You know, it's not been real easy for me the past couple of months either in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Now, I know you've done a couple of things for me, but you haven't really done it for me. You've done it in the name of justice. You've done it in the name of fair play. You would have helped out any bum on the street instead of Jim Cornette. And I know there's still that animosity there. And believe me, I feel a little bit for you too. But it hadn't been that easy for me because I got, I got no locker room to go to at these matches anymore. Because I, I've been sitting there in a locker room with the dirty white boy who hates my guts. I've been sitting there with Tracy and Scott who, oh yeah, sure, they'll talk to me and everything. And the Rock and Roll Express, they help me out a little bit. But they don't really want to be around me. It's not like it's pal, pal, buddy, buddy. Can't go on the other side because there's the gangsters. Candido's gone. None of the other guys really care what happened. Bruiser went off and left me. Nobody really cares for me over there, and I can't sit there with the gangsters, so I gotta sit on the other side of the fence and look at everybody and say, yeah, that Cornette, I remember the time he jacked me around. So it ain't been real easy for me. But I wanna remind you, I wanna remind everybody what the gangsters have done in the past, starting at Christmas night, Christmas chaos, when they beat me half to death, busted my head open, hurt my leg. Then they went on and they got Steve, and they kneecapped him with that billy stick. And then they got a hold of Scott, and they did the same thing. They roughed you up a little bit, too. Oh, yeah, they systematically went about knocking out the entire Armstrong family, or trying to, but you've been a real roadblock in that path for them. But they've done a lot of things to a lot of people. And most recently, a couple of incidents, first at Sunday Bloody Sunday in Knoxville, and I think everybody may not have had a chance to see that, when you were the referee, when I asked you to be the special referee for the six-man tag with me and the bodies against the gangsters, I want everybody to see what happened when that match was over with. Meanwhile, Cornette staggers out, but still not close to making that all-important tag. New Jack right in the face of Jim Cornette. Cornette, again, feels the wrath of the gangsters, as he has so often of late here in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Armstrong blocks the punch there, saying, let the guy out of the corner. And New Jack doesn't like that one bit. There he gets a right hand in. And Cornette able to low blow New Jack. Well, whatever it takes to get out of there, and Cornette able to deliver one of those south of the border selections to get away from New Jack and flips over and tags Tom Pritchard. Now you got all three gangsters in the ring and Tom Pritchard is cleaning house. Pritchard laid out. And here comes New Jack. Jack was ready to come crashing down. Richard needs to. I gotta say, it's very distracting watching this. People can't <laughs> hear this because of the bright red apron skirt ad with bright yellow lettering and like designs around it that says the first choice for chicken. <laughs> in a match with a gangster <laughs> who have who got heat by cutting promos about the fried chicken stereotypes yes yeah i mean i wasn't even thinking of that part at first it's just a very garish distracting banner i mean they, they might as well have had a in the middle of the ring have a you know a watermelon logo or something <laughs> in the middle of the ring if you're gonna go this far might as well just go all the way good lord <laughs> yeah, the first one, when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs>
because I never, I, I mean, I, I, I know it was there, but I never, I don't, it was never around until this era, which is so odd. But yes. Now, oh wait, I forget. Is this Knoxville or Johnson City? Knoxville. That's what I thought, because uh, it looks like the, the Civic Coliseum. Yeah. Thank you. I was blanking on the arena name for a second. Um, is it me, though, or is the arena darkened more than usual? No, that's about right. Okay. I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About right. It, it's difficult to discern how many people are there. Whereas in, in Johnson City, if it's a small house, it was a little more lit up. And uh, and also, if it was a really small house, they would move. They would, wouldn't have the, they'd do the thing where they wouldn't have the bleachers open and they'd move the ring closer and blah, blah, blah. So. Make that tag. And now is his chance to do it if he can regain himself because New Jack is also reeling in the corner. Richard inches over, makes the tag to the gigolo. Mustafa tagged by New Jack and Jimmy Del Rey, one on three, able to take advantage and go to work on Mustafa. Drop kick, gets into the midsection of D'Lo and now goes after New Jack. Richard also into the ring. A sleeper, Jimmy Del Rey has it on New Jack. Meanwhile, D'Lo Brown is in. Cornette reaches into his clutch and throws some powder into the eyes of D'Lo Brown, who is then tossed out of the ring, and Jim Cornette is after him. Meanwhile, New Jack, Tom Pritchard, Jimmy Del Rey, and Mustafa are all in the ring. Bob Armstrong got that slap jack, level New Jack, and Jimmy Del Rey. Slapjack once too often, and the commissioner, Bob Armstrong, our special referee, was right there to rip it away, used it himself on New Jack, and Jimmy Del Rey for the cover in the count of three, but now it's so often the case, the gangsters go to work after the match is over, that chain around the neck of Bob Armstrong, and then the New Jack chain, the Mustafa Slapjack right in to Bob Armstrong, D'Lo Brown with an elbow drop. Three on one as the heavenly bodies have been thrown out of the ring. And it's Bob Armstrong feeling the brunt of the gangster. You know, you said before that match the best team was going to win, and of course that's my opinion, the best team did, but you see what happened afterwards. You remember it, I remember it, everybody else does now. And something else last week on television, when I seconded your son Scott and Tracy Smothers against the gangsters, you got involved, and it was more humiliating than anything even I'd ever done to you when they buried you under that flag. I want to take a look at that and refresh your memory and everybody else's, because I got a proposal to make. And I don't think they're anxious to put him away. Look at here. He hits this. It's over. Tracy Smothers looks up. Through that blood on his face, and saw what was happening. Southern boys are pulling this one out of the fire. They have taken over, handled. Oh! He had him. He had him. Armstrong hit. Cornette just down. D'Lo Brown, but it's too late. D'Lo hit the 
Ranch, the Gangsters. He had him up for the slam and got Ditch got Armstrong. Oh, he hit him again. That, that and again. They're using that black shot, and this crowd is getting irate. What do we think they edited out there? Uh, I don't know. That awkward crowd shot. Uh, huh. No idea. Also, I like that Chip Kessler is clearly uncomfortable calling it a blackjack when a black wrestler is using it. <laughs> this isn't WCW slapjack. where they're all calling it a slapjack. Jim Ross is calling it a blackjack. Yes. <laughs> Got the Cornette's knee. Cornette now. Ben Man handled by D'Lo Brown. The new Southern Boys had the match won, but they lost and look at the pounding. They're beating this kid's leg apart. Smothers bloody and batter on the outside. Cornette knocked down. The gangsters are, I've never seen them more deadly than we're seeing right here. They need to do something to put a stop to this. These guys could injure this man oh, permanently. they're trying to break his leg. They're trying to break Armstrong's leg. They want to break this Scott Armstrong's leg. That's exactly what they're trying to do right here. Oh, this is chaos. Look at it. Here comes Bob. Here comes Billy Bob Armstrong. But with no baseball bat. But he's got them hands on it. is dangerous right here i'm telling you they are back in control again how many guys are hurt up there jim only time's gonna tell but i'm afraid for scott armstrong he could be out of wrestling permanently the way they're going to work on that knee new jack now going up top smothers has been busted open cornet thrown on the outside they got bob armstrong Get down. Right off the top rope, right in the, that headbutt, right in the ring with the 187, is what they call that? Yes, sir. You got to give Cornette a credit. Trying to crawl in there to help out. D'Lo knocked. Look at here. Oh, look at here. Oh, my. Uh, they've got that, their, their symbolic flag. I don't know what they think it represents, but they are just symbolizing the fact that they are dominating. They own Bob Arms. Crazy hands to tennis racket and look at him go. Well, fans, you've now seen all the footage, and Mr. Cornette, what, what exactly is your proposal here? Well, you know, it never hurts to take a trip down memory lane when you're trying to sell something, and that's what I'm trying to sell. I'm trying to sell myself to you, Bob Armstrong. Excuse me? <laughs> I, I won't take that any further, but excuse me? <laughs> I've got something to say to you. I've got an offer to make. Now... I can't get the heavenly bodies down here all the time because they came in a couple of times, but I need somebody to get even with the gangsters that's right here. And they got WWF contracts signed for the next six months. I don't have access to the heavenly bodies. I sure can't whip them myself. Not one of them, especially not three of them. But you and Tracy Smothers, you got a reason to want to get even with the gangsters. And I, believe me, I understand that. And I want to let you fight that fight. But I also know you got D'Lo Brown outside the ring running around causing chaos. And I know more tricks outside the ring than he's ever thought of or heard of. And I know how to head him off. So what I'm asking you is when you take on the gangsters, I want to be a part of it. I want to be in on getting even. Let me be your manager. I want to manage you and Tracy Smothers against the gangsters. What? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, I'm serious. We've never needed a manager. 
No doubt you know the tricks. You've been around long enough, manager of the year so many years in a row and all that. I've heard all that. So I know you know the tricks, no doubt in my mind. But we call our own shots. We're, we're our own men. We want to get our revenge ourselves. And I don't think we need you, Jim Cornette. I think we can handle this job all by ourselves. Well, I tell you, I wouldn't, be, uh, I wouldn't be a businessman if I wasn't bringing something to the table. I got a little something to add to this negotiation. See, like I said, D'Lo Brown, he's out there running around, and he's done as much damage to you and Tracy Smothers as the other two guys have. And he's a big, strong man. So you got three of them, you got two of you. Tell you what I'll do. I can bring this whole thing to a squeeching halt. Squeegee. I'll get you the greatest six-man tag partner that you've ever had in your life. You know, I got access to a lot of people, a lot of names in the world of wrestling. I'll get you a six-man tag partner that can blow those gangsters out of the water to join with you and Tracy Smothers against the three of them. If you'll let me manage you, I will provide you with a guy that will make people's eyes pop out like pie plates and it will eliminate the gangsters from the scene once and for all. I've already got him on the line. All I got to do is get the commitment from you to reel him in. Well, you make it sound pretty persuasive. And the gangsters have hurt me and my family. I'll tell you what I'll do, Cornette. If you produce this man who's as bad as you say and a juggernaut like you say, and I think he can get the job done, we'll take him as a six-man partner and we'll even let you tag along as manager. How about that? <laughs> but I got to know first. I got to know. That's all I wanted to hear. I got the man's word himself, and I know his word's as good as a bond, and I got that partner, and all I got to do is make a phone call, and I'll tell everybody next week on TV exactly who it's going to be. But trust me, get to your TV set early, because you ain't going to want to miss this news. Smoky Mountain Wrestling is fixed to turn upside down. <laughs> well, fans, we'll find out exactly who Jim Cornette will produce next week, next week on Smoky Mountain Wrestling. More action coming up right after this. And Big, do you want to tell about who that was? That would be Terry Funk. Yep. Although then, by the time the match is actually booked, it's a tag without D'Lo or Tracy. Yeah, that's well, that's so they could do the turn. I forget what's the reason it becomes a regular tag though. In storyline, uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. But one thing about that clip is again, you get you get how at home Jim Ross was calling this stuff. Yes. Compared to calling WWF, and uh, although he wasn't as uh, expressive on the flag angle here as he was with Watts, <laughs> boy, <laughs> did he want to make very clear and <laughs> have some res definitely respect Jim for taking it this way. He, even though he doesn't outright say it, he wanted to make it very clear that at least from his point of view, the storyline was not that Malcolm X was evil. <laughs> That no, the X flag that you know, whatever symbolism it has to them, or whatever it was he said. Yeah, I All thought right, that so was very interesting on his part to handle it that way. Well, speaking of Jim Ross, he's with the gangsters. So, see what the gangsters have to say about all this before we go further. Alrighty. By the way, is it me or does Les seem a little less comfortable as Jim Ross's color guy than he does as a lead announcer in this era? Uh, that's, I mean, they never really worked together until this era, so I don't know. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with the gangsters. Uh, as we know, Jim Cornette will bring a mystery partner to the big six-man tag team matchup at the Bluegrass Brawl. Does that concern you in the least? Do I look concerned? Oh, wait a second. This is a separate match then because Bluegrass Brawl isn't where the turn happens. Yeah. I forgot that 
Wait, so is this still Terry Funk, though? Yeah, it's Terry Funk. So I totally forgot about this. So they bring in Terry Funk for Bluegrass Brawl. There's no turn. And then they do the tag in Knoxville with the Texas Death Match. And he took. And then that's he turns. Turn. Yeah, yeah okay. that's. Yeah. I completely forgot they did another big show with Terry Funk where he didn't turn. That actually makes the storyline make a little bit more sense. <laughs> Jim Cornette done tried every possible trick and ain't nothing working. We done beat the Rock and Roll Express. We beat the Heavenly Bodies. You don't see them. We done beat up all the Armstrongs. Brad, Bob, oh, Steve, Grumpet. Oh, oh. It was, uh, was wrong. It was The Undertaker. Oh, okay. So they haven't even announced Undertaker yet That's as of the TV. That's why. Yeah, yeah it was The Undertaker, but that was... Uh, it, it wasn't in Bluegrass Brawl. No, he Bob did got... work Bluegrass Brawl as well. Yeah, but Bob Armstrong didn't. Okay. It was a handicap match. They Bob were Fright Night. That makes sense. Yeah, it was a three. It was a six man at Fright Night. That great uh, promo video with the gangsters in the graveyard. Yeah, and then you don't forget the Reaper. <laughs> it was Volunteer Slam is when they had the uh, Texas Death Match yes. in May. Okay. So it was the Undertaker. I forgot though that in storyline, what threw me yet was that I forgot that Cornette was responsible for Undertaker coming in. Yeah, been, yeah, canon. which was odd because a, a Cornette Yokozuna Undertaker, yes. <laughs> yeah, he was right, just so feuding with... Okay. <laughs> I mean, he was part of the group that killed him a year early. <laughs> Different universe picks. Yes. Right, so big goofy, to... And now he gonna go and get a mystery partner. Do I look concerned? I ain't worried about Cornette. I ain't worried about no mystery partner. I ain't worried about no redneck he can put in front of the gangster. It's only three of us here, but it's a whole lot of us that I can go and get. And if need be, I can bring a whole busload up here. I bring so many of us up here, you would think we was making a Tarzan movie. So partner, if you want some, Come on, get some, because I'm letting you know now, the gangsters here to be had. Cornette, I don't care who you go and get. You can get your big fat mama in Louisville, Kentucky, and roll her down to the ring. We'll beat her just like we beat you. You want some? Come on, partner. We ready. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll find out next week who that mystery partner will be. For Les Thatcher, I'm Jim. Well, that was about over with anyway. All right, so... For those of you that don't get New Jack's line there, <laughs> one, of, one of the greatest scenes in Sanford and Son history. Uh, O'Connor, have you seen this? I Probably. I, I watched quite a bit of uh, Sanford and Son. So the, Fred and Lamont are in the in court for traffic. Oh, yes, yes, I remember this. <laughs> so they're in court for traffic court. And the whole thing, Fred works as uh, Lamont's defense attorney, his defense counsel. And there is a, the judge is black. And so Fred asked the, uh, the white police officer, why don't he arrest white people for speeding? And uh, the cop's like, well, I arrest white people. He says, Look around this courtroom. There's enough ends in this courtroom to film a Tarzan movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was not this censored at the this time. Court, this courtroom's full of ends. <laughs> I die laughing every time I, I see that scene. <laughs> it's so hilarious. It was a different time. 
so uh, there, so there's New Jack tribute to Fred Sanford there, but uh, <laughs> but man, um, yeah, it's so it's so interesting watching how different the gangsters were here compared to ECW O'Connor. I mean, it's like a totally different act. Oh yeah, I mean they oh, they, they were great. Uh, but how about uh, Cornette in that first clip? Uh, Doing the shoulder roll into the hot tag, dropping elbows. Yes! Yeah. He was working his ass off. Cornette was destroying his knees in some of those spots. Mm -hmm. Like, everything he did, he kept coming off the apron onto his feet hard. And (laughs) just, given that both of his knees already got messed up by this point, I'm surprised he's doing all that. Mm. He was carrying a lot of weight at this time. Uh, yes. Well, that's but the other you... thing, too. Like, we've said it before. When we get up to this era of Smokey, you can tell the stress is eating him alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, he's put he's selling all he can here. I mean, he's trying to make this angle, you know, be real big. It just isn't connecting. Like, yeah. he should, like... <sighs> Do you go with the idea that the fans, like, they do, genuinely did hate the gangsters, but in a way where they didn't even want to go to the shows? Or do you think it's just it didn't connect, or combination of the two? I, I think it's a combination of stuff. Because I always felt like that thing of, oh, they really they really do dislike them, but they they just don't want to go to the shows. It's a specific type of dislike. I, that never really clicked to me. It's, it's, I don't think it's a dislike towards them. It's, it's, I think it's a dislike towards the angles. Well, okay, so here I agree, and here's where I'm going with that. I think it's that by crossing over into this subject matter, regardless of what side someone was taking, it removed the escapism from wrestling for a lot of those fans. Absolutely. O'Connor, what, I mean, you've lived in the Carolinas— which is, mm. you know, in that general area. I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts on how all this played out with the fans and regarding this angle? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I even spent some time in Kentucky, which was uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling Territory. I had a, a girlfriend from Hazard, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. All places. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean... This was uh, 1995. I mean, even even then, I mean, the, the, <laughs> things were starting to change. Uh, things were getting a little more progressive down there. So, uh, yeah. And I mean, I mean, the, plenty of, of black fans watched wrestling, too. So I think surely he was. Uh, yeah. yeah, surely he was alienating uh, part of his audience with this, the. And, and, portrayal of the gangsters, uh, and yes, there's there's a part of this about saluting the Confederate flag. Yes, that's part yes, of it. Yes, I mean it. Yeah, I mean it, it definitely. I mean when I went went down south for the first time would have been who nineteen nineteen ninety eight probably, and you <laughs> you still saw a lot of rebel flags uh, in Kentucky. Uh, I'm sure you still do, but probably uh, probably less so. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it, it was always contentious for sure, but 
actively. It's it's one thing for Tracy Smothers to come out with the flag, but actively doing an angle where a group of black wrestlers have to salute the flag. That that was yeah, definitely that, pushing it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to have Southern pride, quote unquote. But to do this type of angle with this, and yeah, I mean, it's it's over the line. Absolutely. Well, and also to treat the Malcolm X flag as equivalent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It, it, uh, this, whatever you want to say up to, about everything up to this point, if it hadn't crossed a line before, and it, it had, but if it, even if you want to say it hadn't, it absolutely did here. Yeah. Also, I mean, New Jack... <laughs> sounds strange but I mean, new jack was he was just so cool i mean he was almost i think for a lot of younger viewers i mean new jack he was just he was hard not to like i mean he was so funny had such charisma it was kind of kind of hard to hate him during this time well also granted not as much in their core cities i mean the you know the two core cities to a degree although well maybe that's you know what for knoxville not necessarily i guess but well wait what am i saying no the city the cities had decent sized black populations the other towns in the territory that didn't mm-hmm. you know yeah. like so it, where i was going with that though is like i think back to the thing that dylan hale said on the smoky mountain exiles with chris that he knows people who got involved, who are like involved in Black Lives Matter, you know, activities and stuff these days, who first got motivated to get involved in like racial justice activities from New Jack's promos in Smoky Mountain. <laughs> yeah. Funny how that worked. I mean, that's the thing, like, outside the ones that actually talk about racial issues outside of, you know, the, the infamous early one where. New Jack slides in the congratulations to OJ. <laughs> yeah. But outside of that, New Jack doesn't come off like that much of a heel in a lot of them. No. He really doesn't. Well, he was like heel, heel Bret Hart talking about American health care. I mean, he made some good points. Well, he was also He's... right that your money is prettier, too. Oh, yes. It's very colorful. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to the USWA now. And uh, Reggie Beepon started a face turn on March the 6th when Reggie pinned Russell Spellbinder in a battle of the heels and both agreed to wrestle cleanly. But Spellbinder immediately pulled out a chain and pinned Reggie in five seconds. So Reggie uh, got some revenge by pinning Spellbinder in a tag match later in the show. Well, on the March 11th TV show, Brian Christopher was supposed to defend the USWA title against Spellbinder. Reggie B. Fine came in the ringside. After a rep bump, Spellbinder asked Reggie to run in and help him win the title, but Reggie threw his baseball cap in Spellbinder's face, and Brian pinned him. Spellbinder then attacked Reggie after the match. All right, so let's go to two clips here. One, we have Reggie coming out to uh, talk to Lance and Dave, and then we'll have the finish of the uh, Christopher Spellbinder match where Reggie gets involved. So let's go to clip number one. Hot diggity, we're ready to go on opening bout today Hot on USWA. Hot diggity is what he said. <laughs> it also reminds me of uh, on uh, Russo's vicious Vince, vicious Vincent's excuse me World of Wrestling radio show how uh, his co-host the Matt Rat uh, catchphrase of course was Hot diggity dog man. 
<laughs> the Matt Rat. <laughs> yeah, it was that guy. Know. Oh, what I always forget the guy's real name, but the guy who ended up uh the, the guy who ended up working for WWF.com and WWF on AOL and stuff. Huh. Anyway, yes, back to the clip. Wrestling, it is a Sunshine Heavyweight title bout right here today. Sanction. Special television time for this bout. Uh, before we do, Reggie be fine making his way over to the side. Here's Lance and Dave with Reggie. Reggie. Now, Reggie, we got a match here. Yeah, we got a title match coming up here, Reggie. We'll be talking to you later on. Why don't you just wait and make it another time? You look mighty nice today, brother. You look mighty nice. I got something on my mind, man. <laughs> you must Last week I had a match with the Spellbinder. You know, I ain't got no beef. We ain't got no beef with each other, nothing, man. I thought he was my boy. You know, I thought we was cool. We ride up and down the highway together. So the promoters put us in a match together. So cool, you know, I agreed, he agreed. I was in that match for 10 seconds, man. Soon that referee checked us and turned around, man, bust me in the head with something, man. It'll happen, uh, you know, the people you hang out with. But I ain't going out like that, man. I'm not going out like that, man. I'm sick and tired of this, man. I've been around here for six or seven years, man, doing the same old thing. There's going to be a new attitude around here. You watch what I tell you, man. New attitude for Reggie. Ain't no secret. It's a real deal, man. Look, look at my eye. Do you like I'm laughing or look like I'm playing? Spell? No, I'll, I'll give you that. Spellbinder. You know, I thought we was cool, man. I ain't never think he'll do me like that, man. Well, he's coming out for a match right here. Now, you what? guys just keep, keep your distance. I ain't gonna do nothing to him. I'm, I'm cool, man. I'm gonna wait my turn. I got plenty of time to okay, get him. Okay, okay, Reggie. Cool. Well, I don't mind if I hang out out I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear that, uh, glad to hear you've got a different attitude. Let's go back up to Corey and finish All these right, introductions. Lance. We're All right. So there's that. Uh, uh, Reggie sounds so much like a guy's here in my town. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it, I mean, it is, it, it, it's like being in the streets when, again, you know, I mean, <laughs> It's like I'm at work, you know, here in this conversation. I love it. All right, so we have that, and we got the match coming up here with Brian and Spellbinder. So let's go to the finish, and let's see what Reggie does. Comes up swinging something in his hand. Yeah, he had a chain wrapped around his hand. I could see it. We popped Brian with it when Brian turned and came back toward him. Reggie up to the ring. Christopher rolls up behind him, takes him into a pin. One, two, three. And that is what we're talking about, keeping your mind on business. The winner, Brian Christopher, still holding on to the USWA title. You know, over the years, we've made a lot of fun of Reggie about being outsmarted in matches. We've seen it happen time and time again. He just outsmarted the Spellbinder right there. Uh -oh. oh, Spellbinder jumping him down here on the floor. Throws Reggie back up in the ring. Reggie's been challenging the Spellbinder throughout the match from over here. Spellbinder just nailed him with a fist to the top of the head. There's Spellbinder. by Brian Christopher. Look at this. Reggie nails him a Spellbinder turned around and now Spellbinder decides time to get out of the ring. Whoa. We, we gotta take time out here, Davey. We'll be back with action in just a moment.
I spoke about him right in the head with that hat, too. Um, it, this baby face turn did not last very long for Reggie because obviously uh, Lawler needed uh, Reggie to go back heel again so he could work him on TV. That was his TV mm-hmm. opponent. But uh, yeah, I love Reggie B. Pine. He's always a trip, man. Entertaining. Yes. Great, great, great promo. I think was it the, the last time we talked about uh, Reggie, I think he was uh, threatening to cook and eat Frankie. Yes, Coco Beware. Especially <laughs> horrifying now that I uh, have a baby named Frankie. Oh, and that, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I know it, yes. So uh, so there's Reggie uh, in the short lived baby face run here in Memphis. All right. So next we get Gordon George III. He wrestled JC Ice in a television match where everyone ran in, which they used the hype that, that the cage match, nobody can interfere. Their cage match. It's coming to the Coliseum, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes. On TV, there have been Bill Dundee as the master of the strap match. Years back, Dundee and Dutch Mantel, a famous match, although at that time Dutch was billed as the master. Dundee gave a uh, bull with the Brian Christopher on television. They told the practice with it all weekend because he's going to need it. <laughs> so I, I can buy Dutch uh, being the master of the strap match, if uh, only because his abundant back hair. Uh, provided natural protection from the leather. <laughs> yes, yes, he had his, uh, he had a, a lot of um, of hair to absorb the punishment <laughs> yes. of the strap. I'm I'm very excited for this uh, next clip here. Diamond Mike has returned as the manager of Jack Hammer, Big Daddy Cyrus, and Crusher Bones. Big Business Brown, who was with Cyrus and Bones was promoted to being with Tommy Rich and Doug Gilbert. And before we get to the clip, this is not the big business Brown who worked Wildside. Or is it? Uh, Yes, it is. Okay. So wait, who's the other big business Brown then? This is is one and the same right here. No, but isn't Uh, there a second big business Brown too? That was the ECWA's big business Brown or something like that. that, Okay, that's what I was thinking of. Okay. Did uh, Crusher Bones passed away recently, didn't he? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's Wait, go to... Wasn't, doesn't, didn't, wasn't one of them better known by another name? Was it Crusher Bones or Big Daddy Cyrus? Yeah, one of them. I can't remember what, who it was and what he was, but anyway. All right, so let's go to the clip. Let's go to Diamond Mike, who is the poor man Sir Oliver Humperdinck. And, <laughs> uh, let's Great go to this. value, Oliver Humperdinck. <laughs> yes. So let's go to that, shall we? Oh, Big Daddy Cyrus was uh, Lanny Keene. There you oh. go. Cousin Junior. Cousin Junior. Moondog Cujo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, why did you have to queue it up after the USWA collectibles ad? Didn't need to play it. Okay. Match coming up here just moments from now. The Big Daddy Cyrus and Crusher Bones with some newfound friends, it looks like. Jack Hammer and Diamond Mike. Well, you know, Dave Brown. Okay, I have to pause because <laughs> I like how Jack Hammer's knockoff LOD shoulder pads have gotten even cheaper and more bootleg and indie looking since his previous run here. They look, they look, look like a repurposed set of uh, metal ring steps to me. It, it looks like a set of ring steps in Adam Cole's jacket from Sunday. Baby. This is uh, Rob Naylor's favorite wrestler, Jack Hammer. <laughs> what? Wait. He loves this on Crusher yeah, Bones. Bring up Jack Hammer to Naylor. Yes. <laughs> His face will light up. 
<laughs> he was a well, he's a, a Pennsylvania guy, was he not? So, yeah, something like that. Big business had a lot of other things to do, so we went out and we found one of the premier managers in the business, Diamond Mike. Woo! And I'm going to tell you something right now before we get started. Anything else, Moon Dog? We've had enough to hear with you. We have beat you in the alleys. We have beat you in the ring. We have beat you in the backyard. Well, now, brother, we have a little surprise for you. Diamond Mike is going to take us all down to Paradise City, baby, where the grass is green and girls are pretty. And Jack could very well be dangerous. Diamond Mike signing on along with Jack Hammer with Big Daddy Cyrus and Crusher Bones. We've got a match right here. Let's head them to the ring and There's get it underway. Nirvana, baby. All right. Nirvana, stand by ringside with him there. who's Nirvana? First introducing at a combined weight of 404 pounds from Millington, Tennessee, Charlie Laird. Partner from Memphis, Tennessee, Ken Raper. <laughs> Ken Raper. <laughs> Ken Raper. <laughs> I know he's just a TV job guy. I, 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 it honestly still boggles my mind that Ken Raper didn't change his name for wrestling, <laughs> or did, or didn't work in Puerto Rico for for Victor. <laughs> it's the the also sadly recently deceased uh, yeah, Ken Raper. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But, uh, all right, Diamond Mike and then crew. <laughs> what a, a glorious bunch this is. Yes. I love what was his, his uh, self appointed moniker it was uh, Mr. Leisure Time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of got the, uh, he's not only an Oliver Humper name, but he's kind of got that, uh, like, like a, like Captain Lou type thing about him, too. <laughs> yeah. But he also, he sounds, he sounds more like the Cheaters and Charlie Brown cartoons than anyone else I've ever heard cutting a promo. <laughs> How about that chain? How about that gold chain around his yes. neck? Or whatever the hell that was. Frank Sisson would be envious. <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, this crew is here for a very short time and they're they're gone. He's wildly entertaining. He's also holding some kind of a colorful cocktail. I, yeah. They sh these guys should have went to Calgary. <laughs> they would have fit in. Yes. Jesus. So there you go. Rob Naylor, that's for you, buddy. All right. The Eddie Gilbert tribute video, which hit around the country on the satellite this past weekend, is getting rave reviews. Perhaps the best of its kind that anyone ever seen on a wrestling show. Which, of course, it didn't air during our week. It was on the tape delay version. Of the, so it was the previous week. But, uh, yeah, we talked we, we talk about that before on this show. And, um, yeah, that's a hell of a damn video. I don't, you know what, though? I mean, well, I mean, it's a music video, but if the... Because I don't think we played it before. Well, it's not during, yeah, we have. We, we have, talked about I, it. Well, I was just going to say if we could play the Lance and Dave intro. But. I mean, 
Yeah, we, I mean, we've we've done it because we, we we talked about the video. On this, did, was it when we did? Was it when we did the Eddie the Patreon, Patreon show. show? The Patreon show. No, yeah. it wasn't. No, 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 no. It wasn't up yet. I remember because I think the person who put it on YouTube uploaded it because we mentioned that we couldn't find it. Well, it was uploaded March 2020, so I guess that's probably right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Let me, it's a minute, so let me just play the intro. Even though it's not during our week, but go ahead. But still, it's when we're talking about it. So. You wrestling fans know the wrestling world was saddened by the death this past week of Eddie Gilbert. We were notified that on February 18th in San Juan, Puerto Rico, Eddie had passed away of apparent heart failure. It's a situation where Dave and I and our association with wrestling over the years have had the opportunity uh, to become acquainted with a lot of wrestlers, but rarely, if ever, have we had a situation where a third-generation wrestler uh, we have known since pre-teens and watched him develop into a consummate professional wrestler. Eddie, at first appearance, was uh, physically too small to accomplish much in uh, the wrestling business, but uh, through dedication, hard work, friendly smile outside the ring, all of those, he, uh, he reached great success. We just want to take this opportunity to, with great respect to pay tribute to a real warrior, Eddie Gilbert. Hi. And it's, you said it's The Dance by Garth Brooks. Yeah. That's so. too. And I mean, yeah, like the, the reception's getting is right. It, certainly up to this point, point it's probably the classiest and most genuine way anything like this had been handled on a wrestling show right mm-hmm. at this point yes yeah at this point. Of, back in the day i mean so many deaths just just went unacknowledged altogether yeah well andre was the first one to really be out there and mm-hmm. yeah just it just didn't happen mm-hmm. absolutely but I mean, it's it's Eddie Gilbert in Memphis. I mean, you can't really avoid that one. But and uh, it's also someone who had wrestled for the company in the previous year before yeah. he died too. So that's I mean, I would say in terms of like a comparable and situation, Doug's there. Well, that too, yes. Mm-hmm. But also in terms of like even before Yenda Doug, though, another comparable situation I guess would be I would say there's more like Adrian Adonis, where like it seemed like everyone kind of felt as if WWF should have said something on TV. Mm-hmm. But and Doug, Doug has just Doug has just come back to work. The week the the Coliseum show before a week. So yeah, I mean this is how fresh it is. Yes. And again one of my favorite trivia notes. Apparently Eddie's very last match was against a wrestling bear in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> and no, where, it wasn't Dutch Mantel. Yeah, where Eddie found a wrestling bear in 1995. <laughs> Who knows? In Puerto Rico, no. Less. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, Victor Quinone has found him a bear. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't even know how to find that bear. Victor's specialty, but... <laughs> Wrong bear. <laughs> he right, he tried to find Joe LaDuke's phone number. <laughs> yes. Marcus Dupree, who at one point considered was considered a Heisman Trophy candidate when he played for University of Oklahoma. He was in a classroom when Dr. Depp was a senior offensive guard, was on television doing the Lawrence Taylor Bam Bam Bigelow match. 
Uh, several points, Dupree has come close to being involved in pro wrestling, and they believe he has worked years ago with small indie shows, and they hinted that he may work here. Well, let's go to the best that never was, quote-unquote, uh, Marcus Dupree, and see him here in Memphis. Superstar, Marcus Dupree. Let's give him a big hand. Marcus, welcome aboard. Is that Davey Haskins? at Oklahoma. Yep. All you got to mention, Marcus Dupree. He's the only freshman that ever won the rushing title in his freshman year. Tied the touchdown record. I could go on and on, Marcus. I love to see this. Memphis Pharaohs Arena Football. It's sweeping the country, and we're tickled to death. Well, it's, it's, it's going to be an exciting football league, and uh, I'm just honored to be a part of it. And and I'm just glad to be up here in Memphis. Well, I got to ask you one thing, David, before your match gets underway. There's been ESPN. It's been on all the publicity around. They got a match coming up with Bam Bam Bigelow going against the great former New York Giant, Lawrence Taylor. How do you feel about that footballer and the wrestler? Well, I don't know that much about Bam Bam Bigelow, but I do know something about Lawrence Taylor. I played against him in the NFL, and he's a, he's a powerful guy. He's a relentless guy, and uh, I know Bam Bam Bigelow is going to have a big problem with uh No, nope, it won't be any pushover won't for be him. a pushover. I promise you. Marcus Dupree, we got to go to the ring. Guess who? <laughs> this is not professional football. You know, I had a contract. I just can't get over Diamond Mike's promos. And Jack Hammer just walking around like a robot. It's like Boomhauer had a baby with the teachers from Charlie Brown. Jack Hammer is literally wearing shoulder pads. Marcus, I'm sorry. Thank you very much. David, good luck to you in there. Let's go to Corey. Lance, we're ready to go with it, buddy. Here, our last bout here today on USW Wrestling to the expiration of our time. First introducing a 230. Fast so you don't want to watch Jack Hammer. <laughs> no. All right. So, all right, so let's watch oh, no, the It looks like feed. they come in right away, actually, to attack. Okay. All, right. So, all right. Well, all right. Well, we'll play it then. Yeah. Okay. Do it. Hold on. Yeah. That's good. Take it off mute. Corey, uh, able to get I'm out of the ring. Boy, when a Jack Hammer jumped in the ring, he threw that thing, uh, whatever that shoulder apparatus he had. Oh, no. Whatever that shoulder Here apparatus is. Bones. That's going to be a disqualification right there. Can't even get a single well, match going. Can't you think nice those guys? But David Haskins. That's his dropping down. I don't think I realized he it was like he took the Janetti Rikishi bump, but with like kind of an extra like, going forward more like a shooting star press than going back. Jack Evans bump. We've had you just better get on out of here. We don't need any of it. Marcus up there trying to help David out. We're leaving right now. We're going to take a break and we're going to be back. Amazing. <laughs> uh, you know, I got to tell you, David, oh, yeah. that, that craziness going on in here with 
Guys like Cyrus and Bones and Diamond Mike and Jack Hammer and everybody's screaming and hollering and they're jumping three on one irritates me. Oh, well, me too. You got to watch yourself because you don't know what all is going on there. We had quite a day, not only with that today, we also had... uh, Uh, You know, as Lance-isms go, we really don't highlight a screaming and hollering enough. (laughs) (laughs) I was distracted by uh, Dupree's... uh... What was it? The the Memphis Pharaohs hat, which yes, s- suspiciously close to the uh, Philadelphia Phillies logo. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> this arena team didn't last very long either. So, Mar- Mar- Marcus he wrestled some here, uh-huh. uh, not much, but did wrestle some in Memphis. But there, so there you go. All right, March thirteenth for the Coliseum, PG thirteen regained the tag titles in a cage match from Rich and Doug Gilbert. Time Rich and Doug Gilbert in a wild match where PG thirteen had vowed to leave town for five years that they had lost, which of course guaranteed the result. JCIS was injured at the Rich Paul drove him through a table. One of the one of the sickest pile drivers to a table you ever see. It's crazy. The table just obliterated as soon as they went through it. <laughs> Mama D, Wolfie's mother, was handcuffed to heel manager Big Business Brown. A post-match saw uh, Gordon Shores third attack Mama D into a run-in, but Wolfie's stepfather, who was 6'4", 270, went nuts after George had beat up his wife and made the save. Of course, that's Daddy D. All right, so our uh, results of this show, Jack Hammer went to a time-limit draw (laughs) with Scott Stud, (laughs) Scotty Riggs. A time limit draw. <laughs> Order Swords third over Chris Canyon. Spellbinder over Reggie Beefon. The Moondog Spot and Fake Moondog Rex over Big Daddy Cyrus and Crusher Bones by the Spalpicate. <laughs> <laughs> I quit match Miss Texas over Sweet Georgia Brown, which is always interesting because Miss Texas was originally Sweet Georgia Brown, but this was uh, another one, another lady with that name. Uh, Bill Dundee over Brian Christopher of Texas Bull Rope match was really a strap match. And the Steel Cage, Lizzie Town, PG 13 over Richard Gilbert to win the titles. So, hmm. wild time in the USWA. Man, this is the USWA right before the Smoky Mountain feud gets going. So, yeah. I, for- I forgot that fake Rex had a USWA run. He did, yes. And he's never been identified, right? Mm, no. Well, wait a minute. What? Uh, what? Um. When he? When that was that? Goliath? No, Goliath was uh, Cujo. Well, no, no, no not Cujo. Cujo. Cujo uh, no, Goliath was Splat. Splat. Spike was Bill Smithson. Yes. Yes. There you go. All right. Ozark Mountain Wrestling. Burt Prentice's promotion. Well, we don't have Victor. But we got Burt. Yeah. Uh, which also reminds me, I need I need to listen to the. Uh, the series that Chris Coelho has started doing on Burt's promotions on rediscovering the Indies, because that definitely sounds right up my alley. Yes, I bet it is. All right, Jones, Arkansas, on March 13th, we have Rick Burton going to a no contest with Steve Stratton. Well, no, technically the result we have says ended without a winner. It doesn't say how. Well, no contest. Uh, a Lightning Express, Greg Jones and Ricky Steele over Dynamic Duo 1 and 2. Romeo Valentine over the River City Bomber. Dirty Little Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Taylor. Dirty Little Dave as a ring name in a Burt Prentice promotion? <laughs> I, I believe that was uh, Debbie Malenko's pet name for Meltzer. 
Oh, are we saying that's canon now? Okay. <laughs> sure. I thought the story Damn was hand. that they weren't and Lano thought they were. Uh, who are you to doubt Mike Lano? <laughs> well, being that's... that uh, just a couple weeks before this, he made up a story about Doug Gilbert telling him that he was in the ring when they found out Eddie, or no, he found out Eddie died when they made the announcement out over the house, Mike. That's what it was. <laughs> but I, 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 yeah, I kind of doubt uh, one Dr. Mike. Well, no, excuse me. We're not allowed to call him doctor anymore. Uh, <laughs> the former Dr. Mike Lana. Yes. Tim Hansen over J.R. Alzado. <laughs> Somebody used to Alzado's name. That sounds like an FCW name, doesn't it? <laughs> He was still learning the ropes here. Oh, yes. The Spiders over the Assassins. And in our main event, Colorado Kid, Mike Rapata. He worked underneath a lot. I mean, he catch his chat by the squad. No, we heard that it turned out he didn't. <laughs> well, um, yeah. And the Spiders here, I believe, are Jazz Warrington and Glenn Ruth. Yes. Um, yes. If, if only he's got his little run going here with uh, Ozark Mountain. Yes, and this is because it does kind of turn into North American All-Star, which turns into Music City, which turns into NWA Worldwide, which turns into USWA Championship. This is the first real promotion where Burt doesn't just cut and run. Yeah. Like, have we ever heard why? I'm sure, I'm sure Bo has an answer. Well, I mean, he's homesteading now. He, I mean, he's not going anywhere else. This right. is home. He wants to just stick around the Tennessee area. Yeah. Yeah. Now he does yeah. move around within the within the area before settling in Nashville. Cause here he's running more, you know, Memphis adjacent towns in Arkansas. But as North American All Star keeps going under that name, and then eventually when USWA closes up, he transitions into Music City and then for the next however many years, bases everything out of Nashville. Yes. And I, th by the way, I don't know if you checked, I, I think there is like a full house show report for the show in the torch. Cause I um, remember really reading like a careful. detailed description of Colorado kid versus cactus Jack. Well, I really didn't need that detail. No, we didn't. All right. Circle city wrestling. Sabu returning to Indianapolis on March to nine with judge dread. Of course. Working with Mike Samples and Flash Flag in a false cut anywhere match. Although nobody tried to mace Sabu. Somebody did throw a brick at him. Jeez. Bone Crusher Lewis did the pogo gimmick, uh, blowing a fireball out of his mouth on Samples, allowing Sabu to pin him. Samples shows are every Thursday at 1821 South Marine Street in Indianapolis for six bucks. He's got Ricky Morton and Trace Smothers in on the 16th and the 30th, and Sabu and Dread on the 23rd. Sabu is going to work every Thursday that he doesn't have an ECW or Japanese commitment. Now, he's calling this Samples' shows or his promotion. He's the booker. This is Jeff Cohn's promotion. Yeah, now let's read the full results. Uh, March to 9th in Indianapolis. Bone Crusher Lewis over Vin Man Anthony. <laughs> Phantom Tragedy over Brian Rollins. Blue Meanie. Phantom Sorrow over Rick Matrix. Sabu and Judge Dredd over Samples and Flash. And it's noted Anthony, Rollins, and Matrix are all students from Al Snow's wrestling school. So I'm guessing they drove down with Sabu and Dredd. Yes. 
And yes, Brian Rollins is Blue Meanie. Yes. Rick Matrix. To... Oh, go ahead. I used to have a uh, a morbid fascination with uh, Judge Dredd for some reason. He's a a big uh, Michigan guy, probably uh, had the worst uh, tope suicida in wrestling. But uh, because he was a bigger guy, it seemed uh, impressive at the time. He did a, a few FMW tours uh, through Sabu. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was uh, sus- Subscribing to the Torch at the time, and uh, Chris Zaviza, who uh, wrote a column in the Torch, used to uh, put over Judge Dredd, uh, perhaps because I believe he managed him on uh, independent shows in Michigan. But uh, yeah, he was a a guy who uh, faded away pretty quickly. Yes, Zaviza was uh, Gideon Wainwright. That's right, yes. As a manager. Uh, And great name. Yes, and Rick Matrix, I guess, would be best known from IWA Mid South. Hmm. And these are the and these phantoms are the same phantoms that were in USWA the year earlier with Dirty White Girl working as their manager. I think she was Fantasia, and uh, she was wearing the half black, half white face paint deal and trying her best to hide her southern accent, which is hilarious <laughs> to watch. Yes. Because she has a very pronounced southern accent. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Whatever, whatever happened to Chris Zaviza? He seems to kind of drifted away from wrestling. Probably a smart decision on his part. <laughs> I, I, I want to say he was a teacher. He was, he was yes. really into uh, Japanese wrestling. That was kind of his uh, specialty for the torch. But uh, yeah, I haven't, haven't heard from him in a long time. For what it's worth of the Chris Zavizas that are on Facebook, there are none that I have any mutual Facebook friends with. So I'm guessing he's not on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Because you would think, well, actually, now that again, John Again, smart D. move! Well, yes. <laughs> but I was going to say, well, although then again, now that John D. Williams has deleted his Facebook, I guess that's not as telling. As it would have <laughs> yes. been a, a few months ago. Again, not a smart move. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right, there's a promotional war going on in Mississippi. The two groups, both of which are starting up, are called Deep South Wrestling and Mid-South Wrestling. Uh, original names. Deep South Wrestling is being run by Lolly Griffith. Or as you may know him, Francis Crybaby Buxton from Global Wrestling Federation. Wait, didn't he also go by the name Lolly Dude? Uh, yeah. And he's got a <laughs> co-owner, Vix, G. Petit, Cousin Luke. <laughs> no, it gets better, Chris. And their booker is fired up, Terry Taylor. <laughs> so yes, fired up the meme of Big says he, he aliens a guy from History Channel when the name Terry, name Terry Taylor pops up. <laughs> They've been on television for a few weeks with Dick Murdoch, Skandar at Bar, Tommy Rogers, Hercules, and Ken Massey as a top star. <laughs> well, he is local. Mid South is run by John Horton. No, not the former Craig Johnson, who he's also confused with because they have the same name. He's formerly promoted a group called PWI. They start on television in Six Station April with Catus Jack, Abdul the Butcher, Rock and Roll Express, The Gangsters, Tracy Smothers, and Bobby Blaze. At their first taping on March 14th in Meridian, Mississippi. They also plan on using Stan Hansen and Dr. Steve Williams train tours and are trying to do an old Bill Watts wrestling style, which drew great in that area in the early mid-80s. 
Um, I never had the Mid-South stuff, but we did have Deep South. That was on uh, America One, part of the wrestling block. Mid-South stuff was on YouTube. I don't know if it still is. But, uh, yeah, it, it was interesting, you know, watching this happen. You know, Mississippi out of nowhere having a uh, a little wrestling war here. And Rock and Roll Express comes in and works for them. And uh, Mid-South. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting watching this go down all those years later. Isn't Grizzly in with one of these as a booker, too? Yes. Shockingly, isn't it? Shocking. I, for, I think Deep South is the one he's with. Probably. Well, actually, wait, which is the one that had Jack Reynolds announcing? That was Mid-South? I think that was Deep South. Deep South is the one that Disco works for, right? Yes, yes, that's correct. And that Brandon Baxter worked for, and Jay. Yes. Okay, so yeah, Deep Deep South probably is the grisly one since Jake, since their relationship. To to tag Bo in on this one. Complicated. Yeah, Yeah, Bo Bo would probably know a little bit more, but yeah, I never got to see. And I'm looking on for YouTube now, and I don't think it's on there anymore. So the Mid South or the Deep South? The Mid South. Third base. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Oh, Deep South Championship Wrestling. Okay, no, that's I mean that's Jody Hamilton Deep South. That's the one I uploaded. Uh, I think it's a playlist that got. I I uh, uploaded it, and people have took my video and uploaded it as theirs, which I always. Oh, think is individual matches from your video. Or or the whole video. I'm not sure. Nobody had that, but nobody had that but me. Okay. Uh, always fun times when that happens, but that's uh, story. I, I, well, how many times has that happened with my Vince uh, statement about Phil Mushnick video? But at this point, I don't know. It just ha- it happens. It happens. It happens. You know, I, I love though when it's like the copy I got from someone had this little bit of tracking thing at the beginning, so you can always tell it's the same video. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's always fun when you can point and see, like, oh, was it um. Oh, with, with, was it the Dynamite Dark Side of the Ring episode where I could tell that uh, even though I didn't supply it to them, that the footage they pulled from YouTube was stuff taken from DVDs I converted for Vern Siebert, from, excuse me, from tapes I got from Vern Siebert. Yeah. It's always weird when that happens. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Jim Crockett's uh, Dallas promotion, where Greg Dammer Valentine is headed back to uh, challenge John Hawk for the North American title of March 18th in Dallas. They're doing a manager's view with At Bar and Brandon Baxter. Baxter brought a guy wearing a turban and a sheet and said he was his new protege, Sergeant Snap Bar. <laughs> Pulled off the sheet and it was Dusty Wolf wearing his doink costume. <laughs> what? <laughs> um. O'Connor, thoughts on uh, on this? <laughs> I have no idea what was going on here. That uh, sounds like a, a derisive nickname Dave would have for uh, Sergeant Slaughter when he got really fat. <laughs> well, that's what uh, Sergeant is, Snack Bar. Well, Akbar Snack Bar was what fans of the Sportatorium would call him, right? Yeah, 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 or whatever. It, uh, yeah, I don't think they called him General Snack Bar, but they call him Akbar. <laughs> Which really Boy, makes that, less sense when you think about it, but at, at least more original than uh, Stampede fans chanting "Packy" at uh, Abu Wizau. And go home, <laughs> Packy. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. And well, they didn't just chant it at him; they chanted it at basically everyone in Karachi Vice. <laughs> yes. And Brandon Baxter's working as the babyface here, you know. So there's that too. Did he do a turn? Well, he's about to be. Well, he's going to Memphis and be, and he's going to be a heel. No, so. I know, but it's. I'm trying to remember how much he had even done for Crockett previously, because when Global closed, he was a heel. I guess he turned back with, with Jim. I don't know. Yeah, he has an interesting year though between this and starting the USWA and working for Deep South, and he's all over the place. And he's what, seventeen, eighteen? Mm, yeah, about yeah, eighteen. All right, and then uh, Dave. He's finally got to see the AWF at Chicago. They debuted on, on in the Bay Area on a week cable station in San Jose over the weekend. Production might said to be very good. And the announcing was was uh, Terry Taylor and Mick Carr said to be good. Well, I guess Dave didn't see it. Uh, but the rest of it was about what you expect. And you can only mention how well Ken Resnick interviewing Sheik Adnano KC looks in 1995. They're supposedly planning to buy their way into these into 70% clearance to try to make money of selling television advertising. The estimated cost of doing this is $3 million, and nobody's ever run a profitable wrestling promotion in this country when television advertising revenue was their main source of revenue. Oh, the AWF, O'Connor. Uh, I don't know if we, we've, we've talked about this with you on the show before. Well, what are your thoughts on uh, this great promotion here? Uh, <laughs> well, and to add, though, have you seen these original 95 shows, or have you only seen the 96 stuff that's on the DVD set? Oh, I don't... Uh, funnily enough, I don't, I don't think I, uh, went out of my way to, uh, track this stuff down at the time. Uh, did, did not air here in Canada. So, uh, yeah, we were, we were out of luck, but I, I, I don't think I was missing much. I mean, it's, it's basically like, you know, a, a new AWA. Yes. Well, at this, this point, plus two cold Scorpio. Yeah, but AWA <laughs> had Jared Dukes. Oh, I meant stylistically. I didn't mean the other AWA <laughs> thing we could be talking about there. Well, that's where I thought you were going. But yeah. well, I mean, it, it works too because what you know, the story that Meltzer says that uh, Tony Atlas makes his AWA debut, or at least his Twin Cities debut, and gets a huge pop, and uh, Vern at the curtain turns to someone that Dave describes as an AWA lifer. I'm sure his name did not rhyme with a Bick Knockwinkle, and says something to the effect of, see, I told you that blacks couldn't get over in this territory. Oh, God. <laughs> here they had uh, Terry Taylor here to uh, advocate for the uh, African-American <laughs> talent, so no worries there. <laughs> and what we have well, you know what? what? I mean, we should say, like, uh, Terry Taylor, in spite of everything else within those lawsuits, he did apparently also devote a lot of time to trying to convince uh, Bobby Walker to use the bench press Bobby gimmick he came up with him. Came up with for him, <laughs> I should say. So, Richard Small, Pacific Coast Wrestling out of Portland, is already just about done. Small, who is part owner of the local Portland Rage roller hockey team. Ah, uh, yes, roller hockey. Complained mainly about dealing with local Mount Scott Community Center, where uh, he had been holding his Saturday night shows. Billy Jack Kane's return on the final show, March 11th, turning heel, claiming the white people didn't support him when he was down and out, and claimed he was a Modoc Indian, and that back in history, his people were massacred by the white people, and he was returning to gain revenge. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, I I would like to uh, talk about this uh, momentarily. Well, we'll finish in a second. Right, Small has agreed to promote one last show on March 24th at a local Chinese restaurant. As importantly, <laughs> there are investors who want to see this promotion showcase. Steve Dahl is coming in from the for the show. The headline is a babyface against Billy and Jack Haynes. Roddy Piper was working for this group as he's director of a television show. Crowds for the second through four show the promotion were in the 500 range. And uh, real quick, Sandy Bars attempted to regain his life support and was swiftly turned down. All right, O'Connor, Billy Jack Haynes as a Modoc Indian. <laughs> yes. That is that is a real tribe. It's not a uh, Yapapai deal. No, but, it's not. Uh, I, I have to say, I was uh, so intrigued uh, by the idea of Billy Jack Haynes embracing his uh, Native American heritage that uh, I took it upon myself to come up with a few potential ring names for it. Okay. Uh, should, should you want to go all the way with this gimmick, uh, would you like to hear them? No. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> all right. Uh, we've got uh, Chief J. Strong Blow. <laughs> um, if that doesn't work, uh, bullshit Ramos. There's Apache another one. Bullshit Ramos. <laughs> yes. well, actually, yes. no, wouldn't bullshit Ramos be the guy who convinced himself that he was Bull Ramos? <laughs> good point, Bits. Uh, here's uh, another one here. Uh, drug running bear. <laughs> um. <laughs> Oh, here we go. Uh, hailing from a little reservation in France, Jay Blackblood. <laughs> uh, here's uh, here's an ominous one. Dances with Hillary. Mm. And <laughs> finally, not a moment too soon, batshit crazy horse. <laughs> Uh, Chris, meanwhile, uh, I don't have the sound on, but I pulled up the week's uh, AWF show on uh, the screen share here, and we've got Sir Oliver Humperdinck managing on the same weekend that we've got Diamond Mike returning on uh, USWA TV. Yeah. So the participant is the man that we're going to see right now. Hey, it's Diamond Mike. I'm talking about Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. out of I like how Hump has lost so much weight that the gimmick doesn't work anymore. <laughs> kind of like Captain Lou. Captain Lou, yeah, you know that same thing. <laughs> the, the medium kahuna. Yes. He should have gone back to his old uh, pre-big kahuna gimmick. <laughs> yeah, he should have been the nobleman who managed the Hollywood Blondes with the, <laughs> with yes. the weird garish 70s suits and stuff. Yeah, we weren't so lucky. Wait, who is this presenting this belt here? That's Fred Alperstein. Oh, it's Paul Alperstein. Okay, if we have a Paul Alperstein promo that's actually in our week, we need to hear this. (laughs) Go ahead. Tournament! You betcha! Stay with us! It's coming! Also, I like how the head referee and the ring announcer are flown in from California for no apparent reason. Because they have Billy Anderson and Jesse Hernandez there. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back with me, the president of the American Wrestling Federation, Mr. Paul Alperstein. Paul, last week you made the big announcement. There will be a single elimination, 16-man tournament to determine the first ever American Wrestling Federation champion. And by the way, compliments a very impressive world championship belt for the AWF. But Paul, 
What was the criteria for getting your well, name in this nice all-important hopper? It is. Well, I took a look at all the wrestlers around the world and contacted the top 50 and see if they would agree to sign a contract to wrestle in the tournament. They did so, and today we're going to draw the top 16 who come out of here. Oh, here we, we go. That I and everyone at home <laughs> I've got a hopper. I didn't even notice. The ground rules are the first name drawn will then right, wrestle pause. the second. All right. Okay, have you ever seen this? I don't think so, no. All right, so th this is supposedly the best 16 wrestlers in the world. <laughs> so keep that in your mind now. Okay. All right, so this is the best 16 wrestlers in the 1995. world. 1995. In 1995, yes. So, and Ken Resnick uh, looks exactly the same as he did in 1986. <laughs> he looked exactly the same in 2006. So <laughs> props to him. But all right, here we go. Also, I like how you can tell that this is from like hour 12 of a TV taping because they, I, I don't think either man has partaken in any beverages or anything, but they sound zonked out. Well, very tough. Name Hair drawn. still looks the great. The third though. name out yeah. will wrestle the fourth name right on down to the 15th name will then wrestle the final and 16th entrant, correct? That's not how seating works. No, they're, they're pulling it out of the hat, Bix. It's I not know, seating. but still, why are you? The first two, the first two wrestling done, Well, certainly the first of many historic days to come in the American Wrestling <laughs> Federation. So, Paul, if you would do the honors without further ado, let's draw the first name. And the first name is the Mighty Hercules, managed by Sheik Adnan El Casey. <laughs> and Paul, yeah. his opponent, none other than the great Mexican star Tito Santana. And what a great first round matchup that one should be. In the next caliber. bracket. Hurricane Smith from Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> Hurricane's opponent. Oh, talk about a battle of big men from the island of Samoa. Superfly. In the next Superfly who? Not Snuka. <laughs> I think it is Snuka, but Snuka's no, not from not. Samoa. Oh, who is it? Uh, it's not Snuka. Do you have any recollection? Uh, uh, is it? It's, it's, it's uh, Tama. Okay. okay. But they were hedging their bets. They were just... Superfly. Yes. Six bracket. We have the number six bracket. What? <laughs> Luscious Tommy Rich, managed by Rico <laughs> Suave. And his opponent, look at this, his former tag team partner, Mr. USA, Tony Atlas. His, well, I guess, yeah, that In is In the true. next matchup, we have that is true. America's hero, Sergeant Slaughter. And Sarge's opponent, the masked man, the ultimate destroyer. <laughs> Paul, four great <laughs> matchups, main events, anywhere, and most important, they'll all be on television starting right here next week on the American Wrestling Federation. I think the fans are really going to enjoy this tournament, Ken. To our next match, we have Coco Beware the Birdman. Oh, Paul, this has to be the most unluckiest draw. The Birdman's opponent, the meanest, the most fine man in the AWF, nails. Yes, Ken, his <laughs> fines have been paid, but his actions will not be tolerated in the tournament. Also, I guess to get around trademark issue, his name is spelled with an S. In our next match, we have Johnny Gunn. Certainly the most popular AWF wrestler with the ladies. His <laughs> opponent, oh, Paul, this is going to be Gunn's strength against the crafty veteran managed by Sir Oliver Humperdinck, Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. What's going to be his strength? And in our next match, we have the very powerful Warlord. And his opponent, oh, it's going to be the Warlord's brute strength against scientific excellence, his opponent from England, Gentleman Chris Adams. And in our final matchup of the tournament, the very popular Jimmy Powers. 
And Jimmy Powers, Paul's going to need all his scientific knowledge because his opponent, yet another member of the family of Rico Suave, the crafty veteran, none other than Greg the Hammer Valentine. Ladies and gentlemen, there you see the 16 men in the single elimination tournament who will be battling it out. Paul Alperston, you've got a tremendous championship belt, and what a lineup to become the first ever champion of the American Wrestling Federation. The greatest names in all of professional wrestling will be vying for this belt. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Why in the name of his mighty Allah? I like how nobody taught them that you shouldn't zoom out while you're using a green screen. <laughs> Mr. Hughes slept out on his, uh, his chance of being in the, in the bracket. The man's name's not in the tournament because it's not in the box. What? <laughs> Why not in the box? Because you didn't pay your fine. We will pay for the fine. <laughs> I see Paul Alperstein <laughs> needed multiple takes here. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, for the first time in the segment, we have a close-up of Paul Alperstein. <laughs> okay. Yes. If you pay your fine, your man, Mr. Hughes, will be the first alternate into the tournament. What is the alternate? An alternate is real simple. Should for any reason no man be able to wrestle out of the 16 that are entered, uh -uh. then your man will have the opportunity to take his spot. Well, we'll see about that, and it must be sooner. I don't know, Paul. I, I don't like the sound of it. The sheet absolutely can't be trusted. Yes, I'm not very comfortable. <laughs> well, that was certainly worth it. <laughs> yes, the 16 best wrestlers in the world in 1995, O'Connor. Yeah, I guess uh, Misawa just missed the cut. So. <laughs> Hurricane Smith had it. <laughs> <laughs> and from the Isle of Samoa, Superfly. <laughs> Ultimate Destroyer was a mass jobber. <laughs> Don't know who he was. Sounds about right. Um. So yeah, he doesn't last long. Um, Mr. Hughes, I'm trying to remember who he took. The spot. Uh, yeah. Oh, so you did see this stuff then? I've I've watched it since. Oh, okay. Now, did Hughes do anything in the first two weeks of TV to be fined, or are they just saying he he had been fined? Um. All right. So, Mr. Hughes. Let's see. I'm trying to find that here. Okay. He wrestled the Superfly, so he 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 took out Superfly's opponent, whoever that was. Oh, uh, Hurricane Smith, I guess. So Hurricane Smith was eliminated for Mister Hughes. There you go. <laughs> but what what about the fine though? Where did the fine come from? I don't know. I don't know. Because <laughs> um, wait, okay, wait. Uh, yeah, the one we played a clip from before is episode thirteen, episode two. Do we have Mister Hughes here? Do we have the uh, big cat? I like how Tito's wearing the Matador jacket. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I guess he maimed poor Bobby Bradley. Let's see what happens. No, he doesn't attack him after the match. Okay. But that, but whatever. I'm, gu I'm guessing they just said he had been fined. Maybe he <laughs> violated the uh, AWF wellness policy. <laughs> Maybe. God the damn it. We keep falling, you falling, finding you falling asleep everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Let's go to the World Championship Wrestling now. Lots of behind-the-scenes controversies past week regarding the booking and Ric Flair. Shocking, isn't it? But Flair's the book. 
Flair apparently was furious about the booking on March the 6th. I told everyone he was going to quit the company later in the week. But everything was worked out on March the 9th. I'm not sure exactly all the problems, what the major problems were, but he was mad the Hulk Hogan wouldn't work the TV tapings that were held during the week. So they had to create a storyline, and Nick Bontwinkle suspended him from television, which were the last week, two weeks for the pay-per-view. There's also the continuation with problems regarding Randy Savage, as Savage wants the Hogan power of booking all his own programs. Although Flair and Hogan both wanted to create the 80s, they each have a different version of what the 80s were, since they were in different worlds, and although they trot, there's almost no way to have a meeting of the minds. Actually, that isn't much different than Ricky Joshu, except he's smart enough to know you have to put you guys in the same position. Joshu's redoing the successful 1983 Ishigun angle, but unlike Flair, who in his mid-40s wants to play Playboy Heel, Joshu in his 40s plays the Inoki Fujinami establishment role and gives the outlaw heel role to the younger guys who it fits, like Tenzon, and thus gives them a chance to get over and build the future. Flair wants to redo the Four Horsemen and the Road Warriors with most of the original characters. While Hogan wants to redo the Ultimate Warrior with a New England indie wrestler called Rio Lord of the Jungle and Andre the Giant with Paul White and push them to the moon immediately, but with the original Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage characters doing the same things they did in their prime. It appears that good younger workers like Brian Pillman, Steve Austin, and Dustin Rhodes may be the ones getting caught or more to the point ignored in the crossfire. The cruiserweight gimmick seems to be all but forgotten again. Austin goes from the penthouse, full horseman member on top, to the outhouse. No program whatsoever on a daily basis, as Dustin is buried in the middle against non-entities that can't get over. And Dustin's about to get fired. So there's that, too. But this is a major problem. But who 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 is to blame for this? Whoever Creative, con- well, more so whoever approved the creative control clause. No, it was Ric Flair. Oh, you Rick think for, for bringing in Hogan? For bringing in Hogan in. Yeah, you can't, you gotta, you can't have one without the other. <laughs> if there's no Hogan, there's no issue with creative control. Although we should say that I think we believe that the only used the clause once thing is true. That just means he only officially invoked it once. Uh, no. Kevin Sullivan basically said the Hogan uh, did it quite a bit. Okay, but you get what I, you get my point. That's, though, that was Kevin Sullivan's problem. Kevin Sullivan had a major problem because Hogan was always like, uh, you know, I don't. Okay, but you know what? I don't. I, you've listened to more of those Sullivan interviews than I have, but I've listened to some. And the impression I get is he was not saying Hogan said, I am invoking my contractual creative control clause as much as he just pulled the, that doesn't work for me, brother. That's what I'm saying. Yes. The same thing. Well, it's not. It's my point is, is that when Hogan or one of his people is claiming he only invoked it once, I think they are technically telling the truth, but I don't think they're telling the whole truth. Now, do you get what I'm saying? Whatever. It's all, whatever you, it's all the fucking same. (laughs) <laughs> now that said Hogan says he ain't doing it that's creative control yes but that's there are people who there are main there. eventers who had that level of control without having it in their contracts though. Anyway. yeah but they they didn't have to go with them they gotta go with him um, because it's in his contract I get what you're saying yes, yes. but it's I don't what's, what's even the point of Flair being the booker throughout all this anyway was the idea just they figured, oh, I bro- he bro- 
I or he, whichever perspective you're coming from, brought Hogan in, so Hogan will listen to him. He won the job. No, he, I mean once Hogan comes in. Well, he Flair was going to take a step back and be and just focus on the booking. He wasn't in ring. But that wasn't his idea, though, was it? Wasn't it that they felt like they had... I think the reason for the retirement deal was more just that they felt like they had burned out the feud and didn't have anything else for Flair to do and wanted him to be away f- to let Hogan be the star. Well, that's part of it, too. It's all a part of it. Yeah. But, the, the, uh, yeah, I mean, the problem is, is laid out here. Savage now wants, wants that control as well. And, I mean, who wouldn't? You know? And... And Flair's trying to go his direction. Hogan wants it his direction. I mean, you see that tug of war going on just by watching the television every week. Yep. If it's a Saturday night taping where Hogan is not there, it looks very different from a Saturday night taping when he is there. Absolutely. That's what we're talking about here. He refusing to show up and they had to create an angle to say he was suspended. So... The biggest mistake they did was re-upping with him. You know, I mean, at that time, as far as a quality standpoint, business-wise, it, it obviously worked. But from quality standpoint and Ric Flair sanity, I mean, that was the worst thing they, they did was, you know, because he did sign. Again, we talked about this before. He signed a very short six-month deal in 94. Get your six months out of him and let him go. I mean, that's what you should have done. The other thing, too, which we haven't really talked about yet, but is alluded to here, whatever you want to say about the first six months of Hogan, yeah, Tenta comes in, and Beefcake comes in, and we get Hogan and Beefcake at Starkid, yeah. But it's not, it's not completely remade in Hogan's image yet. It's on its way, and the main events certainly are. Hmm. Early 95, Hogan just loses his fucking mind with... Yeah. You know, the, you know, fake ultimate warrior, so eventually he can turn on me and I can beat him to get my win back. Um, dungeon of Doom, creation of Dungeon of Doom. Lanny Hoffo is going to be Gorgeous George, so Hogan can beat Gorgeous George. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, all that stuff. Yo- yeah. Yokozuna negotiations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say it's, kind of fascinating that they didn't bring in Tony Atlas so we could get that job back too <laughs> I don't know who remembers that one uh, the aftermath sure did yeah but I mean it, 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 you watch the TV for this time period and Sting is you know being devalued heavily at this time period so it's all about Hogan and Savage so yeah I love the deal yeah. when they give out the PWI awards at Starcade and you know, it's the Hogan and Friends show, and then Sting is given most popular wrestler of the year. With after reading this alleged letter from a young fan about how he voted for Sting as most popular wrestler of the year because everyone had forgotten about him in Hogan's wake, basically. <laughs> like, what, but, yeah. what a great way to make him look like a strong babyface. It's just it's just silliness, and and we'll read this here, and it adds to it. The Hogan ultimate surprise on pay-per-view, on censor, was originally to be the Road Warriors. 
However, Halt was booked in Japan on March 19th, so the last word the Observer heard it will be Rio, Lord of the Jungle, with another name as an Ultra Warrior clone since the original cost too much money. So, this again, O'Connor, here you go. I mean, so Flair wants to bring in the, the Road Warriors to be with uh, Hogan to do the Dusty Road Warriors dynamic again. And Hawk has his deal where he can't do it. So Hogan wins this battle here by getting his guy in here to be the fake Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I thought uh, Dave uh, summarized it uh, very well here. That uh, Rick basically wanted to uh, relive uh, the glory days with the original talent, and Hulk basically wanted uh, younger, cheaper uh, Diamond Mike versions of uh, all of the original <laughs> players, uh, shall we say? But, but still the oh. same, oh, the same Hogan and Savage. Oh yes, yes. But oh, this this was yeah. I mean, I was I was watching everything at this point, uh, but this was rough. Yeah, ninety ninety five, uh, early ninety six. Uh, very very dark period to, to be a WCW fan. And, you know, I, what just hit me is kind of probably an underrated aspect of why the shows get so bad. The TV title kind of falls by the wayside and is not on your usual TV champion style wrestlers for a lot of the year. That's hmm. part. I mean, that's one part. And there's other parts, too. But, I mean, in terms of the week-to-week TV, I think that was a blow that we don't really talk about. Um, the other thing, which I... I I'm sure I've read this before. I did not remember the Road Warriors Hogan idea, especially since they really didn't team up in WWF. Road Warriors aligned with Hogan for the first time and letting Sting and Savage just kind of be either aligned together or on their own or just, you know, joining up with Hogan and Friends for War Games. Like That would have been so much better than what they did. Mm-hmm. Hogan and Road Warriors teaming was fresh and had not been done before, but still fit the type of thing Hogan's trying to do. It's actually, if you're trying to bring those guys in, it's actually a hell of a compromise on Flair's part. Yeah. And would have been a much better way to go about what they did, and that doesn't work for Hogan, brother. Mm, no. All right, uh, Scott Steiner is on television promos for Uncensored. This is originally they were going to have the Steiners and Harlem Heat have a match on the show, but decided it wouldn't serve a purpose that the Steiners come in and win a non-title match from WCW team when they didn't think they could get them to do the job in a title match. And I guess since Dave doesn't watch the B-shows, he doesn't realize it actually went deeper than there being a couple Steiners clips in the Uncensored promos. On whichever was the morning, Saturday morning at this time is pro. Pro. Yeah. On Pro, they aired a whole Steiner's music video about the Steiner's coming back. Mm-hmm. Which I think, if it's not on YouTube now, it used to be, but I think it was on a Monsoon Classic or something like that, so it probably should still be there. But, like, they were explicitly promoted as coming back. I forget yeah. if that comes a little later or was before this or what. Because I remember there being a gap between but that again, video. because it's the week, this is the week before Uncensored. Okay, so it was... No, but I'm saying I don't remember if that music video specifically was leading into Uncensored or not. Pretty much had to be. I, but I remember there being a gap between that and those ads. 
Like, I, I remember thinking it was weird that the Steiners were in the ads. So, I th- that may have been separate, actually. It, it's in the same general time frame, but I'm not sure if it was right on top of each other. But still, yeah, like, they had a deal, clearly, to bring them in. And they don't come for a year. Nope. They're happy just doing their, you know, partial New Japan tours, making a lot of money, and chilling at home in Georgia and, you know, investing as much money as they can. That's right. Yeah. Great businessmen, the Steiners. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, also, yeah I mean, the, the, there's a reason that the main U.S. dates they work during this period are peach date because it's local. Yes. The Dustin Rose Blacktop Bully match in Central this week will actually be taped and spliced into the show. They didn't want to take the chance of doing the match live because of the possibilities of a disaster production-wise. And performance-wise, they're trying something live on the moving truck going down the highway. They're going to have video walls in the building for those live and for those on pay-per-view to pretend that it's going live on the streets of Tupelo, but will actually be taped in Atlanta. Man, eventually will be live, and they'll be teasing surprise, but apparently won't say it won't be the Ultimate Warrior Road Warriors on the show. The three TV matches will be squashes with Steve Austin and House Wright, Stars and Strikes against Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck. Cool. I just had a... uh... A booking idea while we're sitting here. I have to yes. uh, pitch Go. this to uh, Michael uh, after the show, maybe <laughs> for the uh, WrestleCon Super Show in a couple weeks. But uh, how about we, we recreate this, uh, have a uh, Canadian trucker convoy match. <laughs> have uh, the uh, convoy leaving from Calgary and drive down to Dallas. Maybe we could have... Uh, what do you think? Carl Moffat uh, versus Sean Spears. What do you think? <laughs> well, don't forget, you know, they had the DC uh, convoy going on now. Yeah, yeah, it's less, less successful when they uh, hit yes. the DC gridlock. Yeah, <laughs> yes. So, as, far, as far as the story, though, so, of course, it hasn't been taped yet as of the this writing, so... Dave doesn't have any idea about the fallout, but yeah, we've discussed this in depth before, including on the Dustin Patreon show, although I'd like to read you that some of, well, some of that one day, because that that is a show that is somewhat messed up by recording issues that we've since fixed with the audio syncing. Um, but what happens here where they're told to blade by road agent Mike Graham, who gives them the blades and then all three are fired is just i mean it's very wcw but it's also kind of like different from that like it's just an insanely stupid and unjust firing of both dustin and darso Mm -hmm. like we dwell on on the patreon show if this had happened to anyone who was close to a newsletter favorite or even just less unjustly disliked than dustin this would have been a scandal in the newsletters, too. Like, it's just ridiculous. And on top of everything else, like, if you watch that match back, granted, we're, you know, the way it made it to the pay-per-view because of the blood, it was heavily edited, and apparently the whole match is much better, but even then, like, that match for the work has been unfairly maligned. Like, they have a pretty damn good brawl. That's also completely insane, because they're just hanging on this truck. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, for people who either haven't watched it in a long time or just haven't watched it, period, like, that match is much, much better than its reputation. Hmm. 
and uh, it what's his face? Um, I think it was uh, why am I playing on his name all of a sudden? Um, Neil Pruitt. You know, when he did the thing with Conrad recently, he was talking about how there was a camera where one of the settings was left wrong. So from that one, like the wrestlers almost looked like they were brawling in silhouette. At first they thought it was unusable. Then when they got the edict about editing out all the blood, it basically saved the match. So in other <laughs> words, yes, a WCW production screw up saved the match. <laughs> Shocking. Irony, of course, this happening at uncensored. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. All right. Uh, the angle where Doug had hit Ming with a two by four, Ming didn't sell it. Had the hit headed off television because of the concern over violence. Well, we're <laughs> in that uh, Janet Reno TV violence campaign era. Mm-hmm. And Very, that's uh, fine. CRTC of them. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, but. Yeah, for those who don't know or remember or whatever, Attorney General Janet Reno was making a very hard push against violence on TV. And the big thing that was affecting the wrestling shows, besides to a degree not using blood, was objects, especially those that could be found in the home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Jerry Lawler with the trash can on Duke Drossy, uh two by four here even though he's been using it for a year i don't know how many kids just have straight two by fours laying yes around. i keep several in my uh living room but that kind of thing it just became a big no-no which i mean does sound kind of ridiculous even if i get the concern but yeah yeah there, there's a go home angle for pay-per-view that, that didn't air yeah all right, George has the Saturday Night Report from March 11th. Yeah, highlights airing of Hogan interfering with matches and interviews on recent TV shows. And this is where Nick Botwinkle announced he's been barred from all WCW venues until uncensored has taken place. Because <laughs> he can't stay out of the shit. Randy Savage beat Playboy Bobby Starr. You mean Hollywood Bob Starr? Hollywood Bobby Starr. I always say Playboy Bobby Starr. I think he's both. Yeah. Anyway. In a post-match interview, you got this match with Avalanche and Uncensored. A soundbite of Ric Flair and Vader. Lord Steven Regal was confronted by Bobby Eaton about Eaton being his partner. Regal turned him down and insulted him. Eaton took a shot at him and challenged him to a match. Wait, uh, we know this that? isn't on YouTube? No. Well, actually, I think the recap is, but it would uh, that goes over the whole thing is online, but it's only a tiny piece of this. Blacktop Bully defeated Tim Horner. Horner had a formal ring entrance, yet there wasn't one offensive move on his part. During the match, Tony Schiavone hyped that he has the ultimate surprise for Vader and Flair at Uncensored, and seeing the Ultimate Warrior would be there. He won't. When Bobby Heenan said it would be someone in Hogan's corner, Schiavone said it may not even be someone in his corner. What does that mean? Could be just, well, be a surprise, but it won't be in Hogan's corner. Well, and he, that is true, because he doesn't corner him during the match. He runs out late in the match. Yeah, mm. sir. Whose side is he on? Alex Wright beat Arn Anderson by counting the two main events, so Arn retained the TV title. Dave Sullivan was showing the crowd cheering Wright. And about a minute and a half, Wright drop kicked Arn from the top rope and hit him with a crossbody block over the top. Wright missed the top rope, drop kicked four minutes. Arn took over offense. Carter Parker interfered. 
In about seven minutes, Wright made a comeback and scored a near fall with a belly to belly. It was retro to separate Wright and Parker. Jamie Bad came out in boxing gloves, KO'd Arn, leaned to the countout. Then Vader won a squash with Flair in his corner. Flair strutted the ringside throughout the match. Imposing an interview with Vader and Flair. Flair kept beating on the jobber and screamed that the jobber's beating was Hogan's responsibility. Flair claimed Hogan paid Botwinkle to take him off the program. And that's WCW Saturday night. Which drew a 2.6 rating. Main adventure at 2.5 the next night. Best rating in months. And Pro did a 1.6 Saturday morning. Now Pro continues to revolve on Diamond House Page going to the torch. The latest twist is it was uncovered that Page has lost all of his money as he was caught hawking jewelry, selling his blood, and driving a beat-up old car. <laughs> See, if if I were DDP in 1995 uh, and I needed money fast, I'd... Uh... Probably try taking Kimberly to the Gold Club first. <laughs> Just an idea. Well, I'm pretty sure they probably did do that. <laughs> so there you go. Um, it's just, isn't it interesting that DDP is having all this stuff on the pro show where Dusty Rhodes is one of the announcers? What are you implying? <laughs> <laughs> well, DDP's one of Dusty's boys, so... You you think uh, Bullet of Woods is helping format the the show a little bit? Very possible. Very possible. Yes, and uh, okay. Because so, the arm wrestling challenge was early in '95 on Pro. <laughs> then we got this whole thing on Pro. So, actually, okay. So wait a second though. This is, but this is him losing his money before he wins the millions. Mm-hmm. Then he loses all the money and does the same gimmick again, and then he gets mm-hmm. the benefactor who's never revealed, but was supposed mm-hmm. to end up being Kimberly again, I guess. Mm-hmm. WCW, everybody. Um, yeah. I forget, was the deal where he's wearing like mismatched gear, was that this or was this that later after he loses the money? Um, I think that's later. It's a later one. Yeah. And then, of course, it also turns out that it was it was Kimberly who won the money. They never explain how it would get to be this much money, but she she wins thirteen million dollars playing bingo with some old ladies. <laughs> the expensive bingo. I guess so. She must have been playing with Carol Lindsay or somebody like that <laughs> from the Global Wrestling Federation fame. You don't think right, uh, uh, Olu Johnson Oliemi was playing? <laughs> He's, He's got twenty five million. Yeah. All right, house shows. Amarillo on March the tenth, around thirty two hundred at the Civic Center. Arn Anderson over Johnny Bad. That's right, won by forfeit because Paul Roma injured his ankle in night four in El Paso, which turned out to be his final night in WCW. Well, that kills Har- an urban legend, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Harlem Heat over Stars and Stripes, Vader over Duggan, Dustin over Blacktop Bully, and Sting and Savage over Bubba and Avalanche. For those who don't so- know, the way the historical narrative has been has been basically that Roma was immediately fired for sandbagging uh, Alex Wright at the pay-per-view. Again, That's super yeah, not, not true. Salt Lake City, Arn over Bad by DQ, Wright over TDP, Harlem Heat over Stars and Stripes. Dust over Bully by Cat Out, Vader over Duggan, and Sting and Savage over Avalanche and Bubba. Now, the next night in Denver, Jim Duggan had what Dave was told was his best match since joining WCW, working with Vader near Vader's home in Boulder. Um, we got most of the cheers because it's Vader from, from Colorado. Seemed to be the only one that drew the crowd about 3,400. 
and they were going wild, making a great match. The crowd was about a thousand more than WF drew the previous Sunday in Denver, although higher ticket prices for WF, WCW's edge of the gate was rather small. WF officials are claiming Chicago did a $133,000 house on February 24th, as opposed to the $99,000 WCW did on February 25th with Vader and Hogan, and the $82,000 reported here. Although others have even paid the house as low as $73,000, so who, who knows? Isn't it conspicuous that a name is not being mentioned here with WCW drawing a strong house in Denver? Mm-hmm. Zane Rezloff. Yes, I mean, we have all this information about Denver. <laughs> yeah, that this reads like Dave not wanting to give credit to Zane, so it's not obvious he's talking to Zane. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which... I also I wish we had numbers for uh, Salt Lake though, because that that's more Zane's territory than uh, Amarillo is. But you can see here that they're not lighting the world on fire. But you know, a year into Zane Breslov heading up live events, they are doing a lot better. Yes. All right. So as we were talking about in WF section about their interest in Eric Watts, WCW may have changed his mind about Chad Fortune. Wanting to keep him, although WF also has interest in him, since Jim Ross has a man on a kick of bringing in ex-football players and all the football tie-ins. I like and how course, even before he's actually Chad Talent Relations, he's getting all this done. And, of course, Chad Fortune is the other half of Team 2000. So there yes. you go, Connor. I forget I which is have, Travis and which is Troy. I could have paired him with uh, Alex Wright. They could have been uh, German Techno Team 2000. <laughs> Yes. Well, like uh, Alex Wright said on uh, on Louis Theroux's Weird Weekend, he had to, he had to change his gimmick because Americans don't know techno. <laughs> yes. No. Discussions about bringing in Elizabeth have resurfaced, but uh, Dave's pretty sure she hasn't even been contacted yet about it. Gene Oakland tried to tease it on television, but instead gave a work story about Fifi, saying that Fifi was coming back. But uh, that doesn't happen. Well, eventually. Eventually, yes. The May issue of Muscular Development Magazine has a feature on Kimberly Page as a fitness model. Dave also thinks that's a stage name. She's married to Diamond Dallas Page. But his real name is Paige Falkenberg. Yes, her name is Kimberly Uh, Falkenberg, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. That would be the only magazine she'd be modeling in, O'Connor. <laughs> no. That, uh, those Playboy uh, special editions were very popular among a lot of people in that, that time period. <laughs> yes. Kimberly Bacon is the maiden name, if I'm reading this right. But she was cooking with grease. Yes, yeah, she, she was sizzling. <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, you would know this better than me, Chris. I, I don't know why. I just have an I have a feeling. Not that she's a huge celebrity, but was there anyone else like her where she was like a known quantity outside of like modeling, but was only featured in like Playboy newsstand specials? No. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like she occupied kind of a weird space, right? Yes. Yes, she did. Yeah. That's what the whole thing about it was because those were usually for previous playmates basically right like and like one of them was like a nude celebrities like special but the, yeah, but the yeah. stuff that was in there was just p- previous playboy pictorials of celebrities right other than her i would think yeah yes yes okay 
WCW wants Kurt Hennig to be one of the four horsemen. This isn't the first time they've wanted him. It probably won't be the last. The problem always ends up with Henning's asking price is really high because he's in great shape, financial for an insurance settlement, and thus has no need to rest for money. So it's going to take big money to get him out of the house. Oh, uh, yes, the Kurt Henning WCW discussions. They've been dominating our 94, 95 WCW <laughs> yes. shows. Yeah. I, interesting that Dave, though, does not mention here that they had literally shot promos about him coming in the previous year. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Marcus Bagwell signed a two-year renewal. Good for him. Dorsey said Craig Pittman's in for a big push, meaning WCW believe Pittman could do well in a legitimate UFC-style event. Yes. Uh, for context, this is at the point where he had only been appearing on Pro and was not doing the Drill Sergeant gimmick yet. <laughs> yes. And uh, he does represent WCW, sort of, in uh, Valley Tudo Japan 95. That's correct. With Pez Watley in his corner. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a tough guy, too, so. Yeah, and legit, you know, college wrestler, so it, it makes sense. Plus also one of his trainers at the power plant, so. Mm -hmm. All kind of fits, I guess. Um, <laughs> my favorite thing coming out of that was that he, get, so he gets submitted. I forget who he'd be in the first round. He gets Then he gets submitted by Yuki Nakai, I think, with an armbar. In the second round, and Pez and company were protesting that they misinterpreted his grunt as a submission. <laughs> well, that can happen, I guess. Which also, like, I don't know. I'm guessing this wouldn't have been written out in rules back then, but the way that MMA rules are now, if you just yell out in pain during a submission, that's considered the same as submission. <laughs> anyway. So, like, if we look at it realistically, you know, through today's rules and stuff, it's even if it was just a grunt, it really, uh, it really shouldn't matter that much. Although, well, that go ahead. I was just gonna say referees are supposed to be able to distinguish actual grunts, though, from yelling out in pain. Well, that doesn't that doesn't work in in S and M. I tell you that. <laughs> are you saying that saying... MMA needs safe words for verbal yes. submissions? Okay. Yes. Well, you can if you yell, if you yell out the word tap, that is considered the same as a submission too. The pilot episode of Thunder in Paradise, titles in German, Thunder in Paradise, hot action and cool drinks. <laughs> it did a 19.4 rating on a Sunday primetime slot, O'Connor. Oh, wow, that's that sounds good, 19.4, uh, <laughs> but uh, you, you know those krauts. Uh, anytime they see a beach on television, they think uh, David Hasselhoff is going to show up. <laughs> well, same, it's the producers, Greg Bonas. Yes. <laughs> and Hogan and, and you got Hogan and Sting on the show representing the, the Aryan race with their blonde hair so <laughs> yes so yes Thunder so, Paradise hot action and cool drinks I'm <laughs> so I'm curious though was this just airing the pilot as a TV movie or was this as a prelude to airing the episodes that exist on whatever network this I is? don't I don't know I don't know I have no idea okay and let's close out WCW's initial plan around a competition UFC tie show, but uh, initial, but, but inside the wrestling ring, and with more rules on June the 4th, probably similar in that way to the Valley Tudo Tournament or April 20th in Tokyo, being put on by former wrestling legend Satoru Sayama and headlined by Hickson Gracie. Looks to be coming to fruition. There's no official word, but due to cable deadlines, it's considered a dead issue for June with the possibility of trying to put a show together as a combined promotion with K1 in Japan and Antonio Inoki for September at the earliest. 
Although we're told that has less than a 50% possibility of it happening then or perhaps even ever. Bischoff had this weird fascination of wanting to do this, some, this type of a deal here in 95. Well, this turns out to just be the K-1 pay-per-view they do, right? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, he was wanting to do his own little deal. He's, I mean, he's into martial arts, and he's wanting to dabble in that. But it doesn't come to fruition. No. I Now, I do wonder if Craig Pittman at least went to the finals of Valetude of Japan, do you think they make a deal to air that? Possible. Who knows? But I it, I love the whole string of stories you get in the newsletters about who is WCW going to try to enter in the UFC in this era? <laughs> you know, Craig Pittman, is Ming going to be entered in the UFC by WCW? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, hard hard body Harrison would be my dark horse. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It ain't All right. Good. All right. So that is it for us this week. O'Connor, it's always an uh, honor and a privilege to have you on the show. So go ahead and plug away. You actually have to set the plug this time. Uh, yes. Uh of course uh at Ghost of Quinones on Twitter for uh your Frankie updates, but uh, I, as I mentioned, I will be in uh, Dallas later this month. So uh, please uh, come to some of the great uh, WrestleCon live events. Got a, a triple A show this year. Yes, very excited about. And uh, yeah, come say hello uh, if you see me around, unless you have COVID, in which. Uh, in which case, uh, stay away from me, please. Go talk to Bahari. <laughs> but, uh, all right, let's uh, we'll do a, a quick round of hey. uh, O'Karnak the Magnificent. Oh, is this right. the material that Frankie wrote? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, oh, yeah, Frank, Frankie the Thumper is responsible for this, yes. Yes, yes I, I retweeted it on the show account if people want to see uh, <laughs> the tweet. The, yeah, your tweet of... Uh, Frankie writing your material. Yes, you'll you'll see why uh, we call him Frankie the Thumper. He's uh, at that stage where he'll he'll just pound on the table like uh, Nikita Khrushchev. <laughs> but uh, all right, so we'll yeah we'll do a, do a very quick uh, O'Karnak, followed uh, by a round of uh, what's the difference? Oh, okay. And uh, let's uh, we'll, we'll dedicate this to our friend uh, Joe Gagne who is uh, perhaps the only person on the planet uh, who finishes listening to these podcasts by Monday morning. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Joe. Yes, he is a, <laughs> so, uh, he is a podcast savant as far yes. as this. Uh, so the first feedback I get, uh, it's always from Joe. But uh, all right, here we go. You, you know the deal, uh, holding the uh, envelope to my forehead as I speak. And uh, I will divine the answer. All right. I'm getting Wendy Turnbuckle. Wendy Turnbuckle. A real person, so I am told. Mm-hmm. All right. Opening the envelope. I do appreciate that you always have paper ready, by the way. <laughs> He's a professional, Bix. Professional ah, what? Not a, not a comedian, as you're going to find out. 
<laughs> but uh, all right, Wendy Turnbuckle, that is the answer. I open the envelope. Ah, yes. Uh, name two places Ric Flair can no longer go to get his balls grabbed. <laughs> Wendy Turnbuckle. Oh. If, if you don't like these jokes, or Frankie's jokes, excuse me, I curse you. May, may you find yourself carpooling with Chase and Rance when Cain Velasquez rolls up. Uh-oh. Maybe a shooter, but he's not much of a shot. All right. Next envelope. Okay. Wow. A different one. The least trusted man in America. The least trusted man in America. Opening the envelope. Curious to see uh, what we've got here. Ooh. Who is Gunther Cronkite? <laughs> not, not, not many people remember that uh, regrettable rebranding on uh, CBS's part. What were they thinking? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Frankie, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I curse you all. Our female <laughs> listeners in particular, both of them. May your husband... May your husband want to gift you some tasteful nudes for Valentine's Day and somehow find himself jerking off in a Motel 6 for an international gay porn producer. That's why you always read the fine print. I'm actually surprised you didn't go into the full details of that one. Uh, <laughs> we'll be appearing at uh, WrestleCon. So. We'll leave it at that. Next envelope. All right. Whoa. This one uh, seems topical. Orange and freshly squeezed. Orange and freshly squeezed. Come on, Frank. All right. Orange and freshly squeezed. Ah. Describe Nails' balls the moment before he throttled Vince McMahon. <laughs> Orange and freshly squeezed. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. Wrap it up with the uh, the sister segment called "What's the Difference?" Yes. So we'll start. What's the difference between Sammy Guevara and my dad? So long, everybody. The, <laughs> the answer is. My dad never uses the tie he got for Christmas. <laughs> Shoof. Wait, is that the pronunciation we're going with then? And as we record this, Sammy is doing a work injury angle, kind of, sort of, on uh, Dynamite. So there you go. <laughs> where where uh, Tynar uh, came out, yes, to check on him. It's, just like, it's gonna be a Paige Van Zant Tynara deal too coming yes. up, set up. So there you go. I'm sure that'll be well received in, in the community. <laughs> oh, All right. Yeah. Which uh, I, I, I'm assuming they're uh, doing this to transition the belt to Scorpio to take it to Wardlow next week, but we'll see. All right. All right. And finally, what's the difference between Britt Baker? 
and Victor Quinones? <laughs> the answer is Brit has a license to sedate you and put a filling in your mouth. <laughs> wow, Fra Frankie's working blue. <laughs> Oh me. Well, I would, you know, I'm going. I'm going to steal Bix's gimmick here, trying to come up with a, uh, another punchline. Uh, also, that could work. That both leave you with the whitest teeth they ever came across. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! All right, so that is it for us this week. Thank you, O'Connor, as always for uh, for being on the show. You're next welcome. week. Next week, we're gonna have a Patreon requested show with Mark Cole, who is gonna be back with us. And he wants us to go way back, 1984, March 1984, where we'll go to Portland, where Roddy Piper makes his grand return to Portland after uh, joining the World Wrestling Federation. So we'll have uh, have that. And Brett Sawyer's back as well. So interesting time in Portland to talk about. Oh, speaking of nails, Kevin Kelly is uh, a new new guy in the AWA, a rookie. Dave has uh, notes on him. <laughs> We also have a uh, world class where we'll go over the Von, Von Eric's Freebirds Devastation Incorporated drama as all three are feuding against each other. We, so we'll talk about that. We got Central States in need of a new booker as Buck Robley left. So we'll talk about that. We got, uh, of course, all the other territories. We got Memphis and Southeastern. We got... Hacksaw Jim Duggan leaving Florida, losing a loose leave town match in Florida to Dusty Rhodes, of all people. We got George Championship Wrestling, well, World Championship Wrestling, whatever you want to talk about there, where we got some uh, interesting TV happenings, including Tim Horner and Road Warrior Hawk having a match on television. We'll talk oh, about that. that match? The famous one? Yes. Oh. Ricky, Ste Ricky Steamboat makes his return to Jackar Promotions after a three-month, well, basically two-month retirement. So we'll talk about that. We got some Al Tomko Vancouver on the show, O'Connor. No. So <laughs> and we have some Stampede and Montreal. So we got all kind of ca Canadian stuff. We got quite a bit of uh, UK stuff. We even got New Zealand. So we, we got that. We got New Japan where uh, they got a lot going on there, uh, including contract season is going on, which is a different, what, different beast this time around compared to other times. And we're talking about the Ishingun and New Japan regular army feud. We got an interesting note about Nippon TV and Satoru Suyama to talk about. Andre the Giant at Piper's Pit. We'll have that, the first appearance. We got an interesting story about the Bay Area and the TV situation regarding WF and AWA. But the re really the main reason why Mark Cole wanted us to do this show, Mid-South Wrestling, where we'll have Mr. Wrestling 2. Winning North America title from JYD in controversial fashion. We'll have that. Oh. And be JYD and Lose Town match. We had Terry Taylor and the Russians having a deal. We'll talk about that. But Jim Cornette's party to celebrate the Midnight Express winning the Mid-South Tag Titles. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. So it should be a really fun show. Lots of clips next week. So be ready for that. O'Connor, again, thank you as always for being on with us. You're awesome. We'll have you back on in the future, naturally. Always a pleasure. Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
heard about him with another girl But I don't sweat it because it's just pathetic to let it Get me involved in that he said, she said crowd I know that ain't nobody perfect I give props to those who deserve it And believe me, y'all, he's worth it So here's to the future cause we got through the past I finally found somebody that could make me laugh <laughs> You so crazy I think I wanna have your baby Wind Sheets Patreon special episode number 25. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my host, David Bix's band. And Bix, it's time to once again go back to the lovely city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and talk about an indie wrestling promotion. But this time, we're talking about a completely different indie wrestling promotion. Yes, we're talking about a Philadelphia-based indie wrestling promotion that employs the likes of Gabe Sapolsky, Rob... Wait, what? <laughs> Yes, but in a new era. Yes. As yes, yes, it's time to go back to the 2000s, 2002, and Ring of Honor, 20 years. Man, it's hard to believe that it's been that long, but here we are, 20 years since the birth of Ring of Honor. And uh, yeah, it debuted in 2002, but the scenes have been planted for this going all the way back for almost a full calendar year to the death of ECW. And we're going to get into that right now as we begin the show. All right, let's move on now as we go to the week of October 29th. Observer cover date 11, 11, 5th. There's ever an exact opposite of the first World Wrestling All-Stars pay-per-view. It would have been the two-day All-Pro Wrestling King of the Indies show on October 26th, 27th in Vallejo, California. Roland Alexander, the vilified small-time promoter and wrestling school owner in the Beyond the Mat movie, brought in 16 independent wrestlers of all sides and styles for a tournament to showcase the art of pro wrestling while inviting many luminaries from the past to attend. The results were both good, bad, happy, and sad. From a business standpoint, running two straight nights these days in the same building is a risk, and doing so without mentioning names even more difficult. The shows drew about 275 the first night, 375 the second night. APW has often drawn 500 fans to the same building for its monthly shows with far less local publicity. The flip side, as mentioned by several wrestlers, is that it was probably the best possible audience during 75 fans due to style wrestling for. It was largely a combination of several different Japanese styles being ring work. The shows had little in the way of bay faces and heels, no run-ins, managers, valets, little brawling, and the crowd died the few times people went out of the ring. And all clean finishes, most via submission. Most matches also ended with the participants hugging in the ring while fans cheered the performance. Match quality of both nights was tremendous, with at least four legitimate four-star matches, topped off by American Dragon against Spanky, four and a half stars, 
American Dragon is Doug Williams, four and a quarter stars, which both well above that level. Jardy France against AJ Styles. Styles against Christopher Daniels. We're at that level. And the championship match, Loki against Samoa Joe. Loki against Chris Daniels. And Samoa Joe against Frank Kazarian is pretty close. All the matches the first night were good. Most very good. And seven of the tournament, and of the seven tournament matches, second night, five would have been at least three and a half stars. The crowd responded largely as a Japanese crowd would, which enabled the style to get over. There were no boring chants during long periods of mat work, and the crowd was heavily into the submissions that wouldn't be understood by a mainstream audience. Most fans seemed familiar with Japanese submissions and reacted well to the UFC spots and positions employed that would go over the head of the casual fan. But the only thing that usually worse worse in Japan that didn't was the knees on the ground from the side mount, a move banned in UFC, but over in Japan because of it being as part of pride shows. Fans and retired wrestlers brought in were Nick Botwinkle, Kenji Shibuya, Pepper Gomez, Fritz von Goring, Red Bastine, and Dick Byer, Destroyer, along with Roller Derby legend and Calvello. She was there promoting the San Francisco premiere of the movie about her life, and they gave several matches, several matches stand ovations. While those who were there talked about it being the best show they've ever seen live, the numbers who will pay to see it are far too small for it to be anything other than the big money loser. Alexander is able to fund those losses through a very successful local wrestling school. But when presenting a product that would be a very close representation with a huge number of fans, particularly longtime fans, say they won't rest in the B, like what was mentioned last week, often that is not the kind of product they'll actually support. This attendance isn't a reflection of the styles, it's a reflection of a few fans that will attend anything that isn't WWF. While many people grew up watching old wrestling legends in every area of the country, if you cling to them to the point, they would go out of their way today to see them let their counterpart fans of sports like football, baseball, basketball. There's a sad reality of every show that they've seen where big stars whose careers ended before 1985 are brought in. The older fans who watch them are no longer interested. The younger fans, understandably, having not seen them, have no emotional attachment or interest. All right, let's talk about this. Dave, Dave is spinning so much truth, you know, in this about about this show as far as, you know, the fan, the fan situation. I mean... This is the people. I mean, this is this is the type of stuff that a lot of internet wrestling fans can't grasp. Okay, some can and know, but they don't like it. But it's true. Stuff like this is on. It, I mean, it's for niche audiences. It has a ceiling of popularity, and. It can work in other places like Japan, where the fans are conditioned to, uh, you know, to understand this type of style. But even then, those groups didn't draw always huge houses. Like Battle Arts was a successful drawing promotion. You know, I mean, they did their random shows at Corkin or whatever, and they they did some shows in other places. But for the most part, they're wrestling, you know, in front of a fucking couple hundred people. Sometimes they're wrestling in front of less less than a hundred, and the fans are sitting on fucking mats. They don't even have chairs, and so, all of the visible fans are yakuza. A lot of it, yes. So I mean, that's the thing that 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 people need to understand in in today's times even more is that a style of wrestling that's similar to this can only get over so far. You know, you're not going to be able to attract a fan base that's going to come in there and, you know, spend the money. And and, and let me read let me read what Dave said here again. Let me read what Dave said here. And because this 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 sentence 
stands out to me so much. But when presenting a product that would be a very close represent, representation of what a huge number of fans, particularly longtime fans, say they want wrestling to be, like what was mentioned last week, so I guess talk about WWE, often that is not the kind of product they'll actually support. Mm-hmm. Meaning financially. Yes. I mean, that they'll watch it and whatever, and they may watch it, but, you know, who just said they'll actually support something like this? Um, and, and, and even today, I mean, AEW has done well, you know, as far as, you know, so, you know, doing, you know, selling houses and stuff like that. But there's still a large majority of fans that doesn't really acknowledge anything that's not WWE. I mean, they won't go to indie, indie wrestling, what it classifies as indie wrestling. And AEW is not indie wrestling. That's a, that's a different beast. Right. Because it's a major professional wrestling promotion on national television. Although, as we've seen, there are at least a lot of tribal WWE fans that think anything that's not WWE is indie wrestling. Well, there's that too. But I mean, this not indie wrestling because I mean, no. if you're on national, if you're on national, if you're on a national television, like I mean, if you're on a Turner Network television, you're not indie wrestling. Sorry. So, uh, but but yeah, I mean, that that's the and. and you listen to Dave, how he's talking about the crowd reacting and stuff. And we talk about how Dave feels about, you know, hardcore wrestling and all that stuff. I mean, this is the type of stuff that he's into, you know, this type of mm-hmm. style and everything. And this is what this served is that is that is that type of fan base that is into that style of wrestling. And it's also interesting to note, though, as he mentioned, that this show with all these big outside names Drew less than their normal shows would do with their local guys. Which is also a little weird because they have their most notable local guys on the shows. And APW had been, as much as anyone in that area, era, era a work-rate indie. Yeah, but there's this, I guess there's a story to be told there, though, you know, yes. as well. Now, also, from the video at least... And this is not a sound mixing thing because there was no commentary. Um, that crowd fucking sucked. <laughs> yes, uh, expose the crowd here, Bix. Okay, so Dave is because right. I, I have not watched, I have not watched this in a long time. Neither so have I, I but I remember it vividly. Yeah, I remember stuff. But I don't, I don't remember probably as good as you do. Okay. Yes, they're well behaved. They're into. They're clearly interested, but I don't know how this happens collectively to three to four hundred people. They were basically cosplaying what their idea of Japanese fans was. That it's, I'm 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 glad that you mentioned that. I think we have we have had that so much in the independent wrestling fans in the last 20 years stemming off stuff like this there I, I see it a lot there are there are a lot of fans and shows that i've gone to personally mm-hmm. where i mean it's like there's no real emotional investment it's like you're reacting like you're supposed to react i this is what you're supposed that, to though for this this is or you're pretending is... to be like you're pretending to be like what you see on tv or see on tape. And that's like that on WWE shows too. I mean, it's not just indie. 
I mean, they, but you, people they see, still but react see. organically and get into matches. What happened here was that they were really quiet for pretty much through the whole two days, except for applause at a you know, and like really peeking at some of the bigger moments on you know in the finals and stuff. Yeah, but it still goes to the larger point that I have is that. Yeah. You have a lot of fans and crowds that they're they're acting, they doing like they're, what they think they're supposed how they're supposed to react. You know, from watching wrestling over the years. Yes. You know? I would say this happened the most and over the longest period of time with the influence that ECW TV had on Indie Crowd. Oh God. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Now Absolutely. Thankfully, ROH crowds do not end up like this. No. Um, but the other consequence, which I guess I might as well mention here, because it's so quiet, <laughs> do you know where I'm going with this? I think so. Okay. During the finals against Danielson, Loki has his shoulder bandaged. I don't believe he had it bandaged at any point up until then in the tournament. No one acknowledges the injury, really. I think Danielson did a couple arm spots to set up his finisher, but he, it's not like he worked the shoulder consistently in the match. And then, <laughs> former Pro Wrestling Torch columnist John D. Williams at one point cat calls out loud enough that you can clearly hear it on the video. Hey, Loki, <laughs> how about that bad arm? <laughs> Which... <laughs> got distorted into sell the arm which yes, is not yell but became yeah. kind of the early internet wrestling forum meme about it but no he says hey loki how about that bad arm which i like john but come on but that's what smart fans did yeah but see here's the thing when they did that they did that it shows where there's more fan reaction on a yes. WCW show. Well, Here, and, that becomes way more audible. Well, it also is a little hypocritical on John's part because, you know, uh, five years earlier at the Peace Festival, you know, you can read in the torch, he tears into the other some of the other ringside fans who are yelling stuff like mixing in a high spot at Liger and Sasuke. Well, that's two of his favorites. <laughs> But uh, I guess let's get it down to the specifics of the uh, the tournament. Yes. American Dragon, the training of Shawn Michaels, who spent some time in WF developmental system before being cut, probably because he's 5'8", 185 pounds, and that doesn't fit in their system, defeated the New York-based Loki, that's L-O-K-I, uh -huh. a 165-pounder who has the ability in the ring to project the R of being a miniature Vanderlei Silva. Spelled with a V as well. <laughs> yes. The match went 29.50. Featured a lot of mat work, some incredible innovative moves by Loki, including the moonsault to a senton block on the floor, an inverted fisherman bust off top rope, kicks that you probably expect to see in a high-level Japanese match. It was the fourth match in two days for both wrestlers. Loki became an immediate favorite of the crowd that had never seen him before live because of his ability to project intensity in the ring and be able to work shoot style and make it not only interesting to watch, but actually look realistic. His offense was so explosive, and his quickness on the ground was so impressive, that even giving up probably 90 pounds to Samoa Joe of UPW slash Zero One, he was able to beat him in a fashion within a Japanese context where it didn't look ridiculous. 
He also has some unique agility and flexibility that allows him to do things rarely, if ever seen in the context of doing a pro wrestling match. The level of match at the match shocked the older wrestlers who were expecting something more akin to local wrestlers copying the WWF. Instead, they saw the unknown light Dougie from England, Doug Williams, 1992 National Judo Champion, 158 pounds, maybe the most underrated performer in this industry. Then invited comparisons with a legend from their era, Billy Robinson. He may have had the best match on the weekend with American Dragon. Had people known just how good Williams was, he would have been booked at least into the semifinals. Dragon tore the house down three times, including the championship match. The Williams match which ended up with him having a bloody nose from some brutal forearms and the parent tendon problem in his knee, which he worked with the last two matches on. And the first round match was Spanky, another native of Washington, who he started his career with both as both migrated to San Antonio more than two years ago to be the star people to Shaw Michaels. Christopher Daniels, who already has a reputation of being the best independent worker in the country, showed versatility in working with a lucha stylist, Super Dragon, followed by Georgia wrestler AJ Styles and Loki. Styles, who, like Daniels, had just signed with WCW when the company went under, garnered standing ovations after his match with Daniels, as well as an earlier match against Jardy Franz. Also, as talented as all the performers involved are, most have little chance at WF. While most do well in Japan, Japanese promotions aren't nearly as interested in talented 165 pounders. Even with a cross of a, between a Bruce Lee and Vanderlei Silva are alike low-key, as much as a 275 powerhouse like Bison Smith, who suffered what appeared to be a serious knee injury when he flipped himself into the ring and the knee he injured on his last Noah tour went out. And boy is appeared to be doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. Yes. Because this uh, was an injury he faked because of the heat that's increasing between the old guard of APW and Roland at the time. Yes. Low-key style and size, plus shoot fighter gimmick all wrong for WF anyway. We have potential as a badass underdog marketing for younger kids to relate to. Despite his great in-ring, great ring and interview ability, the latter is not as well known. Daniels is considered too small for WF. The Santa had that saw much smaller Spanky, who's only 165 pounds, but they're very, they're very charismatic and dragon cut, while much larger and less talented men remain in the system for better or worse. Williams will be a small heavyweight in Japan, but likely could stick with any promotion there that gives him his first break just because of his in-ring being that good. Yes. All right. So first things first, we should say what we should have said already. Um, This is here because Gabe, Sapolsky, and others have credited watching the King of Indies tape to being the moment they realized they really could start their own promotion. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious. When yes. you read how this show went, what Ring of Honor would eventually look like. And also, look, I used to be skeptical of it until Gabe and others started saying it publicly when it was more just secondhand lore. What I think it means is that he sees he has 16 guys plus the guys in the non-tournament matches and realizes that between them and the Northeast guys they've been seeing that aren't even booked here, they easily have enough for a career. Mm-hmm. And also, since not everyone even got mentioned here, here are the names. I don't have the brackets in front of me right now. But your field of 16 this is in alphabetical order because I pulled it up on Cage Match. So American Dragon, Adam Pierce, AJ Styles, Bison Smith, Christopher Daniels, Donovan Morgan, Doug Williams, Frankie Kazarian, Jardy France, Loki, Samoa Joe, Scoot Andrews, Spanky, Super Dragon, Tony Jones, Vinny Massaro. So, yeah, there is, a, you know, still a no-cow flavor in that tournament, but still, absolutely, yeah. I mean, some heavy hitters from all over the country on this show. Yes, and Morgan and Modest work 
ROH early. Yeah. You know, so that's absolutely worth mentioning as well. Um, And I think that the big thing that doesn't get talked about enough with this is who the hell knows where exactly Danielson's career goes without all this, without this tournament, because, you know, he got well, a lot. He already had, he, well, he already had ECWA. Well, here's the thing, though, with that. He had gotten a lot of attention from his Super 8 performances where Loki won, but Dragon was probably the tournament MVP. And he's being flown in regularly by Jim Kettner for those shows. But other than that, you know, because he got he was under WWE contract at the time of the Super 8 and then got released. You know, he's pretty much just trying to go back to school at home in Washington and occasionally work ECCW shows. You know, like, so I think MCW ends in June or July, letting them finish out their contracts. And it doesn't seem like there's much MCW results around. So if we just go for after that, like, he has one match in July, two matches in August, three in September, five in October because of the tournament, then six in November, two in December. Like, he was... This was as halfway in, halfway out as he's ever been in his career. And, you know, not talked about here, because I didn't put it in because it wasn't really relevant to the ROH side of things. There ends up being all this fallout because I'm actually surprised this part wasn't in the initial Observer coverage. Originally, Morgan was going to win the tournament because the idea was to sell APW. But then Mm -hmm. Bockwinkle, Bestine, and I think maybe some of the other legends... But I think it was especially Bockwinkle was the main one who made the comment. Told Roland something to the effect of, if you do not put American Dragon over in this tournament, you don't know what you're doing. I'm sure Donovan Morgan didn't hold a grudge about that. (laughs) No, it's not like he and Modest and everyone else left several weeks later to start their own school and promotion or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, to help justify it, he give, Roland gives Danielson the trainer job at the school. Mm-hmm. Which, clearly, there's other stuff going on for him to do that, but turned out probably better than anyone could have expected because Brian Danielson has been very good at training people since pretty much the beginning. Yeah. You know, some guys are just good at it. You know? Our friend Dominic Greeny was not wrestling long when he had to take over the AIW school when, you know, Johnny Gargando... Gargando. Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae moved to Orlando. But he's a good mm-hmm. teacher. He had previous coaching experience, knew enough about wrestling, and it worked. You know? Yeah. At the, you know, Keith Hart School. Who trained uh, Just Incredible? Rookie Lance Storm. Yeah. Who would go on to be a really good trainer. Some people, you know, uh, someone who studies stuff and is maybe feels they have to work more at it is always going to be a better coach. And though Lance is, you know, incredibly gifted athletically, naturally, he clearly always had that mindset. And Danielson obviously did, too. So, like, you watch, like, the people he trains early on, I don't know how much of the video is out there anymore, but it was, you know, up back in the day with APW doing their, you know, click movie downloads for free. Those guys he was trained, like, the people who were already there got better. You know, like your Larry Blackwell types. 
and you also had people like James Choi and Bobby Quantz and people like that who were so much better than their level of experience and nothing gets modest and Morgan, their guys were not getting good as quickly as Danielson's guys were. Yeah. So this is a big change for his career. Cause like he, he moves to California, he gets to, you know, it's, you know, he's living above the school in the garage, but he's fine with that. And, this puts him on the path that eventually takes him to L.A. for the Yonoki Dojo and all that and, you know, pretty much sets up the rest of his career. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, everything that happened on this show was a direct influence on Ring of Honor being formed. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash Between the Sheets.